tonight, Friday, April 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Zoom. I'm doing office hours. It's our third one. It's where listeners to The David Feldman Show get to meet each other and chat with guests of The David Feldman Show, professors, authors, journalists, comedians. I don't know who's going to be coming by tonight. It starts at 9 Eastern on Zoom. You don't need to have Zoom. You can dial in. We'll send you a phone number so you can listen in and talk. Go to David Feldman Show. Dot com. You'll see the Office Hours tab. Click on it, and we'll send you an invite. You don't need Zoom to attend. You can dial in on your cell phone or your landline, and we'll get to talk to one another. We'll meet the listeners. We'll meet professors, authors, journalists, comedians. It's going to be a fun night. I look forward to seeing you tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, Office Hours on Zoom. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the office hours menu. I'll send you an invite. I'll see you tonight. Okay, all flight controllers, go to go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're a go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Melissa Quart is back. She is the executive editor of the Economic Hardship Reporting Project. That's a nonprofit devoted to commissioning, editing, and placing reportage about inequality. She has a piece in yesterday's New York Times that we're going to talk about. She's also the author of Squeezed, Why Our Families Can't Afford America. It's published by Echo HarperCollins. Thank you, Alyssa, for taking time to be with us. Oh, thank you so much. Lots to talk about. I should mention we're doing this interview on a Wednesday. I'm working around your schedule because it's an honor to have you on the show. Your piece, by the time people listen to this, will have come out in the New York Times yesterday. That's a Thursday. I haven't been able to read your piece yet because it's Wednesday. I want to talk to you about that, and I want to talk to you about the Economic Hardship Reporting Project, which is set up by the great Barbara Ehrenreich, author of Nickeled and Dimed. And this is a great resource. It's it's a great website. It's a clearinghouse for Newspapers and magazines like the New York Times and The Nation, you you edit articles that end up being used by the media all around the country. And it's reporting from people on the front lines of economic inequality. Yeah. And, you know, part of why we do this is because after 2006, the contraction of the media industry uh, due to new technology and advertising advertisers no longer paying for magazine ads and newspaper ads. And then 2008, the recession, these were blows to our industry. And now we have another blow, which is uh, the pandemic. And I think it, to date it's like 33,000 media jobs have just been lost. And this is already an industry that was slammed and slammed politically by our president, right, and his henchmen, mm-hmm. and then also slammed um, economically. 
And private and equity plays a role in this. And I, I know exactly that private equity agree. is getting part of the bailout. They don't seem to be bailing out newspapers, do they? Or No, and, you know, you have Boeing avail, availing itself of up to $17 billion or something like that from the stimulus package, but you're not seeing a journalism bailout. And yeah. I think part of what organizations like mine, and it's not just us, it's a bunch of other Organizations that now recognize, by the way, that we're in an emergency, and I'll talk to you more about that, um, and that we just need to help writers and photographers. It's not, you know, it's not a f- just getting them to write their thoughts and feelings. It's, you know, really just help them survive. But um, There is an antipathy need- towards the creative types they, who want to express themselves. Like, F you, I have to work for a living. Why should I yeah. care about But you're doing the necessary legwork that's not being done by anybody. Without writers, we don't know what's going on. Yeah, and you know what's weird is also that there were a lot of outlets for freelancers up until very, you know, up until the pandemic, basically, they just didn't pay very well. And now even they are either not paying for freelancers as they have staff people or they're shutting uh, or they're just not accepting much work anymore. And so we're getting requests now at EHRP for emergency funds. So we've created an emergency COVID fund, COVID-19 fund for people who have urgent uh, economic needs, like, you know, they can't pay their rent, they can't pay their medical bills, um, they're really uh, destitute. It's not for the New Yorker who can't pay their mortgage mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in New York City. You know, it's just to be clear, I mean, that's desperate too, and I, a lot of my friends are now in this position, but the people that are coming to us for this, they really, you know, are newspaper people who are now driven potentially to the streets if they don't um, get sort of grants. So we've created a grant that we can just give people money. Uh, right. And it's, I'm calling it DIY UBI, um, do it yourself, universal basic income. And the idea is we're going to give people money faster than the, the feds can give it to them. Uh, and it, this isn't a lot of money. This could be between 500 and $1,500, but at least that will tide some people over. Yeah. Barbara Ehrenreich set up this project and last time you were on the show, you explained that she did it because she wanted history to be written from the bottom up, not the top down. And this is why good journalism is necessary. There is going to be a recovery. We are going to hear that it's over. The pandemic is over and America is back and better than ever because we heard that after the financial crisis of 2008. It came roaring back and Bernanke and Timothy Geithner saved our economy, but they didn't. People didn't come out of the 2008 financial crisis together with their the people. The country is far worse now than it was before that financial crisis, but history gets written by the looters, not the winners, the looters. And that's why uh-huh. it's important to to support uh, people like you and, and the work that you're doing. Tell me about your piece in the New York Times. And let me just preface this, because I'm running this at the top of the show. I talk to a lot of people who have the privilege of saying, I'm going crazy. I'm out of my Netflix queue is... And I haven't been outside and I'm losing my mind. And, you know, they're not, you know, that is, you do go stir crazy, but that's a privilege. We have people right now who would give anything 
to have their food delivered to them. And a per, we all have, you know, personal shoppers now. It's our patriotic duty not to shop. You know, if you need food, have somebody do that for you through Instacart. How are they being treated, the, the Instacart workers? You were the first one, by the way, to call them first responders. I had you on a month ago. And you said these Thank are you. first. You were the first one who said these are I the know. first responders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I'm really glad it caught on, and people are even talking now about, um, you know, conventionally and mainstream media and politicians that these are first responders and that they deserve hazard pay, um, and sometimes they're getting it, and you know, hourly wages are being bumped up in some chains, but not in others. And you know, from what I'm hearing. You know, somebody was just telling me they worked in uh, one of these supermarket chains that there was a eight and a half months pregnant um, worker who was still go, going to having to go to work at one of these chains, not as an Instacart worker, but as somebody who you know whatever a clerk at the store, and he tried to give her his sick days, and his manager wouldn't let him. I mean, this kind of stuff is happening all over the place, and um, these sort of cruel, small indignities that just normally used to happen to working-class people but now are potentially, uh, you know, uh, hazardous, hazardous or, um, you know, mortally wounding, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of thing that you're seeing, but you're also seeing the in, the scrambling of a value system, you know, whereas we used to think of people working in bodegas and stores and Instacart workers, not I, but, you know, I think the conventional idea was they were not that visible. They were sort of the unseen hand that was just supplying us with our food and, uh, you know, picking up the the, the garbage or whatever the, the labor was. And now they are being seen and recognized and named as, of, of, as people of value, their, their photos are being taken, they're being drawn. We have artists now rendering some of these essential workers. Um, an artist named Molly Crabapple did a beautiful project for the nation, which I'll, which I'll make sure to share with you of mm-hmm. essential workers who are like janitors and delivery people. But at the same time, they're still being paid, you know, $14 an hour or less. Um, even $17 an hour, not necessarily a livable salary in uh, an urban environment. Yeah, it's an American American tendency to call people heroes and thank them the same way we thank our soldiers. But when it comes to, you know, raising taxes or raising salaries, suddenly the money isn't there. It's not good enough just to call them first responders. And I worry that as we all retreat into our own pods, that without good reporting, like over the Economic Hardship Reporting Project, we don't care about these people. You know, we'll spend five minutes going, oh, boy, that Instacart worker is uh, really putting his or her life on the line. Oh, they screwed up. I I ordered uh, Beyond Burger, and she gave me an Impossible Burger. (laughs) I worry that's what people, you know, we, we don't, unless we're actually having physical interaction with people, we just retreat into ourselves. Yeah, and that's that's the, it's like kind of be a new unseen, right, where we used to just not see them. 
these workers because it was a socially sanctioned thing not to see the workers. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to be we literally don't see them because we're not interfacing with anybody. Um, Did the stimulus and, package see them? You know, it's it's of mixed value. You know, I, people are getting $1,200 dollar checks, although a lot of people I've spoken to so far have had, they've called, you know, for the unemployment office 2,000 times, you know, some insane amount, hundreds of times and, you know, to, and had no joy. But we will be getting that check and at least some people will be and that will help. I mean, I talked to a McDonald's worker who had gone on strike because someone in her office and her restaurant, she was a cook, uh, had come down with coronavirus and they and according to her, she was not properly protected. She didn't have a mask and gloves, and I believe McDonald's is disputing this, but she said that she wasn't, and at any rate, she was still going to work there, and it hadn't been fully disinfected. So she went on strike to prevent that from happening. And, you know, she has $1,000 in her bank account. She's going through it. She managed to save that, making $14.77 an hour. And... Only because of that was she able to protect her health and her family's health and do another American thing, which is to go on strike when you're treated unfairly. Um, And what kind of health insurance does she have? Oh, they don't have health insurance. McDonald's? No. But so she would get it through Obamacare. She's California, so she'd get Um, Medi-Cal. But... um, I'm not sure. Maybe she gets Medicaid. It's called called Medi-Cal. Medi-Cal. Medi-Cal in in California. Yeah. But but anyway, so she was, but that $1,200, if she ever gets it, is going to make a huge difference, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As well, just for her, it will maybe give her another three weeks of being able not to go in or look for another job, although who knows. Um, I, I mean, I'm arguing that people should have just $1,000 or $2,000 even every month in their bank account. Like that should just be, we should just be doing the UBI thing until this is over. Um, especially for people who like her, she has had a disabled child. Um, she has children in general, so she has dependents that she has to be taken care of. So there's just no question. People just desperately need money. And that's, that's part of why we created this emergency grant. Like we, people shouldn't need have to be jumping through hoops right now when there's no, there's literally no hoops to jump through, you know? Um, anyway, and there's no, there's no, yeah. What's interesting. I spoke to a friend who got laid off and she said that she's getting an extra $600 a week in unemployment insurance because of the stimulus package. And she said, I'm making more unemployed than I am, uh, when I was working. That is, uh, that says something about something. I mean, what, what, what does that mean? About our country. Well, I do think people are getting, but then again, you know, if this person had children or had to leave her house or, you know, all the different things that are now happening or had any medical needs because of COVID and had people that they had to care for, that extra $600 would be kind of sopped up. Luckily, right. lucky for your friend that it wasn't, but right. I, I mean, I, I don't think that, I think most of the people who are getting any extra, it's going into these new desperate circumstances. You know, we're going to have to get a, you know, just as a family, we're probably going to have to get a car for the first time ever, so we're going to have a new expense, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of thing a lot of families are facing, like, public, is public transport going to be 
safe. Right. I guess, you know, if you live in a, a metropolis, maybe you're going to have to be paying a car, and then you're paying insurance and parking and all these other things, you know? Right. Um, right. So you have a piece anyway, in yesterday's New York Times. What I haven't been able to read it because we're recording this on a Wednesday, and I promise to keep this short. Tell me about your piece in the New York Times. Oh, yeah, it's just about people living paycheck to paycheck. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the main gist of it is fewer than half of American adults have enough emergency funds to cover three months. And that's it. That was a new study from Pew Research Center. It's like a survey. And given that, and given the situation, this is pretty, pretty bad. Uh, if somebody's calling the hotline 200 times, can't get through, can't get their insurance locked in, uh, or isn't, uh, can't get the unemployment insurance and is just going to be getting, um, that $1,200, it's, it's just not going to last very long because they already have, uh, a deficit. I mean, I talk to people for this piece who have like 14 cents in their bank account, you know, and that's, that's, seems to be kind of normal. Uh, and with debt, there are people who are just deeply in debt, even when they're making, you know, low six figures. So it's incredible. It's incredible the, the current state of this country, and we don't realize where we're at right now. Pre pandemic, there was a piece in the New York Times, I believe it was on Tuesday, talking about inflammation. Four fifths of Americans suffer from inflammation. Four fifths of Americans have either hypertension, inflammation, they're pre-diabetic, that their metabolism is is susceptible to a COVID-19 that would create a comorbidity. We're an unhealthy nation. Something like, what is it, 70% of this country is obese? Well, you know what, George Packer has this great piece in the... Everybody's Atlantic. talking about that, yeah. Yeah, and I, whatever, I guess, do I need to say... No, I, go ahead, because I, 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 I I'm embarrassed him. to tell you. I haven't but read anyway, it yet, he, so go ahead. But he had this amazing phrase that it's, uh, you know, something to the equivalent of uh, Americans. America has a underlying condition, you know, that is a whole country, and that's what's been exposed by all this, and it's part of what I was arguing and squeezed, and what... A lot of the contributors to EHRP are exposing just through their voices, through writing the stories sometimes of their own lives, where they're, they've been homeless or they've uh, struggled with mental health and they can't afford their medication or whatever. And they're all they're all professional writers who are writing these things. You know, it's an underlying condition that people have that you have one emergency for an individual family and they're tipped over the edge. And, in America, you have one emergency for the country, and it's tipped over the edge because it itself is a failed state. It is a failed so that, state. So that that was the thing that really, when I read that, I was like, it's so it's staring us in the face, you know. And um, but I, I don't want it to be totally a downer. So the thing I wrote that I wanted to share was I did a piece on the good things about this experience because there, it's not. For people who are privileged enough to have a home, right, mm-hmm. where they haven't lost all their income, and there are still people like this, including myself, who are, you know, okay, you know, things are not as e- as easy as they were, but we're getting by. Um, we have sort of returned to simpler pleasures, and that's become the one saving grace for me of this whole experience, and for a lot of people I know. 
And one of those things is the medium I'm speaking to you on, which is a landline yes. telephone. This is in the nation. Uh, not not a uh, Daily Beast. You wrote this for the Daily yeah. Beast. It's a great piece. And thank you. And I I just been loving this. Um, so you're not loving, zooming. You're not zooming. I zooming a little, and my joke was that it was Kafka crossed with Hollywood Squares. <laughs> 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 I was yes. like, this is crazy, and like, you know, I went to a Zoom shiva. Uh, Me too. Zoom, Me too. Zoom birthday party, Zoom book club, you know, all these things. Zoom cocktail party. Zoom, I went to like, a Zoom shiva. I went to a, I went to a memorial service, and you could, you know, people, the especially boomers, booming Zoomers or Zoomer boomers, who don't know how to work it, they don't know how to turn their video off. I saw a guy shopping at Trader Joe's. While attending a memorial, he didn't know that the the camera was still running. Go ahead, I'm sorry. That is really, yeah. It sort of turns a lot of things into like people say the Brady Bunch, but it's more like a disturbing experimental film from like 2001, like mm-hmm. Time Code or something. Because right. you're like one screen, there's like a door opening and closing, opening mm-hmm. and closing. <laughs> like another right. screen, there's like a kid screaming, like you know. Um, people at also just strange angles, but no, yeah, I really like the phone. I've always loved the phone. Um, you know, I grew up in the 1980s. I said a little bit in the seventies too. And I, I like really loved, you know, the sound of the phone, the phone yes. call that, and there's a line from a novel I quote in this piece, which is, you know, the ring of the, the phone ringing always had a sense of hope. And it still does for me. Like I'll wake up and I'll hear the phone ringing and it's like a, you know, not a copper line, but it has a nice full-bodied, it's an older mm-hmm. phone, you know. Um, and, you know, you talk to your friends now, and you'll talk to your colleagues on the phone instead of um, meeting. But it has a it, it has a retro feel, which is nice. And there are things that are like that that I've been partaking in, like uh, I'm baking bread like everybody else. There's mm-hmm. a bit of rush on King Arthur's flour. Right. So my neighbor dropped off some... Uh, Yeast, and I was just like, "This is great. This is not an experience I've had in a long time. Like getting yeast from a neighbor." Um, you don't walking. have your own starter. You didn't make your own starter. <laughs> do you do you, do you do sourdough? I was doing this two years ago. I have interviews. I became obsessed with bread two years ago, and uh, I should interview some of the professors I've had on the show. It's an obsession. Bread is an obsession. And there are, there, there's a sourdough museum. I think it's in Switzerland. They have some sourdough. I love this. I mean, I, I can feel a passion starting for it because it's, it feels closer to a craft than cooking. I, I know cooking is like an art, but I, I like the craft part of the bread, like the, you know, it's like pottery or something. Well, <laughs> no. I'll tell you, I know I promise to keep it short and I want to get back to your piece. I will tell you this. You will understand Jesus, death and resurrection, and why a communion wafer is the body of Christ if you start baking bread. It is a miracle because if you take flour, indulge me for 30 seconds, you cannot live on bread and water. It's impossible. But if you mix bread with water, Michael Pollan writes about this. If you mix bread and water together and let it sit and allow the microbes to land on the bread and water, you can live forever on it. Now, if you don't understand microbes, then it's a miracle. 
It's and and then and it's death and resurrection because you save a little of that starter for your next bread and you can live on bread. It has all the nutrients you need. Anyway, uh, that's from two years ago. I apologize. I will listen. You should send me a a link now. Here, no, just take the top off the bread, just the top, and keep the bread in, and put it back in so it gets a crust. So put it back in. <laughs> Are you talking to somebody or me? I am talking to somebody. I'm talking to my husband because I'm trying to make this um, no need, in, uh, you know, the famous Bittman no need bread. And it has to get the crispy outside layer in the Dutch oven, which I know I feel like I'm formally in love with a Dutch oven. Now, what you do is before you, you don't need yeast. What you do is you take a little of the dough before you cook it. And put it in a mason jar. And you mm-hmm. just, just leave it out. Just leave it out. And you put water into it and a little flour. And you will keep that going. That's your sourdough starter now. It it's, comes from industrial yeast, but it'll start absorbing other microbes in the air. Literally, there are yeasts floating through the air. And they will land on that that dough that you haven't cooked and it will pardon the expression fart carbon dioxide for you and make your bread rise but it's just so life-affirming right now i think that that's part of why people are doing this it's like and i also pointed out in this piece the other thing that i found really life-affirming is whenever you have these phone conversations with strangers or whomever you're calling for business or like, uh, you know, whatever I call to reorder my contact lenses from the Mm -hmm. company, people say, stay healthy, stay safe with so much feeling, these strangers. And I found that all those kind of details of this new strange existence to be like the only saving grace, really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The phone, it's interesting. I'm going to let you go because we've gone over. I just want to, first of all, thank you for the work that you're doing. The Economic Hardship Reporting Project Go there. Read Alyssa Quart in the New York Times. It's in yesterday's New York Times. What's the headline? Oh, I don't know. I, I, they always change these things. I, I think I put checks and balances, but I think it's called right. something else by now. <laughs> this is, yeah. you know, I, I was talking to my sister and my mother and the people I truly care about, and this is the most important reporting that, that can be done, what you're doing. Because if we don't know what's going on outside our bubble, uh, anyway, I, I just want to thank you for taking time uh, to do oh, this. Oh, thank you so much. It's the mo- it you. is the most important journalism being done. It it, it truly is it, the economic hardship reporting project, Barbara. Yeah, and check it out at uh, at econ hardship. Um, for Twitter and subscribe. Um, and if you're feeling economically desperate as, and you're a journalist, even, a, you know, radio, photography, apply for one of our grants. Yes, and I do have a story. Uh, one of my listeners, can, can you indulge me 90 seconds? Absolutely. Okay. So on the show last week, I said something to the effect of who cares if somebody from United Healthcare loses their job. We we're talking about Medicare for all and people are saying, well, you know, three million people work for insurance companies. And I say, who cares? Let them lose their jobs. They're, they're doing the work of Satan. And a couple of people wrote into me and said, I work for these health insurance companies. I deny the claims. 
I say, no, you can't do that operation, and it's killing me, but it's the only job available to me. And I felt my, you know, so that to me, I, I anyway, that it's, I'm sure that's a story you've already probably written, right? Yes. Yes, you have. So, I mean, but I, I, if people do have tips and ideas, they should. Right. And they're listening. They should totally contact us. At, um, I'm at Liz Court. That's my Twitter. And we are at Econ Hardship. Okay. I'm going to hang up with you in one second. I want to invite you to my Zoom meeting Friday night at 9. Hang on. For, you can phone in. Hang on for one quick second. Thank you, Alyssa Court. How do people oh, follow you? you? Twitter. How do they follow you on Twitter? At Liz Court. L-I-S-Q-U-A-R-T. Great. Thank you. Stand on for one quick thank second. You. Donald Trump on Wednesday signed an executive order temporarily suspending new green cards, ending immigration, he said, to protect American jobs during the coronavirus pandemic. For more on this, we go to Yakima, Washington, where Stephen Robbins is standing by. He's an immigration attorney and host of the podcast Redirect Welcome back, Stephen. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. You're an immigration attorney. You're dealing with people who come to America seeking a better life. What does this mean when the president of the United States suspends green cards? First, explain what a green card is. People don't just become citizens. A lot of times, uh, you know, even people who need papers will say, I want to apply for my citizenship. And it doesn't really work that way. You have to be a permanent resident first or a green card holder. Is that, is that synonymous? Is permanent resident and green card synonymous? Yes. Um, so the green card is just sort of a colloquial uh, term meant to describe the, the permanent resident card. And so, and that's the first step in immigration. In other words, if you're coming as a tourist, you're limited by how many days? How many days can you come to America? Yeah, so that's kind of up to Border Patrol. Um, they can give you, I think, up to six months as a tourist. Um, and so, yeah, there's temporary visas if you're a student or a, or a tourist, as you said, um, other types of uh, temporary workers even. And, and their rights here are, are pretty limited in what they can do, how long they can stay. But a green card holder is somebody who gets to live and work here. Uh, they don't get to vote. Um, and, and they are expected to actually live here. So if they go back to their country for a couple of years, they could actually be denied entry saying, well, you've abandoned your residency. Do they pay taxes? Do they pay into Social Security? Yes, they they pay taxes. Uh, they, you know, uh, do all of that stuff. So uh, typically these people are coming over. Uh, sometimes um, they get employment-based green cards. Uh, those are pretty hard to get. Those aren't for... Uh, people like farm workers who are the clients I, I'm mostly dealing with. Uh, those are mostly for doctors or high-skilled individuals, um, so, so-called high-skilled. Um, so if you get a green and, card, if you get a green card, I read that 25% of American doctors are here on green cards and that they're not allowed to switch jobs or leave the state they're currently employed in. Could that be true? Um, 
Well, I'm not sure about not leaving the state. Um, certain, you know, certain we can't take jobs in other states, and they can't leave the hospitals they're working in. Yeah, I, certain employment visas are tied to the employer. Um, I honestly don't practice uh, very much employment uh, immigration law, so I can't say for sure what those uh, restrictions. But that's would a be. sweet deal for a hospital if they bring say, a doctor over from, you know, India or Pakistan, they have him. They own him. It's almost like indentured servitude, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. And that definitely happens with the, the temporary, like, agricultural visas where, um, you know, if you come over and you're mistreated or or uh, the conditions are really poor uh, and you try and, you know, unionize or collectively bargain, you have very little power. I mean, they can just ship you out and, you know, probably file a complaint against you and you might not ever be allowed to come back. So um, you deal specifically uh, with agricultural workers. Right. Well, the majority of my clients are undocumented and the majority of them, because of where I practice, uh, work in the fields. Okay. Uh, so before we go from the bottom up, let's go from the top down for a second, just so my listeners can see immigrants and how they're treated and, and understand the the system in place. We'll get to agriculture workers in a second. Nurses, a lot of nurses are from the Philippines, from overseas. They're, 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 they're working here on green cards. I know you don't work with doctors and nurses, but right now we are reliant and cheering on you know, at 7 o'clock here in New York every night, they cheer the nurses and the doctors, many of whom are here on green cards. Right. What does that mean? How are they treated differently than citizens of the United States? Well, what rights uh, do they have? Yeah, so a green card holder can, uh, like I said, they can work. Uh, they can't vote or even register to vote and they are subject to certain grounds of inadmissibility or, or deportability. So in certain States, um, you know, something like a, a marijuana possession conviction could get you deported. Even if you've uh, potentially lived here for a really long time and you have family, uh, something like that could, um, could result in your deportation. Um, and so it, it's not, super easy to deport a, a permanent resident, but it's definitely possible. And sometimes depending on uh, the conviction or the state where they're convicted, it, it could actually be fairly easy. They could be deported for something fairly, fairly simple. And if you're a uh, troublemaker, if you're a doctor or a nurse who maybe wants to unionize or is complaining that you're not getting the proper PPEs or masks, a hospital administrator can call immigration and say, this nurse, this doctor, is uh, can they can they get them deported? Um, Not legally, but it would be easier, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be it's looming over you if you're. Uh, a nurse or a doctor who's not a citizen, right? Uh, certainly if you have an employment-based uh, visa, I think that there's uh, concerns like that. Um, if you have an employment-based visa, are you allowed mm -hmm. to switch jobs? If you're working for, say, if you're brought here by Mount Sinai Hospital and you find out there's better work over at 
New York hospital. Can you just, mm-hmm. can you just switch jobs? So my very elementary understanding of this is that you would come here, um, with a, uh, with an employment visa, which is actually not a green card. And then after a certain amount of time, uh, you get to apply to adjust status and become a permanent resident. And once you're a permanent resident, then you have more flexibility to leave a job to, uh, you know, move states or whatever. But in that time period where you're uh, employed at a specific employer with an employment visa, which is different from the green card, wow. uh, then the employer does have quite a bit of control wow. over what happens wow. to you. Wow. An employment visa is different from a green card. Wow. So it is conceivable that there are nurses and doctors who only have employment visas, not green cards. And you're, you're saying that employment visas come before the green card. Right. So um, if your employment uh, was terminated before you were um, in the window of being able to apply for your, your green card, uh, you might be in a situation where you've you know got to go back. So that is country. a business model. We'll get to the agricultural workers who you defend. But that is part of our business model to bring people over to this country and make sure that they have to keep their mouths shut. It's, it's a fear based hiring system, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, some of these things are, I, it's always a question of to what degree they're explicit or just understood and, uh, favorable to employers, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I do think for a lot of these employers like Microsoft and Boeing, they bring over a lot of engineers or, or hospitals. It really is a question of we don't have enough of these people and we need to bring them uh, from overseas. And in fact, that's something they need to be able to prove in applying for uh, uh, visas for workers from abroad. You can't just uh, hire a bunch of uh, Indian doctors when there's a bunch of applicants sitting around in your community who can't get a job. So that's, that's part of it. So once again, um, the, 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 if you want to say the genius of Trump is once again, he's wrong, but he's right. The same way the tariffs against China, they're wrong, but they're right. And shutting down, you know, suspending the issuance of new green cards, an argument could be made that he's right because it's a rotten system we have. Yeah. So the, the talking, speaking about the ban, uh, it actually only applies to people coming from overseas. So if you're already here, um, and you're applying for a green card here, that's a different process. It's called adjustment of status, which isn't important, but basically if you're going from a tourist to a green card because you married a U.S. citizen or from a student to a, a green card holder because, uh, again, usually it's because of marriage. That's fine. That's still going on. But if you're a U.S. citizen, so David, you want to apply for, uh, your mother to come stay with you because you want to care for her and she lives in, uh, you know, Latvia or whatever. Uh, you're allowed to file a family petition for her so she can uh, come through the consulate and, and get a green card. And that's the type of, uh, immigration that he's suspending. That's chained immigration. That's how Melania got her parents in, right? Right. So this ban does have a, a carve out for uh, U.S. citizen or spouses of U.S. citizens, but other family members um, such as, you know, parents or there's actually not that many family 
groups that can come. So chain migration is, is this thing that they say to scare people into thinking, uh, you know, we let in one guy and then because of that, there were 40 other people who came and that's just not how it works. You can only petition for so many people. There's backlogs for certain uh, categories. So like if you wanted to petition for your brother to come from, uh, I don't know why you're from Latvia and my hypothetical, but you just are, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, he'd probably have to wait anywhere from like 10 to 20 years to get his, his green card. So the so, levels are, impl- what, what, the first level is an employment visa. That's the bottom <laughs> rung. What are the rungs to get to citizenship? Yeah. So if you're, if you're coming on a, on a work visa, then yeah, you would go from your work visa to a green card to citizenship. If you're coming as a, a family member, then you enter the United States as a green card holder. And typically the wait time to become a U.S. citizen is five years. Okay. If you get your green card through a U.S. citizen spouse, then it's three. Right. Um, yeah. So during the Obama administration, Zuckerberg and Microsoft, they wanted, what are they, H-1B, what, what, these types of visas? What are those? The, the special specific work visas for specific talents? Yeah, so um, immigration is divided into what they call high skill and low skill work, which I think is a is a you know a legal fiction in a lot of ways. You know, I have degrees, but when I bought a house, I needed one of my clients to come cut the trees because I I have no idea, right? That's yeah. a specific skill. You're an so, essential. You know, you're an essential worker. I'm not. I'm not an essential worker. You're an essential worker. High skilled versus low skilled blurs the differences between essential and non-essential. What right. we it think also, is, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it it erases the the degree of uh, of skill and technical knowledge that's required for a lot of the field jobs. So I think white people have a sense that like you go into the fields and you've got a little wooden basket and you put some apples in it and and that's it. But a lot of my clients are pruning, they're thinning, uh, they're doing mechanical work or other types of things that, you know, you and I, even if we had all the elbow grease in the world, we could never figure out. I mean, we yeah. could probably eventually figure it out, I but couldn't. it would be difficult. So anyhow, um, so, okay, yeah, so you're a doctor. I want I want to stay with doctors and nurses for a few more minutes, just because this is hitting home. We're, this is COVID-19. There's a pandemic. The people we're cheering and rooting for and thanking doesn't necessarily translate into higher salaries, and uh, they may not be welcome here if and when this pandemic ends. So you're a doctor. 25% of all doctors are not citizens of the United States. Can they bring their families with them? So the, um, the, the ban does have a carve out for healthcare workers uh, coming into the United States, but not necessarily for their families. So if you're a doctor who's a permanent resident um, or a green card holder, and again, you want to bring over uh, your brother, maybe the petition's already been filed and he's waited a long time. Now he's ready for his visa interview abroad. Um, he's now barred for at least 60 days. We don't know how long it'll end up being. What about your wife from- and kids? Uh, so wife, yes, is still allowed under the, the ban and minor children of, uh, well, actually, no, sorry, strike that. Um, I think, 
I think the spouses of permanent residents might be barred. Uh, spouses of U.S. citizens are are allowed in, and minor children of U.S. citizens are allowed in. But uh, I don't think so for permanent residents. So, wait, wait, wait. So hang on for one second. So it is conceivable that a doctor can be working here in America. He's working here on an employment visa. Mm-hmm. And he can't bring his wife? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's conceivable. Definitely. But but his if but he could bring his children as long as they're under the age of eighteen. No. So okay, I'm just looking at this because I want to be sure I'm right. So the carve outs include uh, any alien who's the spouse of a United States citizen, but not permanent residents. And and then also uh, children under twenty one of US citizens. So um yeah, the if you're a permanent resident and you've got um a spouse or children abroad or your parents, um, they're temporarily uh, barred from coming to the United States. And before this executive order that Donald Trump issued on Wednesday, what were uh, permanent residents entitled to? Yeah, so a permanent resident uh, can petition for their spouse, uh, their minor children, their adult children uh, who are unmarried, and uh, that's basically it. And for some of those, so for a permanent resident to bring over their adult children, there's a long waiting time. And even bringing over your spouse, your parents, actually, sorry, permanent residents can't petition for their, their parents. Right. Um, and that's after you have an employment visa. If you're on the bottom rung. Right. So if you apply for your you know, you, you come over as a doctor or a nurse, then you get your green card. Then you get your green card after that. Once you have your green card, you could bring over uh, your spouse or your children, essentially, and that's it. Um, and for some of those, but if you have an employment wait. visa, which comes before the green card, you're entitled to nothing. Um, there's. <sighs> There's certain uh, family members you can bring. I think you can bring your spouse and children with an employment visa, um, but then there's restrictions on what they can do, whether or not your spouse right. can work, and things who's like making that. the decision? Are you going before immigration judges or just apparatchiks over at the immigration department? Um, so for cases that are adjudicated abroad, so if you're bringing your mother over. Part of the case is is processed by immigration, and part of the case is processed by the State Department. Um, and the and the and who's making abroad. those? Oh, they're making the decisions at the consulate, right? So first, you yeah, it, it's a big, long, convoluted process. It's not like, and again, that's another one of the myths of chain migration that you just you get a green card and then everyone just shows up at the airport. It's actually anywhere from a year to a two-year-long two process where you file a petition uh, with immigration. They approve it. They, After six months or a year, they forward it to the, the State Department. They ask for more information, more filing fees. Then it goes to the consulate. And at any one of these stages, there's opportunities to have the process stopped or denied. And, uh, and then the consular officer abroad has the final say on whether – you know, your family member. Can what is a counselor officer? What does that mean? Well, it's uh, somebody who works for the State Department who works at the, the consulate abroad and they're, they're performing uh, visa interviews. So there's a big long list. And that's the other thing. There's a big long list of things that can disqualify somebody for 
for coming in with a green card. So just the fact that you're petitioning for them and the petition gets approved doesn't mean that they'll actually be allowed in. Um, if they don't so, like your politics, we still have to ask everybody applying for a green card, whether they're a member of the communist party. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, that's a, a relic of the, uh, the cold war, but it still exists. Um, you can't, you can't run a union in America if you're a member of the communist party. Oh, is that true? Yeah. yeah Taft -Hart, that's the Taft-Hartley. Yeah. There is something that immigration lawyers uh, refer to as uh, Muslim processing time, which is that, uh, you know, in terms of it, it's not a straight political question, but if you're from a Muslim country or you're a Muslim individual, you can expect your case uh, to just take longer um, because, you know, they're going to take forever looking at uh, your social media or um, any ties you might have to people who they think are tied to somebody who's tied to, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, your politics or perceived politics can definitely uh, play a role in, in all of this. Let's talk about your clients, farm workers, seasonal workers. Do they live in America all year round? What, what is the life of the typical seasonal worker who you represent? Do they go back to Central America or Mexico or, or wherever they, where, where do most of them come from first? Most of my clients are from Mexico and not just Mexico, but uh, particular parts of Mexico. And you do see that immigration is very regional. So you, you'll have pockets in maybe Chicago or Minnesota or whatever, where there's people from, you know, large populations from certain places. Um, the way that it used to work is that, uh, you know, undocumented immigrants would sneak into the country, work for a season and go back. They didn't particularly want to live here necessarily permanently. Um, things got so bad in, in Mexico uh, that people stopped wanting to go back, but also the border was militarized and, and closed off uh, starting in the mid-1990s. And Militarized after, by the United States or Mexico? No, by the United States. So, um, you know, after NAFTA, it was a, a predictable result of NAFTA that we'd have more uh, illegal immigration. And so they started to build the, uh, you know, the border walls, uh, they started to have more officers at the border, and they even imposed uh, legal bars for people who've come and gone more than one time. So this is a, a crazy feature of our laws. You can have a farm worker or somebody who's lived here for 30 years, let's say, and they've only departed the United States one time in 2005 to visit, to go to a funeral for their mother. And the fact that they left and came back illegally a second time now bars them from a ever getting a green card. All right. So if you're a, a farmer, you have an industrial yeah. sized farm, who do you hire to do the hiring? It's contracted out to find these workers. Is that how it goes? Yeah. So there are, um, you know, larger farms who bring over temporary agricultural workers and, you know, there's requirements that they have to provide housing and pay a, the prevalent wage, prevailing wage and, and things of that nature. Um, so you can bring over temporary workers, but a lot of the workers they hire are just straight up undocumented. Um, you know, people who don't have papers. So, and, 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 and so there's a contractor who knows where these workers are 
and can round them up and deliver them to the avocado farm. Um, you mean from here, the people living here, or people living abroad? I'm saying that, okay, I'm an avocado farmer in the Central mm-hmm. Valley, California, and it's time to pick the avocados. I have the farm, but I would hire a contractor who would bring in the seasonal workers for me. Yeah, so you would, um, yeah, there's agencies that work with, um, you know, taking applicants from abroad. So if you're in Mexico and you want to apply for one of these visas, you can go through an agency and apply uh, through the consulate, get your visa, come over. And it's all arranged by third parties, not mm-hmm. by the, the farm itself. Um, so, and then otherwise, if you drive around an agricultural area, you'll see signs up everywhere in Spanish and English, but mostly in Spanish saying, you know, help wanted or we need pickers or whatever. But you're not working for the farm. You're working for a contractor. If you're a temporary uh, worker from abroad, who's coming just for the season and going back, yeah. um, I think that the, uh, I think that the farm actually has to pay you. I don't think it's a third party. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what happens when the avocados have been picked? Well, so if you're if you're coming from abroad on on just a temporary visa, it's for a limited amount of time. It's for you know the season, and so once that's all done, you uh, you go back. And I think uh, there's different tools that they can use to, you know, ensure that you go back. They can withhold part of your wage until you depart and, and things like that. And what do we pay? What do we pay the people to pick our avocados? Uh, well, in Washington, we don't have avocados. So it, I don't know for sure. Apples. I know that you're- what, about, what do you pay to pick apples? Yeah. So the actual picking of the apples, um, apples is something where you get paid by the piece. So you get paid depending on how much you pick and you can make decent money. Is there an hourly? Is there an hourly rate? There can be an hourly rate. If you're, uh, for example, uh, pruning or or doing other type of work, which is seasonal, but you know, uh, critical, it's not just, uh, picking the, the window for picking is fairly, um, short. And so, um, I'm not sure what all the different rates are. The, the temporary workers do have to be paid a, a prevailing wage and it's actually pretty good. And sometimes the, the workers we bring from abroad get paid more than the people who are living here. Well, what, uh, what would it be? Work. I mean, would it be above? I'm going to ask you, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed to ask you this question because I don't know. Do they get what we, consider a livable wage like $15 an hour um i I think it's going to depend on the work that they're doing more or less i mean what what is sometimes do we see more do we see less sometimes what do we see yeah so uh my clients during the the height of the season when they're picking and it depends on the crop too. So apples are pretty good. Cherries are pretty good. Uh, they'll make more than minimum wage, but it's again, it's a short window and the money they're making has to last them all year. Um, and then other times, you know, if it's, uh, maintenance work or working around the farm, uh, you know, I've met people who've worked on the same farm for 20 years and they're making 12 bucks an hour. Okay. And, and, and so yeah. they, they've been working on the same farm for 12 years all year round? 
all year round. And a lot of times the farmers will say, well, we provide them housing. So there are, there's different types of farm workers. There's farm workers that live on the farm. They're on call 24 seven. They know everything about the farm. They might even do some of the hiring and, you know, they live on the farm. And even some of those people who the farm depends on to function will make, you know, 12, 12.50 an hour, even though they've, they've worked there, you know, for a really, really long time. And they're given, they're given housing. Are these barracks? I mean, can, what, are, what does it look like the, typically in yeah, Washington? So what you see? Uh, the houses are pretty simple. Um, they're usually right out in the middle of an agricultural area. I had, uh, I was invited to dinner at a client's house once. And it's one of these things where, uh, you drive and you drive and you drive and there's just crops for ever for as far as you can see. And then all of a sudden there's a small little group of these little houses. And they were telling me that, you know, when they're spraying, they're not allowed to like leave the house. And so <laughs> there's other hazards, you know, that, that come along with, uh, living on a farm like that. Uh, just, uh, and how do yeah. you shop for food? How do you eat? How do you, if you get sick, how do you educate your kids? What is their life like? Um, yeah. So, I mean, they have to go into town for, for shopping. Uh, their kids can go to public schools. Um, and if they, they get sick, in terms of getting sick, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever met a farm worker that has health care. Um, here there's farm worker clinics where basically you can get on a payment plan if you need to go to the doctor for something. But, um, you know, I've met lots of people who lost their spouses to um, a weird kind of cancer that they think was probably related to the Roundup that they were spraying and things like that. And uh, there's just no real backstop for these people. Um, they're, what, what, they're cut off. If, what happens if you're married to another farm worker and she gets pregnant? Um, well, then you have a baby, David. That's okay. what happens after that. Usually, okay. Thank. <laughs> no. I just I know that wasn't related to no, no, no. immigration, but well, no, no. So uh, that's a good question, though. Uh, they usually do get access to um, some sort of public health care for. Uh, childbirth, at least in Washington state. And I think that's probably the, the case in most states. Um, and so, and the child that's born will be a U.S. citizen. So, um, yeah. But one thing that's happening right now, like with the, these stimulus checks. Um, so I let's repeat, according, yeah. I think it's in the Constitution. If your parents are in this country and they're undocumented, but they give birth to you, you're an American citizen. Right. And this arose out of, out of, uh, you know, the end of the civil war when they were trying to figure out, you know, what do we do with slaves basically? Like who, right. who's a citizen and who's not? And, and, and then you, and then and, you get your own news show that you have to read the new, you become an anchor baby at the age of like, <laughs> you're like one month right. old and you have to read the news as an anchor. Yeah. Baby. It's it, that part of the constitution was not well thought out, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But, um, on top right, of, we got to wrap it up. I, yeah. I want you to keep coming back. You, you, you're, okay. you're the best. You're the best. You're the best. COVID-19. Uh, what is going on with the detention centers? Give us an update on ice COVID-19 and the detention centers, please. 
Yeah. So I think the last time I came on, I, I mentioned that I had a client who they decided to let out as a matter of discretion because of his um, pre-existing health concerns. And he's, you know, a vulnerable individual. Uh, and then after that, this, the uh, spigot, although it wasn't much of a spigot, the drip uh, came to a complete stop and, and other requests I'd filed for detained clients were simply denied. So they, they did a, some sort of, um, you know, uh, analysis of their detained population, let a, a few individuals out and then have just been saying no. And the disturbing thing is there are more and more cases of COVID-19 in these detention centers and they're just not testing. So I've got a client who's detained in Tacoma at the Northwest Detention Center. He's symptomatic and they're basically just giving people Tylenol. Mm. You can get a test, but you got to be basically dead and five minutes before you die, if all the symptoms are there, all of them, then maybe they'll give you a test and then they'll probably hide the result. <laughs> but um, that's you know, what's going on. And the problem is they're packed in so tight, uh, you know, 12 people to a small room, six people to a small uh, uh, table uh, for eating that uh, it's a real tinderbox once one person gets it. And so, uh, you know, the tragedy has been uh, the, the very nature of immigration detention is that these are people who either have no criminal history or, uh, you know, if they got a DUI or something, they've served their sentence. So the criminal justice system has said, okay, it's okay for you now to return to society. And then immigration swoops in and says, no, not so fast. And so there's almost not, by definition, somebody in immigration custody who's so dangerous that they couldn't just be returned to their community. Right. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, Stephen Robbins hosts... Redirect is an immigration law and perspective podcast, and Stephen has a Patreon account. You should go there. It's uh, patreon.com, I believe it's forward slash redirect. Redirect, yeah. yeah. And you do pro bono work, but if you support Stephen over at Patreon, he can do, do more. Do more, yeah. And, right. Yeah, and how do people follow you on Twitter, Stephen? Yeah, so I'm at Yakima Abogado, which is Spanish for lawyer. So, Thank you. Can you stay awesome. on the line for one quick second? Sure. Thank you. We believe in democracy, not oligarchy. <laughs> Today, we say to the private health insurance companies, whether you like it or not, the United States will join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right. is a human right, not a privilege. And together, we will pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. 
You sad, pathetic hump. Shania Chowdhury joins us. He is running for New York's 5th Congressional District. The primary is June 23rd, and he's going up against the incumbent, Democrat Gregory Meeks. And he joins us as he's traveling throughout Queens, delivering food and toiletries to those in need. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Thank you, David, for having me on. I really do appreciate this time. It's it's uh, you know It's not the greatest of times right now, but... I think that it's important to talk about how we need long-term solutions, uh, you know, beyond what's going on right now. So thanks for having me. Yes. I should mention that Sean Yacht is endorsed by Howie Klein. So if he's endorsed by Howie Klein, that means you have to go to SeanYacht2020.com and contribute if you're an American citizen. If you're listening to us around the world and you're an American citizen, go to shaniat2020.com, S-H-A-N-Y-A-T-2020.com. Let's talk about COVID-19 aid. You're out there on the ground helping people. You're in the epicenter. You're in New York City. Before we talk about people in need, are things getting better? Are the hospitals finding fewer and fewer people coming into the ICUs? According to the governor, that is the case. Um, and I think that social distancing has really helped. But I think that there are still a lot of people who are asymptomatic who may not know that they're sick. And uh, that's something that we do need to really think about how to, you know, really take care of that issue. Because mm-hmm. this, you know, this, this, you know, COVID-19 could last for the whole year, um, technically speaking. Uh, you know, during this pandemic, it's... It's gotten out of hand, but I, I think that um, there needs to be more long-term solutions addressing systemic issues. I think that could really uh, set back a lot of the injustices and problems that we're seeing right now with COVID-19. So you know, I think that right now, because social distancing, it's helped. I think it's stagnant now. It's becoming more stagnant, but there's still a lot of people that still need help. I have Jamaica Hospital, which is five minutes away from where I live, six out of the seven floors are dedicated to COVID-19 patients. So, you know, until that's really uh, decreasing, I think that we should still take this matter seriously as much as possible. Do you think Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, did a good job prepping the the city and the state for the influx of patients? I think he did a lot better job than Trump, but... I, I did don't. a better job than Trump, <laughs> and I haven't done anything. Right. You know, and I think that with Cuomo, he is not the answer either to our problems over here. Um, you know, there, when we look at other issues that, you know, that we need to address, uh, such as incarcerated individuals who are stuck in detention centers right now, um, Cuomo's not addressing that, and the numbers of positive cases in detention centers and jail centers are increasing, but he's not addressing that. Mm-hmm. We still haven't addressed the cancellation of rent. Um, I live in public housing in, in Nigeria, South Jamaica, and, uh, you know, we still have to pay rent. Um, a lot of my other neighbors who also do not live in Nigeria, but they still have to pay rent. Um, and a lot of the times they just 
right now, there's no possible way. Yeah, no feasible what, what is NYCHA? Because so, our listeners don't know what that is. Yeah, so NYCHA, NYCHA is a New York City Public Housing Authority. Essentially, it's a public housing that is um, federally and state-funded. Um, however, because of the... Uh, the outdated infrastructure, there's a lot of mold, lead, um, you know, corruption with the government. Um, they're not really, no one's really taking full accountability for working people that live in these buildings. Yeah. Um, so, you know. This was an ongoing with, problem for de Blasio. It's an ongoing problem. For Mayor de Blasio yeah. before the pandemic. Let's give exactly. a little bit of your backstory. Your parents are from Bangladesh. How old were you when you came to the United States? Uh, so I was I was actually born here in Queens. You were born uh, here in Queens. Did you serve yeah. in the military? Yeah, I did. How yeah, many years so were you in the Marines? I had six years. I was a field radio operator. What does that mean? <laughs> so essentially, a field radio operator is the guy. If you ever seen like any of these war movies, uh, they're the guys that carry the big backpack with the radio on their back. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're usually out there with the grunts with infantry units and. Uh, they do a lot of communications work. So where were you stationed? Where, where, I'm in San Diego. Out in San Diego. Okay. Yeah. And then you went to John Jay. You studied criminal justice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I essentially studied sociology, uh, right. law and society. Uh, got my bachelor's there. And, uh, and then you at went the on, same t- you went, go At the same time, what? Yeah, I mean, uh, as I was finishing up my last year at John Jay, I uh, started working at the New York State Assembly, um, and that's where I pretty much started my political public service career. And you work for AOC. You were a deputy policy director for her? Yeah, I I started as a volunteer, and then I quickly became one of her uh, top staffers and also her deputy uh, policy director where we, um, you know, I was part of the initial research for the Green New Deal. For the Green New Deal. Fantastic. I just want to make sure we're helping you collect supplies for the people of Queens, because you are driving around right now, dropping yeah. off non-perishables, hygiene products, water gloves, hand soap, hand sanitizer to vulnerable folks in our community. The new jobs reports came out this week, a staggering number of people something like 24 million Americans have lost their jobs and they are suffering here in New York city, especially because this it's a ghost town. Yeah. When do you think, and how do you think we turn this economy back on? I think this goes to show how much of a radical transformation we need with this economy. Uh, we can't go back to what was normal because it quite frankly hasn't worked. Um, this is a great example and we've seen history repeat itself. This is just not the only time where we've seen how fragile this economy is. We've seen it happen in 2007. We've seen it happen in Great Depression. Um, and every time it's the working and poor families of America that end up facing the consequences um, and it's really the corporations that continuously are bailed out and we're seeing that happening again. Um, the only way we can move forward from this is to really have a serious conversation about pushing Republicans, Democrats, independents um, to really think about putting an agenda forward for working families. That means making sure that everyone is guaranteed health care because that should be a guaranteed right. Um, you know, as you mentioned, 24 million Americans are unemployed, many of whom were relying on a job-based uh, insurance. Um, and now 
they don't have it, right? They, they don't have a job, so now they don't have health care. Uh, so I don't think even a public option is a solution. So we need to have Medicare for all. Right. Uh, we need to re- really look Well, let, let's at, get to that in a mm-hmm. second because I, I like yeah. all your policies and you're endorsed by Howie Klein. And you want to abolish ICE, and I want to get yeah. to that in a second. I think that's a, a courageous policy, and I agree with you 100%. But would you have voted for the most recent $485 billion coronavirus relief package? No. It was absolutely not enough, and there was too many incentives, uh, you know, for Wall Street. Um, so I would not have voted for it whatsoever until we guaranteed uh, to ensure that working families are the ones who are really benefiting it from it. Because in reality, you know, I'm telling firsthand as someone who is living these working class experiences right now, um, we're not really seeing much of the benefit of it. My father drives Uber, um, you know, so he's part of the gig economy where, he, uh, you know, Uber is not really doing anything for him uh, mm-hmm. to be protected during this time. Um, and he's been trying to claim unemployment benefits for the past three weeks. Um, so the system isn't, it's great. You know, it's great that Cuomo and all these other politicians put out these talking points. Uh, but if there's no infrastructure really to really support these claims, um, then it's not going to work. The New um, York State Unemployment Office uses a computer program, I believe, called Cobalt, dating back to the 50s. Is your father able to get online and fill out the forms for unemployment? Yeah, so here's a crazy thing about um, that, filling out the form online, is that once, it's only partial claim. So once you fill, uh, fill out the request to really apply for unemployment benefits, you need to complete it over the phone. Um, and because, uh, you know, the, the uh, Department of Labor uh, for the state is so backed up, they're unable to meet all these needs, all these requests um, in a timely manner. Um, so right now there really isn't a system that's working right now for people who want, who need, uh, you know, some kind of compensation right now to really keep them afloat during this time. Right. It seems to be these stimuli, it seems to me these stimulus packages are boondoggles that reward the banks. I hear the banks are collecting something like $11 billion in fees. Once again, we're, we're bailing out the banks. You want to legalize marijuana? and you want to revolutionize the criminal justice system, and you want to abolish ICE. Let me just play devil's advocate here for one quick second. The the state's rights people were, you know, Trump is pushing back and saying the states should have been better prepared. Now, I always say Trump should be frog-marched in front of a Hague the whole family, everybody who works in that administration should be locked up for life. They are the worst of the worst. He's the worst president. But that doesn't mean he's not always correct. Sometimes he says things that have a little truth into it. Mario Cuomo's son, Andrew Cuomo, is now the governor. Third term, I believe. Should he have been better prepared for this? That's what Republicans say. That's what Trump says. He he seems to have done a pretty good job. He seems to have done a pretty good job, Andrew Cuomo. But if you're in Rikers Island, you're good chance of you're coming down with COVID nineteen. So he's done a good job for some people, not for the homeless, not for the people in prison. So 
was he prepared for this? Is is he partly to blame for this? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think that when you're not taking, uh, you know, taking account of how much this really affects marginalized people throughout all communities, um, then we're putting these people at risk and we're increasing the chances of this virus spreading. So we can't just, you know, make it work for some. We can't have equitable and equality justice for some. It needs, needs to happen all across the board. Um, but, however, I do think that, um, you know, Trump... Uh, in his account, he's he's very hypocritical in how he uh, addressed coronavirus, and I think that um, you know any any person with some common sense, and I think Cuomo does have more common sense than Trump, um, you know, did what he needed at at the base level of you know of taking care of New Yorkers. Um, you know, I, I think implementing social distancing is the most common sense thing you could do, but obviously. Um, when you're cutting $10 million from hospitals in the, in the New York state budget, that really doesn't help, um, hospital workers. That does not help doctors and nurses and, uh, first responders who need to meet the needs of these patients. And I think that's where, um, the state and Cuomo himself did a terrible job. Yeah. Yeah. You're running against Congressman Gregory Meeks. You're in a deep, 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 dark blue district. Barack Obama got 90% of the vote. In, in your district. How did Hillary do in your district? Well, so in Cause, 26, because, you know, Trump is from, I, I, Trump has some properties in Queens. He's not a complete stranger to the people of Queens. How did he do? Yeah. So Trump, both Trump and Cuomo are actually from my district. Uh, this is their childhood home. Yeah. But, um, in 2016, uh, in, in, in the general, um, Hillary did relatively well, um, you know, because our district is more than 90% Democrats anyways. But in the primary, um, we did see some almost matched up numbers between her and Bernie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we saw that in neighborhoods where Bernie won, in, in the district, uh, Trump ended up winning those districts, um, in the general. Um, and it goes to show how much of a distaste there is for status quo politics. Is and, Gregory Meeks, Congressman Gregory Meeks, is he part of the status quo politics? Oh, he is so entrenched. He's been entrenched for the last 22 years that he's been representing the seat. Um, you know, he Will has he a long debate his, you? Will he debate you? I want to debate him. Um, at the, it's up to him. Um, we, I do want to debate him, but it's really up to him to see if he is courageous enough to really, uh, take me on because he never really had a serious challenger before until up until now. Right. So, um, the ball is in his court and we're pretty much waiting for him. Why are you running against him? So I'm running because I'm just tired of working people being left outside a democratic process. I am someone who is a product of public education and public housing. Um, so I see, uh, you know, these experiences firsthand, how much these policies affect working families. So I think that at a time like this, uh, New York five deserves working class representation. Um, we need to, you know, look ahead, uh, and be revolutionary. We can't go back to what was normal because normalcy has not worked before and it's not working again. Uh, so New York five deserves working class representation. That that's why I'm running. Is he a neoliberal? Does he support, uh, what they call free trade? Does he support, 
drilling and pipelines? Where does he yeah. stand? <laughs> so, uh, you know, he has a nickname on Wall Street. They call him Wall Street's secret weapon. Uh, he is... He, he is a capitalist to his bone. He is not shy about it. Uh, he's someone who bailed out Wall Street in 2007. He takes more than $2, millions, uh, $2 million per cycle from big banks and private equity firms um, who essentially are pricing out working families from the district. Uh, so as long as they're putting money into his pocket, he will push legislation to support their causes. Right. He supported um, the Trans-Pacific Trade Deal. Yes. He's pro-oil. He's been to Azerbaijan. He, I guess he got some gifts from the oil-rich nation, some all-expense-paid yeah. trips overseas. Yeah. yeah, actually. Actually, a few years ago, he was... Um he supported the William, the Williams pipeline, uh, coming into the Rockaways here in, in our district. Um, and up until there were activists who came together, um, to fight against it, he decided to, um, you know, turn his, op- his position around on the situation. Right. Um, and, and I'm someone as well as, a, as an activist, you know, many organizers and I, we, uh, we had to push him. Uh, hard, really hard for days, uh, to finally put his name onto the resolution for the Green New Deal. Um, you know, with the, even with that, I think that we need to really acknowledge that it's a resolution, so it's not a legislation. Um, and the fact that there are Democrats who are conscientious of the fact that climate change is a huge issue, but they may not necessarily agree with the Green New Deal. And I think that is that speaks morally and ethically wrong to what we're trying to really transform in this country. Um, so, you know, I'm someone who had to push on the Green New Deal. And I don't think that uh, we need politicians and elected officials uh, who are just going to, you know, push back on these common sense issues. Um, Is he corrupt? So. Is Gregory Meeks corrupt? Uh, Ten years ago, the New York Times wrote a piece about him saying he has no money in a savings account, and yet he was able to purchase a $1 million home. Uh, it was built by a, a, a developer who was also a campaign con- contributor. Yeah, somehow I mean, he's, he's living been, high on the hog with no money. <laughs> yeah, somehow he's been able to get away with it. And you know, there seems to be a pattern. Every time uh, one of these cases come up, somehow he has no money, um, and the records are gone. So you know, for that reason, he's been able to skate away. But when you're in the seat for so long you learn the system in and out and you're able to skate away. Uh, so, you know, he has history of when Hurricane Katrina happened, he started a relief fund and somehow that money disappeared. Um, He's you know, a lawyer, yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, and to the point, yeah, even with the home, he got it for uh, $400,000 under market value. Um and, you know, with no interest rate or anything like that. So he's been able to just continuously get away with all this injustices. Uh, and no one really called him out on it before up until now. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Talk to me about Medicare for all, why that's necessary. And do we have a chance now? Do we have a chance? Are people seeing the system laid bare and realizing that we can't rely on the the profit motive to save the 44 million people in this country who have no health insurance? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that we do have an opportunity to transform, uh, our, 
in our, our, in our medical industry, um, our healthcare industry, with down ballot races right now. I don't think neither Trump or Biden, uh, obviously neither neither of them support Medicare for all. And that's why we need uh, down ballot candidates to win uh, this cycle. So that way we could uh, be a part of this new, um, you know, this new movement. Uh, and carry it over into the House of Representatives so that way we could continue to push for this. Um, we're getting closer. Every year we're getting closer, and we've got to keep on working for it. Would Bernie have supported you had he had the nomination? I would have hoped so. <laughs> I would have hoped so. Uh, you know, I Bernie is someone who's, uh, you know, he inspired me, um, you know, like, like so many in 2016, 2015, uh, you know, to be a part of this movement. And, you know, we're doing this with or without him. Um, this movement has to carry on because he understood himself that win or lose that this movement needed to continue to go on. How old that are he, you? How old are you? I am. I'm actually turning 28 tomorrow. You're 28 years old. How old was AOC when she got elected? Uh, also 28. Yeah. Did Crowley, she was running against Crowley, who was many consider a bag man for Wall Street, much the same way Gregory Meeks is now considered yeah. a bag man for Wall Street. He did not see AOC coming. It was a complete shock to the system. In fact, Howie Klein said to me, you should interview AOC. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes of my life. And I said, you know, I, I, need, I, I don't have time for pipe dreams. I, I yeah. want people who are really going to win. What does your polling tell us? Are you, are you going to surprise Gregory Meeks on June 23rd? I definitely will. <laughs> I tell you, I, I think that, you know, um, you know, someone like me, I, I like taking the, the underdog um, title just because it's just part of my story as someone who grew up poor. I always have to fight 10 times harder uh, to to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, it's part of my DNA. And, and, and I'm OK with that because um, it makes me work harder. And it also just helps me build my character as, as an individual. And I think. You know, pollings, there has been pollings done by the Queens County Democrats, but they have never released it. Um, and I think that's also interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think that without, you know, this district has a very low voter turnout when it comes to con- congressional primaries. Um, in, in 2016, Meeks won with 8,000 votes. In 2018, he won with 10,000 10, votes. Um, so Out of how many? There are over, I want to say... I want to say there are over 800,000 registered voters and there are 300,000 registered Democrats in the district. So that's about, what, 2 to 3% of the voters. So it shouldn't be that hard to get people to turn out for you, you would think. How are we voting on June 23rd here in New York City? Are we mailing in our ballots or are we going to brave the voting precincts? Yeah, I mean, I think right now it's uh, we need to really take this issue seriously with COVID-19. Um, you know, Cuomo has put out a statement, um, pushing an executive order to send out mailing ballots automatically to every voter. Um, I just don't know when that's going to happen, when people will be receiving these mailing ballots. Uh, and I think that's the, safer way, the safest way to doing so. Um, and, you know, we Cuomo is... Um, predicting that we should be okay to transition out of uh, self-isolation after May 15th. Um, and the election is a month and a week afterwards. Um, Do you so think I'm we'll hope- be able to transition on May 15th out of self-isolation? I'm hoping so. 
Uh, I'm 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 positive. I'm I'm very optimistic um, that we can't. It's going to be a weird adjustment for a lot of families because I think that this is kind of like a shock for so many of us. Um, so it'll definitely take a while to uh, getting back, you know, used to to our regular lifestyle. Is it safe to say that the problem isn't so much contracting COVID nineteen as it is going to a doctor or hospital that's taxed to the brink? In other words, yeah. if you, if you get COVID-19, you want to get it when the hospitals can treat you. That's the, the real issue here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, in it, a funny you mentioned that because I remember when this whole situation broke out, I was speaking to a neighbor of mine. He is a father of three and, um, he was just saying how he felt like he was experiencing symptoms. Um, even though there was testing available, he just couldn't afford the treatment. Um, yeah. So what you know, is the story with that? We're told that nobody will be turned away if they're suffering from COVID-19. Nobody will be denied treatment. There'll be no surprise bills. Is that really true? Uh, from what I've known, that is not true. <laughs> uh, people, you know. So you go in, you think you have symptoms of COVID-19, but it turns out it's, you know, asthma. And they go, yeah. oh, no, you have to pay for this then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the testing is free. Uh, but if it's the treatment and they find that it's anything else, you're obligating, you're obligated to paying that. Uh, well, let's repeat that for a second, because that truly is how craven and sick yeah. this country is. If you're suffering from COVID-19, if you think you have COVID-19 and you go to the doctor, you go into the ER, you better wish you have COVID-19 because if you don't, you're going to get billed for whatever it is that you that mistakenly led you to believe you have COVID-19. So why would you go in and take exactly. that risk? Exactly. And that's, and that's the scary part, right? Because uh, now you're living with the fear of the unknown of whether or not you are, you know, carrying the COVID-19 virus. Um, and if you, you're taking the risk either way. Uh, so, and, and I think that when we continuously have this, this healthcare industry that is built on profiteering off of sick people, then we're never going to get to uh, a, a phase where, you know, working families, working people are, are healthy, are able to stay healthy. Um, it does. It just doesn't make sense that no, in the richest doesn't. country in the world, you know, especially in the richest country in the world, that we rank uh, near thirty seventh, thirty eighth in the world when it comes to health outcomes. It doesn't make sense whatsoever. Let me ask you: You're twenty eight years old. I'm on the ice floe. They're sending me off. It's time for me to say goodbye. Here's what I don't understand: With somebody who's twenty eight, why aren't you declaring? A national rent strike. Why aren't, why aren't you saying we're not paying our taxes? We're not paying our student loans. We're not paying our credit card debt. Why is there nobody just saying, you know, if, if Jeff Bezos doesn't pay taxes, I'm not paying taxes and I'm not paying these credit card bills. Why isn't anybody suggesting that they can't arrest all of you? Yeah. So, and I think that there's a lot of fear 
um, you know, with families. I've worked with organizers right now, uh, here in Queens. Um, I mean, there's a local organization, uh, called Chaya and they focus on the housing population, housing security, especially for predominantly working class South Asians. And, uh, you know, we've definitely had some rent strikes, um, you know, in the past and we've encouraged to do more. We've been encouraging Cuomo to cancel the rent. Um, however, at the same time, a lot of people are, are scared of taking necessary steps to taking that strike because, um, where they live, they're outsourced to these private ent- entities who are, you know, sending them letters, um, and pushing them really harassing them to pay rent. Um, you know, so I think that when you, when you strike fear into families, um, they really don't have a lot of options right now. Yeah. Um, why do they know, allow, why when you own an apartment building, can you call the sheriff? And have them evict your tenants. Why are our police, our taxpayer-funded police, doing the work of landlords evicting people? Yeah, I mean that's what happens uh, when you give so much discretion to the police state. Um, you know, when you give them so much discretion, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna patrol, you know, where they want to patrol, and we know that. Uh, where the money is, you know, when it comes to real estate money, when it comes to, um, you know, they're all tied in together at the end of the day. When you have the police department working with the government, when you have the government working with the real estate industry, they're going to be only watching out for their interests. Um, so the police are going to do what they're being told to do um, rather than doing what's right. Now, the, the big, brave, bold initiative that you have that I truly respect you for and thank you for this You want to abolish ICE. Before you go, I cannot think of a more, other than Medicare for all, I cannot think of a more important issue than abolishing ICE. I think it is the most dangerous arm of our government. Why do you want to abolish ICE? Yeah, I mean, I am, uh, you know, I'm a millennial, so as someone who was, uh, who grew up during the post 9-11 era, we, my family and I, we experienced Islamophobia firsthand. Uh, we faced house insecurity because of it, uh, because we were harassed out of our communities, uh, because of what we believed in. And, uh, you know, as someone who not only comes from an immigrant family, actually went down to the Tijuana border in December of 2018. And this is when the whole caravan situation was going on. Uh, Trump had sent down the military down to the border to ensure that immigrant families were not coming from Central South America into the U.S. And as someone, as a veteran myself, I organized with other veterans to be in the opposition of that, to show that veterans do care about immigration justice. We're just not in one box and care about veteran issues. Uh, it's an intersectional issue. Um, many veterans do come from immigrant families and backgrounds, and a lot of them have been deported. Uh, because they weren't able to get their green card and visa that they were promised uh, initially when they enlisted in the military. So when we went down there, you know, we most most of these families are coming from Central South America, even Africa, and we're hearing these stories. Mass vast majority are women and children, and you know, a lot of them are escaping from the trauma that our our own government has created there uh, for generations, and it, it's a trickle down effect. So they're, you know, they're experiencing the, the bare brunt of it right now. And, uh, when I came back, um, 
I actually called out Congressman Meeks on Twitter, uh, telling him that, hey, I went down the border. This is what I saw. I spoke with families. Can you address this issue? Because you represent the most diverse place in the world. Queens is the most diverse place in the world. And you represent a district which is a uh, majority minority. Um, so have a strong stance on this. And, um, you know, I offered to, like, hey, make sure that immigrant, you know, asylum seekers, uh, make sure that they have health care, make sure that they're, you know, being properly treated, making sure that their human rights were not being violated, and ensure that their asylum cases were being processed um, expeditedly. And um, he just said that we need to create more bed space for them in these detention centers. Mm. Um, you know, and when I think about that, I think about how disingenuous that was and how we also have a detention center five minutes away from where I live. Um, it's the Queen's Detention Facility Complex. It is run by a corporation called the GEO Group, and they detain a lot of immigrants there who are who haven't been convicted of any crimes, um, but they're just locked up in there in these cages, um, awaiting their trial whenever that is, and we're just tearing families apart um, and so giving them COVID nineteen. Right, exactly, exactly, right. and. You know, when we have these corporations partnered up with the government, um, no one's holding them accountable. And that's, you know, that's why I'm running on immigration justice is because, you know, the only way we could dismantle this, uh, you know, systemic oppression is to challenge those who enable it. And Gregory Meeks is one of those enablers. Right, right. Shania Chowdhury, your father drives an Uber. Your mother, yeah. I don't know if she still cleans uh, hotel rooms. You grew up in uh, public housing. After you graduated from high school, you enlisted in the Marine Corps. You don't come from a family of privilege. It would be nice if somebody in Congress has that story. AOC kind of has it, but it would be nice if, I don't know, 99% of the House of Representatives reflected the complexion and economic realities of the 99%, you would think in a democracy we would see our own in Washington, and we most certainly don't. Go to shanyat2020.com. It's spelled S-H-A-N-I-Y-A-T 2020.com. If you're an American citizen, give him money. He's endorsed by Howie Klein, the New York primary is June 23rd. Shanyat is running against the incumbent Congressman Gregory Meeks for the opportunity to represent New York's 5th Congressional District. Just want to point out that we're doing this via Zoom and your, your, your camera was on. You did this interview in your car delivering toiletries, food, and, and uh, soap to people in need. And uh, you're the real deal. You're, you're, Thank you. Yeah, and I hope you come back, and I hope to come visit you in Washington D.C. So Absolutely. thank you, thank you for your uh, your great work. Can you stay on the line for one second? Yeah, of course. How do people follow you on Twitter, Shania? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Shania twenty twenty. Thank you so much. Stay on the line for one second.
tonight, Friday, April 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Zoom. I'm doing office hours. It's our third one. It's where listeners to The David Feldman Show get to meet each other and chat with guests of The David Feldman Show. Professors, authors, journalists, comedians. I don't know who's going to be coming by tonight. It starts at 9 Eastern on Zoom. You don't need to have Zoom. You can dial in. We'll send you a phone number so you can listen in and talk. Go to David Feldman Show. You'll see the Office Hours tab. Click on it, and we'll send you an invite. You don't need Zoom to attend. You can dial in on your cell phone or your landline, and we'll get to talk to one another. We'll meet the listeners. We'll meet professors, authors, journalists, comedians. It's going to be a fun night. I look forward to seeing you tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, Office Hours on Zoom. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the office hours menu. I'll send you an invite. I'll see you tonight. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Let us now go down to Georgia, where Professor Ben Burgess is standing by. He's the author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. He is also a columnist for Jacobin, and he's the debunkinator on the Michael Brooks show, as well as a philosophy professor. We are having a Zoom meeting with listeners who have questions for Professor Ben Burgess, author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. Welcome Emil Guillermo, who is a regular on this show. He's the host of the PETA podcast, and he writes for ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. You wanted to talk to Professor Burgess about his most recent piece in Jacobin. Yeah, I read it. Very fascinating. First of all, David, I just wanted to come here to improve your diversity numbers. And uh, I uh, thought maybe that would be a, a good thing for you to have someone talk about, you know, Cuba, a white person talking about Cuba. That's a good thing, actually, really. I, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. But, you know, I was just wondering, I was hoping that you would extend your comparison, Professor, to all the Spanish-American work countries, like how is the Philippines dealing with the virus? You know, they're kind of like Trump's playbook on authoritarianism, right? You know, God, he wishes he could shoot all those people on Fifth Avenue, you know. Like Duterte. Uh, You're talking about Duterte? Oh, yeah. Well, I just assume that the 26 people who show up here at noon on Zoom on a Thursday all know who Rodrigo Duterte is. But what, what? about that? What about the 26 million people who are listening to this podcast, Emil? Oh, yeah. Most of them know, too. But, okay. you know, but, you know, Trump is one of those people who called Duterte Duarte. Do you, do you remember that when the first time in, in public? Oh, that President Duarte of the Philippines. Anyway, Professor Ben, really, I thought that was Did you just stumble on that cruise ship that, that was able to dock in Cuba or how did, cause it, it wasn't really a well-known, I mean, a lot, there's a lot of things that aren't being reported, right? And as you know, the media is so focused on, you know, on America, right? Mm-hmm. What America does so that, a ship goes into, you know, into Cuba 
that's something that you wouldn't see ordinarily. I mean, yeah, well, and I, and I think the really striking thing about it too is that he was a British ship, right? So they, uh, so the government of of Boris Johnson uh, was was the one that was like calling around, seeing who would take them, uh, and so he he contacted both, you know, sort of reached out to both the United States and Cuba, and you know, this is his close ideological ally, the United States. It's many people pointed out they sort of look like weird versions of each other even. Um, but uh, but obviously the U.S. wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to take it since all of Trump's messaging at that point, well, even still at this point in some ways, but especially then, was about how, you know, he was keeping us safe from the virus by, by keeping everybody out, right, who could possibly bring it into the United States. So, um, so the you know so the U.S. just just didn't do it, right? And um, can you explain to us there was a ship? Yeah. yeah so there was there was a uh, there was a, a British uh, cruise ship that um, where there were uh, confirmed cases on board, and there were also people on board, both guests and staff, who um, weren't confirmed cases, but you know they were showing symptoms and they were in quarantine. Um, and they'd been kind of floating around the Caribbean, being bounced around from port to port, and, and nobody wanted to take them in for obvious reasons. Uh, and uh, then the British government, which, which again, I mean, like, I think it's kind of worth underlining this because because it's really striking, right? This is the this is the government of of Donald Trump's weird broad British doppelganger, you know, Boris Johnson, reached out to. Uh, the United States and also to Cuba to, to try to see if somebody could get the bid. And of course the country that actually did it was Cuba, even though at that point, I believe Cuba only had, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's something like five or 10 confirmed cases on the island. Um, so this, this was going to be more, at least temporarily more than a 100% increase, uh, considerably more, I think that a hundred percent increase and the people who were able to fly, um, you know, who are, who are healthy and, you know, who are able to just fly back to Britain or other home countries uh, immediately were just, were just taken to um, the airport uh, in Havana, right, from the port of Mariel where the ship was docked. Uh, by the way, I've, I've been to that airport. It's, it's really a, um, it's, it's really a weird, like they've, uh, like, um, it's so obvious, you know, that, hasn't been like uh, updated in any way since the seventies, you know. And but, it's, uh, so, yeah, uh, Great Britain. I would assume England has a better relationship with Cuba than the United States. In, the, in this particular respect, they do. Um, but I think the real thing here is that even though, uh, even though they were taking on this risk, right, the people who could not fly back that you know immediately. Uh, were being, you know, taken to be treated in Cuban hospitals. Um, but this is very much along the lines with the behavior of Cuba in the past in many ways that um, that they've consistently done this kind of whole internationalism, right? They've tried to help other people and other countries out. And Israel. how does their health care I, – I, we should mention that um, you in no way – are defending Cuba's literacy program the way oh, Bernie did, no, right? No, no. Okay, I, 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 I is, condemn the strongest possible terms right. there. You, because, to teach people how to read. 
Yeah, you would not. I mean, they're apparently they've been keeping their people literate and reading, and that is not to be praised. How is their health care system compared to, say, the United States? Um, much better. In fact, actually, I mean, look, it's uh, it's worth in the respect that it's hard to bring a lot of medical equipment to Cuba um, because a lot of it's produced in the United States and uh, they've been under uh, embargo for the United States since the Kennedy administration. How is their mortality rate, their life expectancy compared uh, but to the yeah, United States? I mean, life expectancy, infant mortality, I mean, all of those, all of those figures like are, are really, are really striking, right? I mean, like they, they have internationally really good, um, statistics in all of those respects. And one of the things I actually find most striking and most relevant to this discussion, uh, is that one of the big talking points you always hear about Medicare for all is, oh, um, doctors won't work for Medicare rates. So if you have um, if you have any kind of socialized healthcare system, uh, you're to have um, fewer doctors, right? You know, people won't want to become doctors, uh, and of course, this is bullshit in general. Uh, Canada has exactly as many doctors per capita as the United States. Um, the UK has about the same. But the really mo- the most striking thing is that the country, the single country in the world with most doctors per capita is actually Cuba. Mm. I, I remember a few weeks ago uh, seeing a right-wing British uh, journalist uh, say on Twitter uh, that they, Cuba maintains a deliberate oversupply of doctors so they could do these propaganda things for the Cuban state, like sending doctors to Italy to right. help out you know, with coronavirus treatment. Um, and I just love that, the idea that this is like a sinister thing that, you know, that, oh, my God, can you believe that they deliberately have too many doctors? Like, as, right. as you know, at a point when the world is, like, everywhere in the world is struggling with, you know, dealing with this influx of pandemic cases that... Uh, that oh, we the, have a shortage of doctors in America before the pandemic. Of doctors in America, in my and twenty five percent of our doctors are immigrants, uh, not citizens. Yeah. It, well, yeah, I mean, in my home state of Michigan, uh, there's there's such a severe shortage right now because Detroit is such a hotspot for the virus uh, that the governor is, has said, like anybody who's even if you have, uh, you know, no matter where your your medical license is from, even if it's expired, right? Even if you lost it, right? Right. Uh, basically, if you have training as a doctor, they'll suspend all the rules so you can come work there because they're so desperate for people to handle all these cases, right? The entire world is taking unprecedented. Well, not Georgia started tomorrow, but other than that, the entire world is taking unprecedented lockdown measures to try to you know, prevent the spread of the virus precisely because we're so worried that we don't have enough doctors, enough hospital beds, enough ventilators. So, yeah, I mean, let's... Okay, so let's go back to Cuba. We have too many doctors. But let's go back to Cuba. Just for the record, in case yeah. anybody from the NSA yeah. or immigration is listening... Professor Ben Burgess, author of Give Them an Argument Logic for the Left. You did not in any way praise their literacy program. Is that correct? No, I'm very against okay. Uh, right. okay. And Cuba, for the record, is a totalitarian regime. 
that locks up political prisoners. Their, their jails are filled with dissidents and people of color. I mean, it's as an American, I take a front to, to how big their prison populations. I would assume that per capita, they have way more prisoners than, than we do, right? Uh, that would be an interesting assumption. Yeah. I, uh, would I be I, wrong? I, mean, I believe the United States has the highest uh, rate of imprisonment per capita in the, in the entire world. I think there was one point where there was some tiny island nation, not Cuba, that was technically ahead of us, but I think at this point we're number one. Oh, because they ship all their prisoners here to America. That's what Cuba does. <laughs> yeah, the- well, they, uh, they, they did in the Mariana boat lift, yeah. yeah. But, uh, okay, uh, so like- what is your quarrel, Emil, with his – what does this have to do with the Philippines? Let me just say this. You know, Cuba does have more 50 Chevrolets per capita running than any other. <laughs> yeah. The best auto mechanics in the world live in Cuba. Which actually, the thought has struck me more than once that, um, I mean, obviously right now doctors were, but maybe in the future Cuba could send uh, brigades of mechanics to other countries. Yeah. Because they, like, I mean, I I know it's a cliche, but like like every other American who's ever been to Cuba, like one of the first, the things that really hit me, you know, I remember like looking out of the balcony of that hotel and seeing like this, like just parade of like ancient classic cars passing by, thinking, "Oh my God, what are they doing to keep all of these running?" It harkens back to a simpler time, David. Yeah. So no, my, maybe we my, should send Jay Leno there permanently. All right. So, what is your quarrel? Communist, communist cars with uh, coffee. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, no. No what is quarrel. your quarrel with the professor, Emil? You, no, you... I, I liked what he did. I thought the statistics were very uh, telling. The, the numbers of doctors, you know, where were they? Where Cuba ranked in terms of doctors versus the U.S., which he got into. But what about the COVID response? I mean, in general, letting in the 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 lost cruise ship into the you know into Cuba that was nice. But how about? Is their overall response to COVID better than the capitalists, the sinister capitalists here in the United States? Uh, in some ways, it certainly is, yeah. I mean, I think if you were going to fault them for anything, uh, it would be, you know, uh, I think maybe being a little slow, not particularly slower than, than any of the capitalist countries, right? But, like, you know, probably maybe slower than they should have to um, – Shut down the tourist industry. Of course, it's also a very cash-strapped island that really heavily relies on that industry. But uh, but there's certainly at least one uh, respect in which uh, their response has been certainly much better than just to pick a country at random, the United States. Uh, which uh, because in the United States, you know, there's this big controversy about all right, we have the Defense Production Act, which could theoretically be used to mandate, you know, that um, companies produce, you know, uh, medical supplies. Um, And Trump sort of made this gesture and invoked it, or, you know, like a month ago or something, but he hasn't actually used it at all since then. Um, Okay. Well, you know, we have limited time with the... I know we have have limited time, but just to wrap up the point really quickly, right, because it's an important point, right? Uh, Because Cuba... And look, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm enough of an empiricist about economics that I'm, I'm normally totally willing to say, look, I don't know, you know, calculation problems with economic planning. Maybe we need some degree of markets, whatever. But, like, really, this is an amazing advertisement for a planned economy because 
because Cuba has all these nationalized factories, they don't have to go through any of this, right? They do. So like a month ago, uh, they were already having, um, you know, uh, nationalized factories that uh, like normally produce school uniforms, uh, mass produced masks. Uh, so everybody could have one, right. You know, in, in the United States, uh, like at that point you couldn't get a mask for love or money. I mean, like it was, you know, it was just every single commercially sold mask uh, was just unavailable. And, and, and in fact, if anything, the sort of a tier, uh, because we don't have a social democratic approach to the virus is a, is a like a police state approach. It's like, Oh, um, you know, the cops will hassle you in some places, you know, if you're not wearing a mask, but they're certainly not going to give you one. Right. right? right. The government will just give you one. Right. Yeah, but you know, what, what I got from your article was in, in the comparison, the stark comparison between the U.S. and Cuba is that, you know, we we have to corporatize and make things connected to money and to uh, some guys got a benefit from some contract and we lack the compassion that Cuba and their economic system has. And that is to our detriment as a, as a country trying to fight the virus. And that, that came out, it was pretty stark. I thought. Well said. Well said. Thank you, Emil. Emil is the host of the PETA podcast. uh, People for the ethical treatment of animals. That includes humans, I guess, right? Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you know, just like I was thinking about this doctor thing, you know, if there are too many doctors in Cuba, which isn't a bad thing unless they're all named Frankenstein. But, you know, they, the thing is too many doctors can't, I, cause I don't want to bow down to the doctors and say the doctors know everything, right? Right, right, professor. It's not like we're going to put the, well, he is a doctor. Now. Is this Dr. Ben Burt? He's not that. He's kind a of doctor. Person. He intubated <laughs> me. He intubated me once. <laughs> You see that meme, right? The um, the person who's on the ground, you know, they've collapsed, and somebody says, "Is there, you know, a doctor?" And and there's a passerby who says, "I'm a doctor of philosophy," and they say, uh, "Oh, but this man's going to die." And the doctor of philosophy says, "Yeah, we're all going to die." <laughs> okay, all right. We have other questions that people want to ask, and I, and I'm I want to thank the 29 people who showed up today at the last minute. This is pretty incredible it's uh, pretty incredible and if i don't do this properly i apologize but i am getting better at learning how to work zoom which people can come to all our meetings that we hold either via zoom or they can phone in uh, the invitation has all these different hyperlinks if you can figure them out church of what is your you have a question and what is your handle church of uh, it's Church of M.I. with the last name, saying it right. The Church of M.I. saying it right. Exactly. Okay. That must be an Ellis Island name. <laughs> uh, what is no, your I, live in, I, I live in the great state of Georgia. So. Oh, then you must know Professor Ben Burgess. Uh, I know he's a, a recent transplant here. Uh, came at the right time with uh, all these great decisions that our governor is making right now. So, okay. yeah, definitely. Do either one of you um, live in Buckhead? Uh, no, I live in Midtown. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say Buckhead. Go ahead. What is your question, Church? There you go. Um, I have two. One is really simple, really quick. Uh, it's just, uh, you teach logic, correct, uh, Dr. Burgess? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just want to know if this is, uh, this statement is a valid, uh, argument or not. Uh, 
Governor Kemp must be must have horns on his ass because everything coming out of his mouth is bullcrap. Is that a, is that a valid argument? Well, I mean, I don't know that that's the argument. I didn't really hear a premise to conclusion. <laughs> it may be an obvious truth. Okay, good. Um, but really, the more serious question is. Um, you know, a lot of Americans support the major policy initiatives of like Medicare for all and democratic socialist things when asked individually, but there seems to be a lack of coherence when these policies are discussed as part of a larger agenda. So I'm just wondering what the democratic socialist or socialist strategy uh, for long-term acceptance of these policies is um, in the sense that the GOP has been working on it for 40 years to, to, with, you know, their game theory towards um, their strategy. Um, do we have any sort of thing where we're trying to take over state and house Senate seats? Um, do we have law, law school like outreach programs that could create like a socialist society in the same way that they've created a federalist society? Do you, do you know of anything like that happening? Uh, well, the second one, I certainly, I certainly don't know of though. It's a, it's a very good idea. Um, I patent pending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wonder, right? So, um, somebody like, uh, you know, Nathan Robinson at Current Affairs, you know, is a, uh, uh, like he and a lot of the other people who work there are lawyers. So I think you should, you should take this to them. I think they, uh, I think they could maybe found the, uh, the, the socialist society. Um, but look, I think, um, I think that as far as state houses and all that, uh, I mean, there have been some successes in that regard already, right? So, so one, um, standout case, uh, is, uh, Lee Carter in Virginia, uh, who's a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, uh, who is, who not only has a seat in the, uh, the state assembly in but I uh, actually beat a member of the, uh, the Republican leadership. I think he was like the House whip or something. Uh, in the original election, and they were really throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him, like they had, uh, like they literally put out like mailers with like the the Mark singles, Lenin, you know, Mao, you know, uh, I with like Lee Carter's face superimposed right. at the end, uh, and he still won. I think by you know, I believe you know by talking about bread and butter issues and you know convincing you know people that uh, that he could do more um, for their constituents. And, uh, Julius Salazar in New York, I think is another pretty well-known example that, you know, there were a lot of manufactured scandals at the end, but she's a DSA first who won that race. So I think those openings exist. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure that we've really figured out though how to do like a, a generally effective left electoral strategy yet because, um, part of the problem is, is that, uh, we, I don't know, I don't know how much you can really sort of build up like this from these like very low level offices. Maybe you can. I think, you know, it would take an incredibly long time. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff happened actually as part of a spillover effect from Bernie Sanders presidential campaigns. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I wish I had a bad answer to that, uh, but I don't. I think a lot of people are doing a lot of good things electorally, 
But, you know, if, if I had, you know, I really wish I had some grand strategy for, you know, making it all successful. Okay. Professor Ben Burgess is with us, and we, we have a lot of people who I want to get to everybody if I can. Steve Lefevre, how do you pronounce your last name? Lefevre? Lefevre. Lefevre. Yeah. I won't make a joke about the name Steve. Because you see, everybody thought I was going to make a fever joke. What is your question for Professor oh, Ben Burgess, author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left, published by Zero Books? So, Ben, I think your book is a great resource for everyone who's arguing on the Internet against the intellectual dark web. But what I wonder is, um, so maybe we can beat them in arguments, but, uh, you know, folks like uh, Dave Rubin, um, get a lot of artificial funding from billionaires and so forth. So how do we compete and fight more on the, um, you know, that, that sort of broader playing field where they're getting uh, an unfair advantage in terms of funding an audience that, and we have to build that all organically. Thanks. Yeah. Dave Rubin gets money from the Koch brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. That's a good question. Uh, yeah. So, I think that the good news, at least, is that uh, this is a structural disadvantage. Well, the bad news is this is a structural advantage that the right always and everywhere has, right? Like this is this is always going to be the case, right? There's there's always, um, you know, you're not you're not going to get lots of rich people lining up to donate to people who um, who want to take away their money, right? That's 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 just not going to happen. Uh, but the good news is that despite this everywhere and always, uh, being, uh, disadvantage that we have, we do still, you know, we do still sometimes win, right? Like we were talking about Medicare for all earlier, right? There are lots of places where that happened. And in no case was that just uncontroversial, right? I mean, like this, this is always the result of, of prolonged political struggle. But it didn't happen in the United States. Uh, has it happened in the United States yet? Has it happened in any states? Has it, no, I mean, it hasn't happened in the United States, either right. federally or, or in a state. I'm actually not convinced. Um, I mean, I'd love to see it tried. I'd obviously support any attempt to try it at the state level. Right. But um, but I'm, I'm actually not sure that you really could. Uh, and I, I don't want to get into a big sidetrack about this. I know we have a bunch of other questions to get to, but just right. uh, just really quickly on that point, right? So um, because – like people, right wingers will often bring up, like uh, you know, Vermont tried to do single payer, and you know, and they didn't succeed. Uh, and they didn't try; they stopped I, before they tried. Yeah, well, there there are actually two points there, right? One, uh, they never they never actually tried to implement the program; they they, they considered it, right? That they backed right. off. Uh, two the program they're trying to implement was single payer. This I went into that. Actually, not sure a state government could get away with single payers in strict sense because that would mean that you were that you were legally prohibited insurance companies from doing business in your state. Right. Otherwise, you've got a option, not a single payer system. And uh, I suspect that that would be an interstate uh, commerce clause problem, or at the very least. So loop back to the question about the Federalist Society judges that the courts would interpret it as interstate commerce, you know, right. a violation. So I think we might have to do it federally. Okay, we have two more questions, and I, I do want to keep this. I'd like yeah. to do thirty minutes here, so people want to come back. This is really 
interesting. Captain Spaulding, you have a question. Thank you, Steve, for that question. Captain Spaulding. And then Connor is next. All right, let's go to Connor, and we'll come back to Captain Spaulding when he can unmute himself. <clears throat> or maybe Hello, can... how you doing, uh, Professor? We should mention um, that Connor has a black belt. <laughs> yes, uh, my official title is Master. So, you know, you guys like the comedian, professor. And how master. old are you? 26. Okay. Go ahead, <clears throat> Master. Um, <laughs> so Democrats largely largely celebrated the CARES Act. They feel like they got all they wanted in the negotiations. Pretty much uh, it was only like Bernie who was really fighting against the Republicans um, who were trying to stop the unemployment part. And then AOC kind of put up a, um, a good statement on the House floor. But for the most part, they all seemed like, oh, we got everything we wanted. We're going to take care of everybody. We have all this money for small business, unemployment, blah, 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 blah. But now that it's been a long time, stimulus checks took forever to come out. All the small business fund has been sucked dry by large corporations. Yet we don't really hear anything from the Democratic leadership who was celebrating this big victory of how, you know, we bullied the Republicans. We got everything we wanted. But now where's the results and where's the pressure put on the government now? It's kind of not really a great uh, you want to no, respond no, to no. that, Professor? I just uh, Connor has a black belt, so be careful. <laughs> just don't don't. Can I just say something, Connor? Uh, yes, Connor. Uh, you you came to the Zoom meeting Friday last Friday. Yes, I just want to punch you in the face. Um, you're you have not a the punchable face. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he teaches. What do you teach? Taekwondo. Taekwondo. Okay. Uh, what is you want to respond to that, Professor? Yeah. Uh, so I think that, uh, I mean, I think, you know, Bernie, um, did what he could there realistically, since, as you say, there was this, um, you know, there was this bipartisan consensus behind it. Um, and, you know, I guess he could have like made the gesture of voting against it, but I think that he sort of used what 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 leverage he had pretty effectively by by saying, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna block it if you give in to what these other people are demanding. Right, right. About the unemployment, and you know, I think that was that was well played, and and literally all that could be done in that right. that stance. But obviously, this is this is ludicrously inadequate. I mean, you know, uh, that like, I, and I think that it's dangerously inadequate. And uh, I actually just finished writing something for Jack a bit about the uh, anti-lockdown protests. And I think this is really worth underlining the connection here, because even if right now it's a minority of the population that's supporting the, the anti-lockdown protests, like in uh, Michigan, for example, uh, which is where one of the most prominent ones uh, happened, um, there was, uh, the, you know, I think it's like something like 71% of people. Right. It's, it's been ginned up by a bunch of gun nuts, basically, yeah. who are being funded by the DeVos family. This, I'm going to be, this, I'm going to, let me this, commandeer this this. This, this, this. this is true, but I, I'm just going to filibuster here because I really want to say this. I wouldn't count on that last thing for long if we don't get much more serious forms of government assistance. Uh, you, you broke up. I'm sorry. What? I wouldn't count on what? Wouldn't count 
on it only being a minority that wants to lift these measures for long if we don't get some much more serious form of government assistance because the longer it drags on, the more people are going to see the appeal of herd well, immunity. Well, I, I don't want to get sick, but I, yeah. I, I can't. I've got to pay my rent. I've, I've got to right, make. Right, I've right. got to pay my bills. Right. You know, we've got to do something. So we're right. going to have the necessary public health measures. The and argument. I, I, I want to keep this moving. I don't want to. I don't want to mean to. I don't mean to be rude, Professor, because I'm honored that you're here. So uh, I'll just take it out. Okay. Uh, does that answer your question, Master? Um, I think yes, I, it does. It I'm going to mute you, I'm Connor. Like, okay. <laughs> Don't make me. Con- I will kick your face in, Connor. Don't get me angry. Connor, I think lives in Maryland. If I'm memory is that correct? Yes, you're lucky. Oh, you are so lucky <laughs> that I can't travel right now. Uh, let Let's uh, mute uh, Connor, and I think I'm going to unmute. Captain Spaulding, we have limited time, and I want to get to everybody. We're, we're running over. So very quickly, Captain Spaulding. Okay, now this was the thing I heard several years ago, that one of Cuba's major exports was medical doctors. Mm-hmm. Great question. Yes? Is, is that a question or a statement? It's a, it's a question. Is that true? Uh, well, I mean, I think strictly speaking, their their big you know exports are uh, are sugar and tobacco. But it is true that uh, that they've that they have sent uh, medical missions all around the world. Uh, right now, there are Cuban doctors uh, in Italy as well as well as several other countries fighting the coronavirus. This is they did the same kind of thing uh, with uh, with Ebola. Uh, several years back uh, in Africa, uh, and and in fact, one of my favorite examples, they offered uh, to send medical professionals and uh, and various forms of aid to the United States after Hurricane Katrina, and of course, the Bush administration turned them down. I'm sorry, Is the Bush administration doctor? turned them down. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, th- good. Good question. Let us now go to. Adon Marcel. Let me unmute you. There we go. No. Hey, Adon. Hey, guys. Hey, hey Adon. Uh, my question was, I think, like, the disinformation that we're living in currently, I mean, a, a large segment of people I know believe in the 5G and the and the whole ID 2020 and the Bill Gates thing. I'm thinking more, what are we going to do to pass these policies amongst a growing amount of people that just don't believe whatever goes on on the media. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I, I think that, um, that one that part of the, you know, I mean, obviously I don't have a, a magical solution and get people to stop believing in conspiracy theories, but, uh, but at least part of the, the solution here is to take seriously some of people, some of the motive things that motivate people to do that, right? So, like, if, if you don't have a a structural explanation for uh, for a lot of what's what's going on, uh, it's easy to kind of latch on to to these conspiratorial explanations, right? Like, if if uh, like some of the some of the underlying motive is not entirely wrong, right? That I mean, obviously the details of 
you know, is the 5G and all this stuff. Or, for, for, for our listeners, a lot of people believe, too many people believe that COVID-19 is caused by 5G. And, and, uh, and obviously that's insane, um, but I well, think... It's, it's insane. It's insane for us, but... Yeah, well, but, not, but, but a lot of, a lot of people actually believe it now. Yeah, and, 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 and let's, let, let, let me just point out that a lot of people thought it was insane to say that brain tumors were caused by cell phones, and now we're discovering yep. that Rosie O'Donnell wasn't insane. The, the problem is, as Ben Burgess... <laughs> well, she might have been insane, but she wasn't wrong. Right, but people did at the time think she was insane. I, I let, let's move on because uh, I want to. Yeah, so 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 so, so, just, so just real quick, Rato. Like I think that um, that that like you can you can argue with people about the details of these things, and you know the people who are most obsessed with it are never going to come around. But um, that if you take seriously the legitimate instincts that people have, that a lot of the, the major media is not entirely trustworthy and that, um, and that a lot of people making decisions don't have their best interests at heart, uh, and you give them a more comprehensive structural explanation of a lot of the problems they're experiencing, I think that could be a much more convincing alternative to conspiracy theories than just, than just telling them stop being crazy. Yeah, and I think you said structural problems. I think the answer is listening to more professors, credentialed authorities like Dr. Ben Burgess. That's what our news media needs to be doing, is interviewing people who have been vetted by institutions. Dr. Ben Burgess is more trustworthy than some, you know, Stephen Moore from the Club for Growth, who's being paid by the Koch brothers to lower our taxes. That is the, the journalistic malfeasance that's taking place. I, I think people should primarily get their news and information from comedians. That's, uh, you know. Can uh, I say one thing, David? Yes, I do. For example, uh, Bill Gates giving information about science and how this coronavirus came about and is. Who elected his Bill Gates? Who exactly. the F is Bill Gates? Exactly. And and exactly. that's the other side. This is what's so demonic about our system. Instead of asking Bernie or even Joe effing Biden what we should be doing, they turn to Bill Gates, another plutocrat, another oligarch, as though that's the other side of the story. So, yes, we'll, we'll, that's a great point about Bill Gates. And I should shut up if I'm trying to keep this moving. Uh, but that's a great question. Let us now go to Joel Gillespie. How are you on time, Professor? I'm fine. I can keep going. Okay. Thank you. You're being very generous. Thank you. Joel? Uh, hi, Professor. Thank you for your time. Um, my question is, the, what are the ethical obligations for a Bernie supporter to vote for Biden, particularly in a swing state? Yeah. Um, so Let me just say something. We have a poll in progress of all the attendees, and I'm going to end the poll in about a minute. One of the questions is, this November, I'm voting for Biden, Trump, I'm writing in Bernie, or I'm staying home. And uh, I'm going to end the poll in about two minutes, and then, Professor Burgess, I'll ask you, of the attendees, what percentage uh, are going to vote for uh, Biden or Trump? So go ahead, please. All right. Uh, so... 
I know I know I'm supposed to be quick here, but but I really I really do want to say that I think you have to say a couple things at the same time uh, because I I think that a lot of people, Democratic partisans, the media are making a huge mistake here by going around like yelling at people for for even considering not voting for Biden and telling them that they're they're privileged and they're idiots and they're purists. And I don't think that that's a good way to persuade anybody. Uh, I think that I think that any normal human being is going to react very badly to that approach. Um, and and I'm not in the business of, of making myself part of that sort of like campaign to corral people, yell at them. But if anybody asks for my tactical advice, which is what I take it you just did, I'll give it. Yes. Uh, and that is that if you live. In a swing state, if you if you live in uh, if you live in New York, do whatever the hell you want at the top of your ballot. It could not possibly matter less. It's a symbolic gesture, one way or the other. But if you live in a swing state, what you want to think about is all right. Uh, Donald Trump is obviously our enemy. Joe Biden is obviously our enemy. He had. I'm I'm not going to waste any of our precious time reciting uh, his gruesome record. I, I take it that everybody here knows that. And uh, and if you anybody's listening don't doesn't know it just listen to some other episodes of the show, um, but even though they're both our enemy, we can still make a strategic choice about which kind of enemy we want to be fighting about what kinds of issues for the next four years. So Joe Biden is a piece of shit, but. He's not going to appoint people to the uh, National Labor Relations Board or to the courts who are going to aggressively try to wipe out what's left of collective bargaining in American workplaces. Um, so he's going to try to prop up a very unjust status quo that we obviously have to fight against. But I think we could, we could still decide that we would rather fight an aggressive battle against a pain dying, discredited neoliberalism than fight a defensive battle against a confident, resurgent, aggressive, right-wing reactionary populist program a la Trump. Uh, and and, and I, 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 think that, I think that you want to pick the neoliberal centrist enemy fight for the next four years, right. not a uh, borderline white nationalist enemy. Yeah, that, and, and Professor Harvey J.K. on Tuesday's show kind of said the same thing last question and uh it's from that was joel who asked that question correct joel yes nicholas yes, that was mine thank okay. you thank you joel. Thanks, joel and nicholas is has the last question and i will unmute you hey joel but uh, nicholas nicholas did i you know what i screwed yes. up i i think i I'm sorry. I oh Nicholas. Oh, I I, I just unmuted. Uh, I was able to unmute. Okay. Um, where, where are you calling so. from, Nicholas? I'm calling from Los Angeles. I'm sorry. Where are you uh, zooming from? Oh, my apartment. From Los Angeles. My apartment I, in Los Angeles. Okay. What is your question for Professor Ben Burgess, author? Give them an argument logic for the left. So my argument, uh, my question is. Um, like, you know, some of the great questions have already been asked in terms of like the CARES Act and the inadequacy of that. 
Um, you know, there was already the $1.5 trillion that was appropriated to many large Wall Street firms, yet people still continue to use the stupid question, oh, well, how are you going to pay for it for anything like single-payer or canceling student debt or expanding Social Security? And I always have a lot of different ways of going about it, but I'll still hear it. I'm like, what's the best way to, like, try to get someone to get out of that? Well, you're not going to make them change their mind, but what's like the best answer? Cause I can go into like a really long answer, but yeah, but we're, know, we're, people let, are just going to glaze over. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically, yeah. What is a good simple like argument against? Sure. That? Sure. So, right. so on, on the specific example of single payer, uh, I, I think that the, uh, um, I, I think that like that one is an incredibly simple answer, which is that, we're already paying for healthcare. We'll pay less for that. Right? It's, it's a more efficient way of paying for it that we all pool together our money and we don't have these parasitical middlemen, uh, insurance companies taking a cut, right? So that's cheaper. As far as everything that, that we should be doing, uh, as far as the coronavirus pandemic goes, um, like, uh, well, like Spain did when they nationalized all of their hospitals and they're also moving towards a universal basic income. Um, this is post-COVID. Post-COVID, yeah. They did this stuff in response to COVID. Wow. Um, the, or like Taiwan, where I just saw yesterday, the Ministry of Health is, is mailing everybody masks, right? Uh, as, as far as stuff like that, uh, I think a concise answer would be that that would be approximately the equivalent of on December 8th, 1941, saying, okay, I understand why you think we need to, um, you know, like we need to respond to the, the Japanese attack and, and, and build up the Navy and all this stuff, but I don't know, man. How are you going to pay for it? Right. We always <laughs> seem to have money to uh, to do that, don't we? Well, uh Professor Ben Burgess is the author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. He is also a columnist for Jacobin. You can see him doing the debunk on the Michael Brooks show every Tuesday night. And I want to turn the tables on the professor and end the poll. And after fielding questions from these brilliant, we had about 28 attendees. They came in at the last minute, all of whom are brilliant and they asked insightful, incisive questions, and uh, it is truly uh, humbling to do this. This is this is a way to. Well, anyway, let me turn the tables on the professor. After listening to the attendees, I want to quiz you on how they answered the poll. Okay. Are you there, uh, Professor? Yeah, I'm here. I mean, at least, let's see. I, uh, uh, so I, at least one of, I think the most recent questioner said he lived in California. So, uh, so I, I actually kind of hope that he's just gonna, you know. Well, let me read like, you the questions. Let me read you. Bernie Sanders or something, but sure. Go let for me it. read you question number one. Do you have time? Cause I, I yeah, yeah, go for it. Go okay. For thank it. you. This November, yeah. I'm voting for Biden, Trump, writing in Bernie. Staying at home. What percentage of the attendees do you think are voting for Biden? What percentage are voting for Trump? Who's writing in Bernie? Who's staying home? This is interesting. 
How the hell should I? Fifty percent are voting for Biden. Four percent for Trump. That's one. We have one person voting for Trump. Thirty-eight percent. Nine are writing in Bernie. Two are staying home. This is an interesting question. I know people are, and I wrote this because I read an article about this. I know people are dying and suffering, but Mm. since this pandemic started, I feel less, not more, anxious and depressed. True or false? Uh, 90% true. uh, The other 10% are lying. Yeah. (laughs) Wait a second. You you think that 90% feel less oh sorry less less other way around then okay yeah 25 percent say they feel uh less anxious and depressed 75 percent uh but that's kind of there is a phenomenon of because of our system our economic system a lot of people aren't going to work and they feel better yeah that's, uh, that's true that's true i mean i I mean, it's it's. I think it's a mixed bag, even for a lot of people in that circumstance. But yeah, right. They all voted for Obama. Uh, well, two uh, two people stayed home in 2012. Yeah. By the way, I would hope that everybody. I mean, unless something dramatic changes between now and November, uh, which it might, but I'm not optimistic. Uh, I kind of hope everybody stays home, but you should still mail it a ballot. Right. That's a great point. That's right. That's right. Had Hillary been elected, this pandemic would have been stopped dead in its track. True tracks, true or false? 17% think Hillary would have stopped this pandemic dead in its track. 83% think that's false. And finally, I, I, go ahead, I, I, I'm sorry. See, at least according to some models, uh, that if we'd, if we'd started the shelter-in-place efforts um, even a week earlier, that 60% of the U.S. deaths would have been avoided. And so I don't think much of Hillary Clinton, but I, I think that in that sense, maybe it's true that, like, I don't know that you want to call that stopped instead of its tracks, but that, um, but I, I do think that, like, possibly with, with Hillary Clinton or whatever, Mitt Romney in there, possibly we, we would have stopped, we would have started doing this stuff a week earlier. That Could you imagine seem- Barack Obama saying he wants to shut down the economy? Yeah, I mean, in that sense, we dodged a bullet because if Hillary Clinton had uh, had, had said uh, had had said that we would probably be in the middle of a civil insurrection right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. There's no way Barack Obama or Hillary could have shut down the economy. And this is the last question, and I want you to try to guess how your your listeners responded. Everything sure. that is happening is the result of a class struggle that we are losing. How many said true and how many said false? What percentage? Uh, let's see. How many, how many total people took the poll? Uh, 24, 26. 24. Well, I guess there was one Trump voter in there. So 23, yes, uh, one no. I'm sorry, say that again. You broke up. Uh, so 23, yes, one no, because there was that one Trump voter. 83% said true. 17% said false. 20 said true. 4 said false. Let me share the results. Let me first thank the people who showed up for this seminar here at Feldman University, FU. And I want to announce that Professor Ben Burgess now has tenure at FU. Congratulations. At FU, I do. <laughs> at FU, you do. You have tenure here, and uh, which means you have to cut me a check. We, sure. The only way our professors get tenure here is they have to pay the provost. 
and the chancellor. That would be David Feldman. I want to thank everybody for showing up. This is really interesting. It's one of the few bright spots in this increasingly toxic time we're living in. Professor Ben Burgess is a columnist for Jacobin. He is the debunkinator on the Michael Brooks Show every Tuesday night. And he is a author. He's currently writing a new book, but his latest is Give Them an Argument, Logic well, for the Left. Go ahead, and I should mention your Patreon account. If you would like the good professor's essays delivered directly to your inbox about twice a week, go to patreon.com forward slash Ben Burgess and follow Ben Burgess on Twitter. Did you want yeah. to add something, Professor? Yeah, so that's not going to be the most recent book for long because uh, a book, well, I didn't write by myself, but I I, I wrote some with three co-authors, uh, is coming out tomorrow. Uh, that is Myth and Mayhem, a Leftist Critique of Jordan Peterson, uh, which has um, which has a chapter by me, which I kind of think of as the missing Jordan Peterson chapter from Give Them an Argument. And it also has contributions from uh, Matt McManus, uh, Marion Trejo, and Conrad Hamilton, and an introduction by Slavoj Žižek. Wow. Uh, wow. So uh, that is coming out tomorrow. And if anybody has not had their fill of, uh, of Zoom Q&As uh, lately, um, tomorrow night at, uh, at 6 um, Eastern, uh, from 6 to 8 Eastern, there's going to be an online book launch Q&A thing for that with, with me and the other people. How do uh, people sign up for that? Uh, there is – why don't we just put a link in the description for this episode? Okay. It's coming and out tomorrow, right? Great. Uh, this is coming out Friday, yes. Yeah. All right. Works. Okay. Everybody, thank you so much for doing this. Everybody, stay on the line. All right, Bob. Bob Saget is joining us. We're having some technical difficulties. Yeah, the wire is wrapped around my penis. I, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> this is reminiscent of uh, your birth. Wasn't the wire wrapped around your penis when yep, you were born? That's also. I wrote a song about it. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, everything's musical to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my mother played music inside the womb. It was mostly Tom Jones. Um, <laughs> And it was what's new, uh, Pussycat. And, uh, it was incredibly, uh, misogynistic. I, I felt bad about my birth. Um, yeah. I feel pretty guilty about my birth. <laughs> so horrible about my birth. Well, before we start, cause we, we're, we're not officially starting the interview, but you had told me once that you were born with, with, with the umbilical cord wrapped around your penis. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, what else do you do? Oh, you did it while you were in the womb. Yes, I put it in a chokehold. And I was wrestling. <laughs> it was like WWF. I, I just, uh, I couldn't take the pressure of, of being a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many other things I wanted to do. <laughs> How much uh, do you so remember? Many options as a, as a mammal. 
How much, how much do you remember of being in your mother's womb? Uh, well, you mean later in life? <laughs> <laughs> you know we're going. This will take this. I can take your show clean off. It'll never be on again. If we no, no, no. Hang on. Path. Hang on. I'm not talking. You were born again. You had a, a religious experience and you were, you were, you became born again with your mother. <laughs> Is that correct? What? No. Well, you, I don't know. You told me you were born again. Like, no, I never. Oh, oh, you're saying that I I went back in and then came back out years later. As a, as a religious experience, I wasn't. Well, I wouldn't call it religious. I went back a lot. So <laughs> I, I, what you were know, you? but that's. We're talking about my mom. You know, this is kind of rude. I mean, you know, she's no longer with us. Um, Where'd she go? She left us for an, she left us for another family. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> she's somewhere. She's somewhere out in the ethos saying, Bobby, please don't fuck up this podcast. Because <laughs> everyone has a podcast. My UPS driver came by and asked me if I'd be on his. <laughs> And then we, uh, he got me in a chokehold. I thought I was being born again. <laughs> he mailed me to my mom's old condo. I was like, dude, this is like pointless. Yeah. Yeah. She's gone. Yeah. No forwarding address. You know, uh, once my mom left, I, I didn't think she'd be coming back. They talk about that. But she says she was going to come back as a dove. Mm-hmm. Um, and that scared me. Uh, and I did stand up about it like a talking dove. That's my mother would be a nightmare. It'd be like right. a Jewish Disney movie, which is we'll never see. Right. Like Herbie, <laughs> the talking love. Yeah. Bubby. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah. Her the love was the love. Book. Yeah. The love book was Disney. So yeah, that, the but that wasn't a Jewish, uh, Volkswagen. How can you have a Jewish Volkswagen? I think it was made by. Some Jewish slaves. They weren't slaves. They were too busy, and you know they were, they were being persecuted. It's hard to. Well, maybe that's slavery, but I don't think in Germany, when the Volkswagen came out, I don't think. Uh, I think we should try a different line of uh, questioning. <laughs> well, I know I, I have my rabbi here, and he says that the Volkswagen was manufactured during World War II, and according to Jewish law. If a Volkswagen right. is manufactured by Jewish slaves, then uh, it is a Jewish Volkswagen. Then, then we sit, we sit reclining. <laughs> so I'm your very confused. So your mother came back as a dove. She that was the bit that I was doing in oh. the stand up, but she did tell me in the hospice room that she was going to come back as a dove because she was looking at a bar of dove soap. So she, the, the the joke in my last stand-up special is she was doing death improv, which is not, <laughs> and the, which is funny to you, but it wasn't when I did it special. By the That's way, why I love you. A, a That's lot why of, we're friends. A lot of Hitler's uh, victims came back as Dove soap, but we don't want to talk about that. That's nasty. I apologize. No, it's terrible. It's it horrible. Is. It is. Um, we, so and Volkswagen, I think, made lamps at the time. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes. 
They did make. You know what it is? We're living through such a horrible time that we're reminded of other horrible times. And then you you go through Passover and Easter, and no matter what your faith is, if you're in that line of uh, the year, you go like, wow, this is all about suffering of human beings and what they've been through. And now we're living that right now this is you know everyone says i can't remember this ever happening in my life and that's 12 year olds um but but older people have never norman lear is a friend of mine which i say as much as i can and Mm -hmm. he's 97 and he's never seen this nobody's ever seen this this is i thought it was cloverfield i thought giant spiders were just going to be on buildings and just eat people and and smash stuff but it's not it's um it's what it is, and it's going to take a while. But this doesn't change our relationship. Yeah, much. hang on I mean, for one second. Other... Hang on for one second. Norman Lear yeah. is how old? 97. Okay, and he says he's never seen anything as horrible as this. If I'm not mistaken, on the set of All in the Family, he once walked in on Rob Reiner and Penny Marshall doing it. That's possible. So maybe that's the worst thing that you can see. Maybe you're right. <laughs> I mean, Norman Lear, he served in World is, War II. He's a genius. He's a genius. He served in World War II, the Great Depression. Yes, he, yes, he did. It wasn't great. I don't know why people always say that. <laughs> it, was, it was the horrible depression, and this is a horrific <laughs> pandemic. I'm curious as to why you're only in one ear of my headset. And I'm, I'm in only in one. I agree with you. I'm only in one ear. Something is screwed up. I agree with you. But we'll 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 switch it. We'll fix it in post. As, uh, as you want to do that, or do you want me to? You want to take a quick break and no. then I call you back? No on Facetime audio. No, no. I bet no. if I called you back, it would work. No, it's it's going. It's it's going well. Okay, then I'll leave it. Yeah, I saw the uh, roof of your place for a moment. The roof, I just, yes. Uh, I, hit, I hit camera. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see my. I saw the roof of your mouth. Well, you've um, also you've also felt it. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, I felt the roof of your mouth, but not with my hands. No, um, no. You would uh, slather peanut butter on. Well, we don't need to go. We don't need. Why are we doing No, that? actually, well, I don't know. I don't know because it's a tough time and it, we get silly and go into nonsense and pain uh, to deal with the fact that we are. I know people that are that have almost died and I, everybody knows between you and me, I would assume you have people that you know that have lost somebody to this, correct? Yes, you're talking, about, you're, talking about po- you're talking about podcasting. I'm talking about podcasts in general because yeah. I just started one and I didn't realize what it's like to do one. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to people. And like I like today, my second episode came out and I'm excited about it where I actually call people. They leave a number uh, of themselves and uh, what they want to talk about. And I call them and I announce it on Twitter and Instagram. I'll be calling you tomorrow. Or I'll be calling you today, depending on how I do it, and I'll talk for four hours tomorrow to different people and make a couple shows and hear where they're at. And I love it because, you know, I like talking to people. And even when I'm doing stand-up, I enjoy it. I don't spend my life, uh, my whole stand-up set 
doing that. Some people go, all he did was talk to the audience. And those are the two people I listened to, not the 2,000 that loved it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got problem. we have problems. You know, we, we only dwell on the people that uh, didn't, uh, you know, it's the guy with his arms folded in the front row while everyone else is having a good time. We don't realize he's just a douche. Right. <laughs> right. Which is vinegar and water, which I'm <laughs> I'm literally doing material for my show. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Because so, I can't go out for a while. I mean, I can't, we can't tour, can't do any of that. What is the name of your podcast? How do people find it? This is exciting. I, I it saw, actually is. Go ahead. Well, I'm excited because I saw that you were doing a podcast, and I don't know why you haven't done one for the past 10 years. I, I well, know. because every the, the kid across the street's doing one, so I but, figured maybe I'll lay low. Yeah, but the kid across the street isn't as talented. I mean, Bob Saget should be doing a podcast. You haven't seen what he can do with a cherry stem. <laughs> All right. These are jokes. These are jokes we can't do anymore. But we are. Oh, I disagree, Mr. Bob Saget. I think you're that- saying this is the time. I think that the politically correct movement is over in terms of audience members taking umbrage for people other than themselves. There's this phenomenon, you know, of and I'll shut up, but I do think that you get hissed and you get booed in a comedy club because some privileged person is trying to protect somebody they've never met. Now that there's a pandemic, everybody is game. And they understand, as you pointed out earlier, gallows humor. I think you can make any kind of joke now. I think. Well, the- it, you you can't about you, you know with nine eleven we we could not. And and I still don't. refresh my memory. You know, what still, was that? Hand what? Did you go when, when you have to call it. When you have to call an emergency, you just dial nine one one. Oh, I see. Um, but I I you couldn't do it. That but there would be no movie. The Aristocrats had Gilbert Gottfried not done you know that joke during after he did a 9-11 joke Mm because tragedy plus time it'll always be too soon for that to me this is also too soon because i know someone that was almost on a ventilator and then almost died and i know a couple people that are you know uh, that have lost people by the way too soon too soon is the name of the first person ever to get COVID 19 too soon oh that oh that's funny <laughs> Actually, what's what's uh, hilarious is uh, not at all is what George Wallace posted, who I love and mm-hmm. been a friend of for many years. Very funny comedian, yes, of course. And he said he was very upset at first when they found out that it was in a before they thought found out it was in a lab. It was just from the wet market and the bats. And and his comment was, you know, what about all those great bat recipes? I don't get to take advantage of anymore, <laughs> you know. Like then he starts li- listing them, like uh-huh. bubba gum shrimp, you know, like uh, you know butterflies sautéed. And uh-huh. then he, he names different ways to cook bat. And then he goes and whatnot. And then yeah. that's that's what got me the whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I understand the wet markets are back, but. I, I don't know because we don't have that here. Um, well, I, but I know that we do. Actually. Most markets I go into are wet now because <laughs> I'm I'm urinating. I go, and I'm I have drainage and I'm spotting, and I 
I haven't had a solid stool in three months. So. <laughs> I'm doing that purposely in case uh, the police can't find me. They just follow the trail of my poo. Oh, uh, we can't discuss poo. I, I made, I wrote down, you're talking to Bob Saget, do not go brown. Do not do poo humor with Bob because once, right. you, once we go there, you, yeah, it's, there's no turning back. No, you're right. You're right. That's a highway of, of <laughs> a Hershey highway. <laughs> that's what it is. And that's in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I've been on it. Yes. Yes. Uh, there actually is a Hershey Highway, seriously, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. No, I know. I was there. I yeah. was there for a thing where we gave an award to a wonderful man, uh, Luke Klein, who got me my first internship. And I, I was at the Mike Douglas show when I went to Temple University. And uh, Luke Klein, that's for people that wouldn't know, which is most people. That was a show that was on TV in the afternoon. It was very popular. It was like kind of like Ellen popular. And so was Merv Griffin, who was... Uh, even a lot like Ellen in many ways. Yeah, and, um, but Ellen was more open about it. Yeah, and Merv was not, but Merv was very, very kind to me. It was and, a, a um, genius. Merv Griffin seriously was a genius. No, he, he really turned it into a television empire. And Mike Douglas was a nice man. So yes. um, that and, uh, $20 will get you a bus. Yes. Um, you know, you know, no one gets a free ride except bus drivers. I've been thinking about that. They always get a free ride. And, and then is that fair? I mean, well, there's no <laughs> it's good, fair. It's good to give a hard time to the working man right now. Working men and women that can't work or the people that have to be there that are literally putting themselves in harm's way. Every, every conversation I have with anybody, I turn into some reporter from a news outlet. I, it, cause y'all, we all do the same thing. Can you imagine being in an emergency room right now? And people are coming in with a high fever and and, and throwing up blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, please save your save your last till the end. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to do my part and entertain people. I was supposed to be on the road. Um, I canceled the tour to Canada the night before because I thought maybe it was going to be okay, but it wasn't. And then they were mad at me for about a second till they looked at the news and. Then Calgary closed, so I couldn't even do it. And then I would have never left Canada. I'd be there right now, and I couldn't wouldn't have been back. And now I'm here in a house with my wife, and I love her, and uh, we're having a good time. I've only screwed up a couple times where I was in the doghouse. Literally, she puts a collar on me and puts me out in the yard, <laughs> and then she makes me stick my nose in it after I've done a bad duty. <laughs> And there's this thing is a good duty. Well, there is a good duty. When you're older, you kind of go, wow, that was good. Wow, my health. You know? Yeah. But, but when, when you, but we're not going to do poop comedy. We're right? not, we're not going to uh, do it. We're not going to do it because. How do you, well, how are you, what are you talking about on these shows? Are you, are you doing a free hour by yourself and then sometimes you'll have guests? How, how's it going? I have guests. We just talk. I catch up with friends. I, I do. Political. I talk to professors, authors, journalists, comedians. I have no life, Bob. I have. This is you my talk life. to mimes. Yes, you talk I to do. Mimes? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. They got a lot on their mind. Um, <laughs> I think 
that kind of a dad joke is just fine. I don't know what the problem is. People get so mad over dad jokes. But you know what? They're not thinking of any. They're not trying to make anybody laugh with someone stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> what were, what Why was, do something articulate? Yeah. What was Mar- What were Marcel's, Marceau's last words? That was them. <laughs> Dead air. Dead, Dead air. air. It's not me being stumped. I wasn't stumped. Uh-huh. That was just uh, that was the answer. Quick. That was the answer. That was the answer. That was it. Is it true that in space no one can hear you fart? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so because normally you're up there by yourself. Um, uh-huh. in a in a capsule when I go to space anyway. Mm-hmm. I've been would... watching this show, the uh, the Crown, which is about dental work, and <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> which is something I'm... the British are not familiar with. So that's no, and that, obviously not. Why would they call a show the Crown when so many of them need them? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> many of them. But it was like I was watching Tiger King because you have to. These are the pandemic shows. And Love is Blind, which is a reality show I would never watch. But I did fall in love with someone through a wall and a pod. Normal life. <laughs> and then my wife and I, I just said, I feel disgusting. I feel like I've been just watching the end of the world. And uh, we watched The Crown to watch you know, the demise of the British Empire, which feels good. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I, I've always wanted to be British. I've always wanted to be black, and I've always wanted to be British. And it turns out that apparently, um, I didn't know this, but uh, all these people have been uh, persecuted all these years. I, I did not know that, um, except the British who refused to be. Um, I want to be black and British, I think. Um, okay. You've been black and blue. I have. I get sad sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, and I write a country song when I'm really feeling blue. Um, I'd like to be uh, black and blown. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, most of the people I admire, um, I, are, 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 they don't seem to be white anymore. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what's happening. Well, <laughs> just, I'm just running out of people that I can look up to. Uh, I'm just disappointed by so much, but I want to make people feel better, which is, here we go, why I'm doing this podcast. Um, yes. Which is not like, I don't think it's like other ones, because, you know, my mind is not. And my mind has been a terrible thing that has been wasted. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, but, but the podcast world, I, I have, you know, you have your guests. I have to have my guests, and I've had them, and I'm having more. Um, Stamos is on uh, Friday, and, and different people. I, Bill Burr gave me a lecture on podcasts, told me how it works, and then told me what my act has been like all these years. He said, here's your act, Bob. This is like a 90-minute Wow, interview. I would give anything for Bill Burr to give advice. I mean, so he, he's, he's so great. Yeah. He's just so great. And, and he's a friend. Then he told me he wasn't for most of the interview. And then, um, he's almost like a Boston difficult Don Rickles, but he's being totally, totally right. truthful right. and cuts right to your, your bone. He said that my stand up to him is like all the lines on Full House that they cut out that they wouldn't let me say because they were a little too edgy. And then I just say fuck around them. Right. <laughs> right. 
Right. He says, that's, that's not, but that's not like I was going to take the, the lines the writers wrote from Full House and then just say fuck around them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. But that's probably the truth. But what did he give you any advice about podcasting? Besides get out of the business? No, he's, <laughs> he, he said make it make it real, which is what I intended to do from the start. Yeah. But what I did was I was I wasn't even going to go on a stand up tour. And then three years ago, everybody started hating each other so much. I just went, I got to do stand up. And you know, my shows, I like to entertain people. As yes. Stupid as that sounds. Yes. I'm not juggling. I'm not doing mime. I'm not doing magic, not bringing on animals because Tiger Kings ended that for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love making people have a good time. So, um, so I have sex with them. I get chloroform them. Um, <laughs> Because I've always, Cosby was always my favorite comedian. Well, you went to Temple. You're from Temple University. I am, but I, uh, he didn't graduate, and I did, and they gave him a doctorate, but I think they took it away, and they just made him an inmate. I think. <laughs> I'm not sure. He just got his degree in, uh, you know, eating Sle- jello during lunchtime. I think it was sleep um, studies. Sleep studies, I believe it was. It was. The sleep studies is one of my favorite. I took that when I took religion as well. <laughs> um, I did have a religion course, but then I moved to the film department. Now, anyway, is Temple so, is is Temple University? That, is it a religious? I mean, why do they call it Temple? Well, because um, I I guess um, it's kind of named after just temples, you know, not synagogues, but giant, you know, wonderful. Uh, buildings. I guess it would be like Monolith University. I, I, mean, I don't. I know, I know the answer. I know. The, I know. Go why. ahead. Because when you yeah, graduate from you graduate from Temple and you point to your Temple and go, I smart. I got a college, and you point to your Temple. You're right. You're right. I and smart. It was, a, it was a, a city school, so I smart is what you say when they hand you your diploma. <laughs> That's what you say. I smart. You thank. <laughs> for me, um, I didn't go to my graduation because I won the student Oscar for a film I made about my nephew having his face reconstructed. Yes, this is true. Can you put a laugh track on this? Yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> Here, I, I should I, mention. I have, hang on for I have one this. sec. Hang on. Hang on. Let's go. I should mention that. I, we do, we're, we're coming to you. I, I didn't mention this. We're coming to you live from Liberty University. Can you hear my sound effects also? Could you hear that before? What, what did you do? I, I did a sound effect. I, I did. Oh, I didn't know you were. I thought I had a problem with my mixer. No, this was me. That. All the same stuff. Oh. Yeah, and then it's this. I see. Is the sound my penis makes when I hold it like a balloon <laughs> with the air coming out of it. So I, I guess I was suited to do a podcast, right? Yeah, but hang on for one second. Now that you can sweeten your side, I'll sweeten right. my side. Right? right. So if I have a yeah. joke that I want to make and I Go think ahead. it's funny, all right. Yeah. All right. So, Gotta be. You're one of the funniest people I know on the earth. Oh, thank you. So tell me. No, all, all my other friends, all of my other friends died. <laughs> I like that. You don't need uh, an audience. If 
you have you're 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 a good friend, David. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is bad. This is bad. You hear that? Yes, it's uh, me me taking my clothes off at an orgy. So that's crickets. Everyone leaves and no, no, it's you're outdoors. No, it's me oiling my it's me oiling my balls. Play that sound again. People think it's crickets, (laughs) but it's me. W W four. What do you what 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 is it? W W D forty. W W D. Yeah, that's because your balls. Your balls are on a hinge. <laughs> I get them rotated become, once a month. I get them rotated. That's smart. You go to Midas? Of course. Yeah. 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 If that's first rule of improv, agree with something that doesn't make any sense, make no one laugh. But <laughs> I would like to play, Bob, I, I remember the first time I met Bob Sackett. It was almost like it was yesterday. I pulled my pants down. (laughs) And we were alone. (laughs) Anyway, no one was in the room. (laughs) And then my mom walked in. I don't know what else is on here. There has to be a whole other set of these things, right? Yeah. I don't know how it works. I'll teach you how to use it. I like You're, the cricket. The crickets are great. But anyway, uh, so I've got... I, I got, hang on, yes, my I second got, wife. I, uh, this is the set... You know, I went through a brutal divorce with my second wife. Did you hear about that? Wait a minute. You didn't have a second wife. I have, I'm up to number five for the purpose of this next joke, so I don't get sued. Oh, okay. So it's your fifth wife. This is my fifth wife who... Just left me. I just signed the divorce papers. This is the sound of my fifth wife queefing. Okay. So that's a that's a coin flipping around, landing on a marble table. Yes. What happens when when she does that? She she got so much money that when she queefs. Ah. Okay. I only have one ex-wife, and this is the sound um, uh, after the divorce settlement that came from her. Okay. <laughs> and, of course, I went. <laughs> and then I took out my penis, and it made this sound. Because um, I like to lay it on a snare drum every now and then. But I'm remarried, and my wife is in the house, and they say... Oh, wow. that'll never come good out of a 63 year old white man. But, um, <laughs> but she's great. You would love her. And I would I would uh, charge a cover. But, um, <laughs> How uh, hold ma- on, I'm writing that down. I'm writing that down. Hold on. I actually have to write that. Down. OK, uh, which doesn't really help. If, if uh, you walked in on me or Jeff Singer with your wife, how angry would you be? You wouldn't be angry. Well, not with Jeff Singer. He would just talk her to death. I mean, she would be... We love the Jeff Singer. Yes, we do. I haven't seen him since we... I miss our dinners in L.A., and, and I just... I I miss you. I, I, and I miss you, too. And when I did the play, the last play I did in New York, Hand to God, and yeah. you... And I, you, where'd you take me? What was the name of that club? The, the, the one where the writers go to? Uh, Plato's Retreat. 
No, that's El- the Algonquin. We went to the Algonquin. The Algonquin, yeah. And I maintain good. that you, I, and I'm being serious, that, you know, S.J. Perlman, Harpo Marx, Dorothy Parker, Robert Benchley would sit around. We'll and, all be on the show tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and there's a table where they used to sit at the Algonquin. And sometimes when I'm feeling pretentious, I will go there with people who I think are really fast, who are witty. And I maintain that Bob Saget, if you were sitting at the Algonquin table at back in the, the 30s, Dorothy Parker would slit her wrists again. I think you could keep up with all those people. I do. And I don't think they were as funny as you. And I mean that. Oh, my God. That's really kind. That's okay. really, really kind, because I look up to every person you said. Yeah. Dorothy Parker, I, I heard, was a lap riot. Yes, she was. Um, yeah. I, I wish I could have hung out with Anne Frank in that attic. I yeah. think it would have, um, we could have been, you know, when you're scared and uh, and you're with someone else that's gone through a hard time. See, none of that. It, it, we're going through such a difficult time. Guys like us, we bring up other terrible things. Yeah. That's what we kind of do. Now but I we went to Anne. Fr- I was in. I was in uh, Holland, and I went to Anne Frank's house two years ago, and she wasn't there. And I feel that if you're going to pay that kind of money, she sh- should have at least. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Well, she's gone. Um, yeah. We <laughs> let's yeah. not do any callbacks to Dove. No, <laughs> no, not good. No, no, uh, no. Let's, but yeah, uh, sadness brings. It's just hard. I'm just, I'm, I'm sad for so many people, and I'm yeah. worried. I have a daughter in Brooklyn, and I have a daughter in downtown New York, and um, another daughter out here. I'm just scared for the world that they're coming into, and the kind of things that are happening, and the the craziness that we've been living. Which is why I've been wanting to reach out to people, and I'm literally reaching out to people one by one. I mean. I'm posting a number today on Twitter and Instagram, and tomorrow I'm going to call people for four hours. I have their numbers. They leave a message. I literally, instead of being a radio show where you call in and somebody screens the calls and some guy calls and goes, I hate you, you know, when you had go on the Stern show and a guy would go, you did this to my daughter. I'm like, what? I don't know. What are you talking about? And another person would call and say, when your sister was dying, I was her nurse. And then she's real. But right. they would do the yin and yang of it to just torture me. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's just uh, this is a time where I get to talk to people. I want to talk to just regular people, too. Right. And then you have to, to when you do a podcast, you got to put people on, if you can, of note that people uh, enjoy. Right. That, you know, bring eyes to your new podcast. So Call 562. Let me give the number. 562. Oh, thank you. Yeah, if, if between the hours of one thirty and five thirty p.m. Pacific time, if you call Bob, leave a message at one. That's the country code one five six two six hundred o three four three. Leave a message, and Bob may call you back, and you'll be on his uh, podcast, which would be you know very exciting. How many days it's a really- week do you record? I've been doing right now the first couple of weeks on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Um, and so I've been uh, doing a bunch of them as they just started to come out of me because I had so much I wanted to do. Right. Some of the shows are solo, but most of them I'm calling people and then I'm having 
I have a nice guest lineup of, um, I'll just name drop and get it over with. Uh, John Stamos was my first guest of, uh, I don't like the word celebrity because it's bullshit. You either act right. If you're a celebrity, you're just, you sold your soul or you're, you know, whatever. I don't want to judge people for doing reality shows because I'll be doing one sooner or later. <laughs> I'm just going, I'm not going to show my life, but I will show the inside of my bowels with a mini fan. Um, I think <laughs> they've I think that. that's the Housewives of Beverly Hills. Isn't that the inside of your bowels? Go ahead. Yeah, it looks just like that. I actually have Botox into the lips of my eyes. <laughs> um, and I it's even called had butt a put in. It's called Botox. It's but oh my God, you're a genius. Let's sell it. But buttock is is when they put the implants in their butt. I don't know why people can't just be happy with uh, what they're like because I haven't done anything. It's obvious. <laughs> but um, but I I I've John Stamos and uh, Tiffany Haddish and and uh, Macaulay Culkin and Bill Burr yeah. and uh, uh, and Howie Mandel and John Mayer and Howie Mandel. We become very very close through this stuff. You know, we did that telethon comedy give back um, for was for comedians that can't afford their medical bills and people affected by COVID-19. And Howie and I just started talking a lot. And I just love him. I just and, and we were close. We were 22 years old when he was in Toronto doing mm-hmm. stand up, put the glove on his head and did all that stuff. And, you know, uh, he was a, I'm calling him a prophet. I told him he's like Moses. Because because he was the OCD guy. Yes. Don't touch me. I don't want to yeah. get germs. Yeah. yeah. And it came from a real place. It came from a dark place of of and we're gonna change. We're all gonna be different. I mean, who why would I never have used a paper towel to open the door of an airplane bathroom? I mean, there are people that go in there, they don't wash their hands, they don't flush the toilet, there's pee all over the place, and then when I'm done lapping it up, I figure I don't want to get my hands dirty. Um, okay. Yeah, got quiet. No, no, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I, when I said lapping it up, that that probably just even lost you, which is upsetting. Um, Handshaking is ridiculous. I don't want to touch anybody. I had the exterminator here yesterday because there's a rat in the wall, and um, and he doesn't understand social distancing. But the the uh, if the exterminator was here and for a couple seconds, I, w- I didn't have a mask on. I was like two feet away from him and I tried to move quickly, but I realized he's been inside people's homes. He's been under people's homes. He's been around rats and varmints and raccoons. And um, I don't think they're carriers of anything but normal rabies. But I think we're going to go through a time from now on where we look at everything differently. Yeah, I'll be looking. I'll be standing on my head for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um have you noticed, submitted for your perusal, two aging comedians trying to stay relevant on yes. the Twilight Zone? <laughs> hey, uh, have you this noticed is, uh, this is, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, that go. you've stopped when you meet new people that you stop spitting in their mouth? Like that's, You know, usually I, I have used people as a spittoon as my success. <laughs> As I got more successful, I would hang out with very little people and ask them to keep their mouth open and their head tilted back. And I think I overstepped my boundaries when I started to use it uh, for my cigar. Because kids are people, too. Um, um, you know, 
I'm just trying to, I literally want to make people feel good now. And that just by going door to door and it has, you've always, always, you have always, you were Feldo. You were a clown. You were yeah. a clown with 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 a cross to bear with with a lot of baggage. Yeah, but I did that for myself. I didn't do it with the audience. I mean, in all honesty, no. I'm I'm well aware. I was at the shows, but um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't do that for the audience. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> but that is the difference between you and me. Well, I I was doing a lot of stuff for myself that got nowhere, and I still do. You know, it's like. The thing I don't like about this podcast world is you read comments and it's like there's a hundred people that go, this is great. I love it. I miss your voice. And then it's so great. And then other people that just go MXQLO, this sucks. I hate it. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, what? You know, why would that not block someone that obviously is not engaging, not listening? I gave it 10 minutes. I'll listen again in two weeks. It's like, okay, you're going to miss good stuff. Um, you know, I'm just, I, I learned pretty quickly. I'm 63. I've been broadcasting since I'm, you know, 22. But on the air, I got fired from a show when I was 29 before Full House on CBS that was against the Today Show and Good Morning America. And they fired me because I was too hot for morning television, um, was what they told me, which doesn't make sense because I still can't figure out what it meant. You had a fever. It, well, no, they meant that I was saying things that were too much like drive radio, you know, right. and I was looking right into the lens of frightening people. And yeah, it was the host of one of the, was Roland Smith, the newsman. And, and Marion Hartley. Hartley. Yeah. And she said, Bob, are you a type A personality on the air? And I said, yes, but I'm working on my anus. And I meant a dash yes. but they took it as meaning my butthole. Right. And she said, go, go to your room. And I went to a room that wasn't a room. It's you go up a stairs landing and you go to a door and then you're on a flat standing there. The breaks were like 15 minutes long. You had to wait to work commercial then mm-hmm. in 1987. And, um, uh, I knew that I was done. And, but, um, that's such a, a funny, a mutual parting of ways. That's it kind of was, but not, not acceptable, you know? But um, what are you going to do? You know, I uh, become more uh, successful like you did. Where is Marriott Hartley and where's Rollins Smith? Well, I don't like saying that. I mean, they they're both very nice and 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 I don't I'm not competitive, which is why the podcast thing. I don't like to look at you know I have so many friends doing podcasts that I that I love that are just I love almost all of them. I love all comedians, kind of, unless they're mean to me. There's no reason not to appreciate them, even if they're doing stuff like, you know, people will trash Carrot Top. Well, go see his show, and you'll love it, and it makes people happy. And it's not meant for everybody, but, you know, I, I can sit and listen to Mark Maron for two hours. Dave Chappelle's my favorite. Bill Burr's my favorite. You know, you're a brilliant comedian. I mean, I, I just, Nick Kroll's great. You know, I mean, there's so many people that are obviously John Mulaney. I mean, forget about it. Forget about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just want to, I literally just want to make people feel good. So I put on a hazmat suit and some rubber gloves and oil and I give them prostate exam and I wiggle it around. <laughs> and if you massage the prostate properly, yeah. you'll keep them from getting cancer. So, uh, a random guy that does that in a hazmat suit that looks medical and professional and covers himself with the right oil that, that's protected. And you're not really breathing on me. You're wearing a mask, uh, so they don't know it's me. And uh, <laughs> and you're rubbing 
rubbing their prostate, uh, you're going to keep them from getting cancer. So you, that's how I'm saving lives right now in my spare time. <laughs> Wait a second. Is that true that yeah. if somebody massages your prostate, it's good for you? Well, you're supposed to ejaculate at least 400 times a day. That's what my doctor told me. And, um, which is really good if you if the barbecue won't go out. So, uh, but, but then you've ruined the next time you can't cook fish the next day, you know, but, um, yeah. but I, I actually, you're, you're supposed to, uh, as you get older, uh, and you don't want to get colon cancer or prostate cancer, you're supposed to, uh, have an orgasm so that you can uh, have that stuff being fluid. And that's, uh, that's what you're supposed to do. Hmm. So I've been doing it since I'm 12. I, I should be clear. Right. Right. I was a horny kid. I was like four years old, pumping the ground. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Were you, you a horny kid? I imagine you were. Uh, I, I, we're talking about you. Bob Saget is here for you. That's the name of his podcast. Bob Saget's here for you three times a week. Good, good for you. Three times a that's week. That's deflection. That was the best deflection to promotion. That's, I, I, I admire you. For what no, you, you, I just you, learned, I'll, I learned a skill. I asked if you were a sexual kid and you went right to plugging my podcast. I, you know what? I didn't lose my virginity until I was 21. I mean, I and I apologize. I apologize for that too. I should not have mounted you with that. <laughs> but you know what? So far, no, no prostate cancer. So you know, no. And I was really glad you were wearing those pajamas with the flap at the back. It just made it easy. <laughs> I'll never forget that sleepover. And thank God you took the bottom bunk. That's all I. Have. <laughs> I cut a hole in the mattress and just fell right into you. It was unbelievable. It was like a three-foot drop. Let me ask you um, about prison. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Do you think... There's nothing, there's nothing like it. Do you think if... I mean, is it... All right, I don't want to get into it. Uh, uh, Are we going to get into something serious about people serving their time or people getting released now? that are have paid their debt to society, so we're trying to put them back into society. Is that what we're talking about? Well, I was going to talk or, about release inside prison. But I you know what? It's too, I don't want to go there. Up, oh, so you're saying you're talking about uh sexual predators and who's the man and who's the other man and um and what could, prison involves. And could it ever evolve into a a deep and nourishing relationship? I'm being, I believe that I believe I believe it can. Yes. I believe it can, and that's why I'm hoping to go. I was going to say, you want to rob a bank with me? <laughs> so much. We've got the mask. Everybody's set to be a bank robber now. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm so concerned about the world right now that it's hard not to watch the news and yell. Or or no matter what, I try to watch everything. If I'm going to watch, I'm going to, you know, watch it all and try not to spend too much time so I can go back to watching the shows that I'm binging and uh, I think Ozark's the next one my wife and I have to hit because everyone's saying how great it is have you watched mm. that no I have not what do you watch uh my weight and uh what I <laughs> my peas when you weigh yourself you and uh, your peas and cues yes right I just watch my peas <laughs> because because <laughs> I'm streaming now on my new podcast mm -hmm. um 
my podcast is like urinating. It, it, it comes out quickly. You hear it. And then, um, and it sober. smells like, and, and it smells like asparagus for some. Yes. And sometimes as Mel Brooks would say, such a nutty flavor. <laughs> now you were friendly with Don Rickles. My big regret. I is love that. Them. I'm looking Don- at a picture of him right now. That Bob Saget's here for you is up on Apple, all wherever you get your podcasts, three times a week, and and actually in two weeks it's supposed to go to two times a week, Mondays and Thursdays. But I don't know. We're talking. I might be doing it three times a week because I really I'm enjoying it. And this is where I'd be on the road performing right now, and I'm born to do this. I'm born to perform and. Uh, <laughs> So please come on over and play hop on pop. But um, <laughs> that was a Dr. Seuss book. Why would he call it a book hop on pop? It just sounds completely wrong. It sounds like it something sound. Mackenzie Phillips' father would have read to her. Oh, ouch, ouch. Um, Elliot. Did E.T. Have, e. have a butthole? Did he? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, those Reese's... Those Reese's, Reese's peanut pieces. butter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pieces, pieces. Um, Originally, the sign was a, turn on your fart light. Oh, my God. That is a beautiful. Neil Diamond wrote a love song about E.T. I mean, that to me is that's just pure love of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, you know what people have been talking about? Literally every disaster that exists. People, more people are talking about the Titanic. More people are talking about assassinations, things that change the world. It's unbelievable the kind of stuff that gets out in the zeitgeist because of what we're going through right now. And this is up there with something that we will, my dad always talks about, well, he doesn't, he's gone, but in my head he does. Where'd he go? The depression. Where'd he go? He went away, went into the air. He went somewhere, wherever Mm -hmm. people go, whatever they believe, uh, or nowhere, if that's what they believe. But I think he went somewhere because he was... He was too strange to not keep going in some way. <laughs> was he funnier than where. you? Was he funnier than you? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody says that my dad missed being a comedian just by the fact that he, of the Great Depression, he had raised uh, five siblings and his father got uh, liver cancer. Don't know how he got that, you know, during the Depression, being a tailor, not making money. Right. So I, I would assume. My grandfather had shot liver cancer. That. Is even worse because that's is. bad for your heart as well. <laughs> so that, my my father had grivenous cancer, which is for those of you that don't know, which is almost all of you. Uh-huh. I assume are all of your listeners Jewish or just one? Uh, I I think I you know I think I have a couple of Jewish listeners. Well, they're Jewish, right. but do they really listen? Does a Jew really? I think they talk back. At my show. Well, do people get mad at you because you've always yeah. been very politically grounded? Yes, I get I get very angry, well, well thought out hate mail that I, that I have to sit. I go, oh, this is interesting. Yes, I, it, the hate mail is uh, some of it reads like they took a couple of hours to think it out. It's outlined. It's got yeah, hyperlinks. I, yeah. Yeah. I get that, and I, and I get sent to me, thank goodness, to other channels. But when I first got that show before Full House, the morning program, I got a letter from a, a lady 
on Howard Johnson Stationery, which was a hotel, a motel, whatever. And the writer that wrote all my stuff was Tony Hendra, a, a very funny guy. Sure. From National uh, Lampoon. Exactly. He was uh, one of the people who uh, I think came up with the front cover, which uh, had a dog with a gun next to its head. And they said, if you don't buy this magazine, we'll shoot this dog. Right. But other people say that they came up with it. But, but Tony's immensely funny. So mm -hmm. I got this letter. We're reading fan mail. I would read fan mail on the show. It was one of my little segments. When I was starting my life as a broadcaster type person. And that, that part of me. And um, the letter started with, you grinning kite. Um, <laughs> apparently, I remember, I remember apparently I said, Tony wrote the fan letters, too. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. But he couldn't get over how funny this letter was. Uh -huh. But it wasn't because the woman had mental issues. Right. And the letter went, you grinning kite, don't think you'll get from me what you want. And I was having a baby naming contest on the show for my first daughter which is 33 years ago. And and I was coming up with, we already knew her name was going to be Aubrey. But I said, you know, what are the names um, that you would suggest? And it's someone in this letter she wrote, uh, if it's a boy, call it Adam Sam Saget. And if it's a girl, call it uh, Allison Sarah Saget. Ass. Get it? Ass. Mm. And then, then they wrote, I love rhymes in capitals and squiggly lettering and a lot of underlines. And then from a 40 year old woman who you want to keep in isolation. So that's how it was signed. So Tony <laughs> Hendra, the writer, he, he wanted me to read that on the air and this is CBS. You know? right. And this is still not even something that's good for your podcast. And he walked around with a button that said, I like kike on it. And, um, <laughs> Well, he voted for Dwight David Eisenhower in the 50s. Exactly. Who I, I, I can't even imagine what kind of man he was at this point because we don't have a lot of footage of him talking. But we, we get to find out what Lyndon Johnson was like, and it's probably closer to what we're living right now, but we didn't know it. Right. Because there wasn't the media. Right. And, but that's probably the kind of guy we were dealing with who was living in the shadow of uh, John F. Kennedy and I've heard all kinds of insane stories. And, of course, we saw the, the Brian Cranston thing, and, and he just portrayed him also on this show, The Crown, that I saw. And yeah. Any portrayals. I haven't read a whole lot because just in general, I uh, I just I, I get most of my things on tape. Um, and it's uh, it's just tape. It's, it's amazing. Tape. It's amazing. I saw the Brian Cranston thing about LBJ. I had no idea that he was a meth dealer. With cancer, <laughs> he was a meth dealer. I did not know that. Yeah, and uh, he had a lawyer I, named I did, Saul. I, he had a lawyer named Saul. I knew that. Okay, uh, you're you're saying uh, better call Saul. You're saying you're no. You're getting confused. You're thinking I'm talking about no. I'm not talking about Brian Cranston. No, okay, I'm talking about the, he played LBJ in what you know for. In tennis, in a in a in a Jay Roach directed, I believe a Jay Roach directed uh, HBO movie. Oh, oh! You should see it. It's pretty interesting. He liked to pee in front of people. Yes. Uh, he, he had a swagger with his wiener. Yes. Um, he but, didn't like being second fiddle. I is that why Woody fiddle. played him? Woody Harrelson played him because of his the swagger with his penis. Did Woody Harrelson also play 
LBJ? I don't, I don't know, and I'm, I'm afraid to Google because I don't want to lose the connection. But, um, but pro- possibly, it, and if you have a thing with your penis and your name is Woody, Woody Harrelson's a very good guy, by the way. Have yes. you met him? I wish I, I, good, I wish I did. Uh, oh, you have not. I have not met him. No. He's a really, really thoughtful guy. I went and did Bill Maher's thing in um, Hawaii that he does once a year. I did it a few years ago, and Woody was there, and I had a, a really nice time with him. It was really, you know, it's Bill's one year, one day of celebration when he's not doing what he's doing, which is, you know, trying to. He's actually changed his temperament quite a bit throughout all this. He's kind of, he's, he's, he's still on the, I guess, on the left, what people would say, but he really is kind of more down the middle because everybody's been fucking up things. Um, I don't talk religion or politics on my uh, podcast. I'm really just trying to, I mean, I'll call a guy and he's like totally stoned and that just makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just giggling. And I, and he, he told me he was from Iraq and he got here seven years ago with his family and he's, he's scared of what's going on. And I, I guess I did get political because I said, you realize before the pandemic, we could have possibly, the U S could have gone to war with, with Iraq. And, um, and he was caught between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> I love that you love puns. So many people are hateful of that. All um, jokes are puns, Bob Saget. All jokes are I, puns. I do believe that. You'll watch, people will watch, you know, uh, Chris Rock, Chappelle. They'll watch people and they'll go, oh, that's, they're the best comedian in the world. And they don't realize that the pun has been spun in. It's been right. done in wordage. It's, right. it's a, and it's 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 simple. It's it's a way of talking that we all talk. When you say a word and there's two meanings to the word, which most of the time there are, uh, you know. And uh, like for example, most of the time there are. Like I knew a pirate. He said most of the time there are. You know, that's the kind of <laughs> dumb pun that just comes out. And so I like when anything comes out. Sometimes it's just a little drop. <laughs> Sometimes I'm crying and it's like a little bit of mercure chrome on a test mm-hmm. tube slide. Yeah. Do you ever put stuff under a test under a microscope? You ever do that, like with your penis? Uh, after my divorce, I put my bank account under a microscope. <laughs> so you had a forensic. Uh, yes. Uh, this was no divorce. This was murder. That was uh, <laughs> Jack. Clark. <laughs> You call that a divorce? I call that Hollywood. <laughs> By the way, I can I work a little brown for you? Because we have to wrap it up. No, I don't like wrapping it up. I liked it. I had Kentucky Fried Chicken the other night. I've been wanting it. I've been wanting it for months. I've been honestly wanting it. Go ahead. And and I decided for Bob, I would, you know, when I go to the bathroom, I would audio tape uh the day after, and, and this is what it sounded like. That's Kentucky Fried Chicken. So you had a, the next day, you had a you had a cuckoo poo poo. <laughs> so are you saying that your poop comes out like a, a poo poo clock, where it'll come out and go back in, and come out and go back yeah. in? Are you, yeah, on the hour, every hour. <laughs> Gary Shandling, may he rest in peace, used to say he liked the feeling of it going, uh, the poop going in and out, because then he, it's the closest he would know what it feels like to be, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
um, you know. Yeah, we yeah, exactly. We can't go there. Yeah. But you know, before no. you go, in defense, he of, would. He would, right now. He would say, "Why did you share that? Why would you have told him that?" Yeah. I wish you wouldn't have told David that. Yeah. And then he would go off and tell me something. Uh, sidebar. Life is complicated, isn't it? You lose people that you love, or you have you come out. Of, you can't be. You can't talk to them anymore. Even when they're alive, we, we fall out with people. You and I will always know each other until yes. one of us is dead. Yes. And then I believe that I will, uh, if I leave before you, I will, I will sit on your penis in the middle of the night as a ghost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think you and I will be t- texting each other t- poop jokes for eternity. Well, I don't like pictures of poop. Let me repeat that, David Feldman. I don't like pictures of poop. I don't know what your listeners want to make of that. I'm just telling you. I, I will like tell it. you. I will. This is the God's honest truth. Two years ago, before there was a lockdown, I started baking bread. I became <laughs> fascinated with baking bread, and I decided to mold a bread, a sourdough, uh, to make it look like a certain emoji, let's just say. And yeah. I sent you a picture of the bread, and it looked like dog poop. And you that really got bread? this. Huh? Because it, it makes me nauseous. Yeah. That was bread? That was bread. You'll have to make a challah for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a challah. Oh, man, I'm so shallow. That you thought that was an actual like dog poop? Yeah, I thought you sent me like a stool of some kind. No, that was uh, bread shaped like a uh, like a turd. Go soft, go softer with me with it. You know, I need stool softener. <laughs> I, I just that wasn't a very good pun. But um, and and interestingly enough, it comes out looking like a croissant. I ate it. If you if you eat bread that looks like poop, it comes out like looking like a croissant. Which makes me go wee wee. <laughs> <laughs> or poo poo. Uh, before you go, and I don't mean to the bathroom. Oh, I, I'm first, not leaving. Okay, first off, I think we did a great job. Uh, here was my, because I'm looking at the, the clock. We, we're up on an hour. You and I have talked for an hour, and I think we were professional. It feels like, it literally feels like a half hour to me. Um, that which is a really good sign. Yeah, you're, you're just a, we're, well, we're good friends, so it's kind of like it. That's the kind. That's what, when they said do a podcast, and they said, "Can you get so and so on it?" And I'm like, "But I don't really know them, and I don't want to be doing an interview thing. I'm not doing that. Right. I I, I want to talk to a friend and be able to just riff and play. Here's why I'm proud. Here's why I'm proud because I was worried that this would turn into stuff that should not be shared with other people. And I don't oh, think I would never do. I think we did do that. <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we didn't go. We didn't pitch television shows to each other that involve sewing up parts of a body. Oh, that stuff. We didn't do. The we didn't do centipede that. type of humor. Yeah, no. we didn't do that. I think this is nothing was said where it we went over the line and reveal too much about ourselves in terms of... I think that's true. Right? Yeah, but you also, you mentioned that you're divorced and uh, and that, but you have five wives. You have five uh, ex-wives. Yes, yes. That way none none of them get hurt. Right. Um, (laughs) 
I have uh, one ex-wife and a, and a beautiful wife uh, in the building. And uh, how's, let me just ask you this as we start to go into the sunset. You, you are living alone in quarantine, correct? And yes. you go out once in a while to do something and you protect yourself when you do that. You want the God's honest truth? And I'm being serious. Yeah. I have not yeah. left my apartment in five years. No, in five months, in five weeks, five weeks. I have not. Stayed. Right. I'm, I'm eating my own poo. Uh, <laughs> I thought we weren't going to do that. <laughs> I said I was going to be honest. I'm just recycling well, everything. Sometimes no. I feel like a nut. Sometimes I don't. But, um, <laughs> that joke, I, that joke I, is left, so corny. We left twice. Oh, my gosh. I don't remember eating corn. <laughs> um, I don't eat nuts. I don't eat corn. I don't eat hair. What's it doing in my um, uh, I don't. I, I don't remember just, eating poo. Why is there poo in my poo? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. I mean, but then yeah. if that's the truth, you would shit a fish. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It does look like a filter fish. I will say that. It's a whiter shade of pale. But, um, uh, Bob Saget's here for you. It's up now on Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You got to, I mean, I, here's my fear that when the comedy clubs reopen, you're going to be reluctant I think you're going to find podcasting so satisfying that you're going to go, I don't, this is more fun. Are you well, worried? No, I, I, I want to, no, I want to, I want to perform in front of people. And that's why I'll be working at the Spearmint Rhino on Thursdays <laughs> and Saturdays. And I'll be shooting golf balls out of my sphincter. But, um, I, no, I had a whole tour that I had to cancel and I have a new special ready to go. I have a new hour. But I'm glad it's delayed because that's the name of your um, special, ready to go. That would be it, but not. I it don't know the name of it, but I know that it was shot in Tijuana. That's correct. It's about a striped uh, donkey, that donkey that was painted like a zebra, <laughs> and uh, and a lady dancing around it, and then um, you know the rest. I, there's a ten minute story that goes with that. But anyway, yeah. um, I I have a new hour, but it's going to have another ten minutes because of the pandemic. So I might call it pandemonium. No, pan, pan. I don't know. I just can't wait till this freaking thing goes away and people can when not be do, scared to death. Yeah. When do you think it will? When do you think uh, this... me? I think I think Thursday. <laughs> fine. You know, I watch the news. I listen to the president. I think Thursday. I mean, why not? Right. And I think uh, take it, you could drink anything, household cleaners. I mean, <laughs> why not try it? Right. Um, you know, we don't know what works or doesn't work. Um, comic cleanser, can snort <laughs> that, might be good. Yeah. yeah. There was a theory when it first came out that cocaine actually helped get rid of it, and that would have made so many cartels happy. Yeah. Um, but uh, alas, no. We have to see what happens. And I, I respect Tony Fauci, and in, in fact, um, on my second episode, this is my second, I'm a, I'm a newbie at this, the medium. I talk about having met Tony Fauci and what kind of man he was and, and upon me spending a couple hours with him, uh, in Washington. Did you use him as a, sp for, didn't you use him as a spittoon? No, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which means you don't edit, which I love. 
neither do I. But no, he is, uh, he's a pretty special guy. Yeah. I, I, I just, I think the world of him and I've been, we've been watching his voice slowly turn to Tom Waits as he's been <laughs> not sleeping. I mean, when it started, he was like chipper and ready to go and uh-huh. you didn't hear any hoarseness. And then by the end, it's like, wow, well, we've got some solutions. You know? <laughs> Turning into Brenda Vaccaro in that commercial. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I, I actually, Brenda Vaccaro was married to Michael Douglas, and they both ended up sounding alike. Near the That's interesting. Same, right? Same tenor. Yeah, yeah, they were in the three tenors with Pavarotti. Yeah. Uh, before you go, in, in all seriousness, you spoke to Fauci about scleroderma, which is your big charity. Why don't you tell people they're all getting hit up for charities right now. I don't ask people to donate. People know by now who they should be giving to. Yeah, and I've been giving to a, a lot of stuff I've been doing is for the L.A. Food Bank and for the Food Bank of New York City and um, American Red Cross and the Red Cross Red Cross for the world. And I've been giving to certain hospitals and, you know, different uh, almost anything that crosses my email, uh, especially if it's from a friend. I, I just I, I have to. If I can, right. I, I do. And you give to um, Nigerian princes. I've been giving. I get some emails from Nigerian princes. I've sold no, I send as much money as I can a year to the Sultan of Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure he's okay and all his hotels are intact. Um, <laughs> Tell us about, but, but, very quickly, the scleroderma. Yeah, work I've, I've been a board member of the Scleroderma Research Foundation for over 30 years. And I lost a sister to the disease uh, in 1994. And it's hardening of the skin. Scleroderma um, is uh, and affects mostly women in the prime of their lives, and about thirty percent are of African descent. People that get it, and um, we've raised over fifty-three million dollars in thirty years, and it's all with benefits we do called Cool Comedy Hot Cuisine. And um, Robin Williams did the benefit seven times, also did the very first one. And I got involved with it before my sister was even diagnosed. And it's hardening of the skin, and people die from it the same as they would die from coronavirus. It, it affects the lungs. It's pulmonary mm-hmm. hypertension when the lungs tense up. And that's how I met Dr. Fauci. Um, and trying to, I was at the NIH. I gave a little bit of a speech because I brought out the founder, Sharon Monsky, of the Scleroderma Research Foundation. So I also give them money and, and do as much as I can. We do one to two benefits a year, but that's all over right now. We're not doing anything public. So we might do a we're planning on a virtual event this year, right. which will be interesting to serve food, to have restaurants, pay the restaurants to, to send food to people and they can donate money and they get the whole experience of the show. And last year I did it in New York at Caroline's. We raised $950,000 with wow. uh, Michael Che and John Oliver and um, Jim Gaffigan. And uh, Gilbert Godfrey did the auction with me. And if you want to possibly not sell something, have Gilbert <laughs> yell it out. A trip for four <laughs> to Deer Valley, and skiing has never been like this before. <laughs> and, and and half the audience knows that John Oliver's on the floor. It's the funniest thing. Mm-hmm. It's just giving the guy the – and I just love him so much. He's he's the guy that does gallows humor, and he can't help it, and he's yeah. innocent as can be. He, yes. he, you know, but, but he's saying stuff that people get – 
affronted by. But did, anyway, did you see the documentary about for. him? Did you see the documentary? I sure did. I Is sure it? did. And I talked to him. I, I got to call him soon. Too. Yeah, I, I love him very much. Bob Saget's yeah. here for you. Listen to it on whatever podcasting platform. And They're we saying sh- Apple Podcasts right now that I should be uh, saying that is what they say because that I guess is the biggest platform and then Spotify will also you know, everybody. Spotify yeah. is when you, uh, you're you spotting and mm-hmm. uh, you reach a certain age and you can't control the dripping. <laughs> and um, and I don't know what the phi is. I guess it's uh, if you're a giant. <laughs> well, you're a giant, Bob, Bob Saget. And a lot of people listening to us right now are the first responders. They're on their way to work. They're nurses. They're doctors. They're janitors working in the hospitals. They're Amazon, Instacart, delivery people. They're truck drivers. They're heroes. They're they are, literally heroes. They, they truly are. They are. And I, I hope that one day this country will realize who's really essential. What is who, the people who are truly essential? And I agree. And we're finding out the question is, will we remember? Because people forget in one or two days, and in this case, weeks or months, when this thing finally levels off, it's going to be a while. We all know that. You yeah. know, this is, and the vaccine, some people say it's going to be by the fall, and then people are saying two years from now. So there is no information that we can follow except that this distancing has been successful. Yes. And, um, not full hospitals is good. Right. Um, Which was the sequel enough, to your Danny Tanner series, I believe. Right, right. Full house hospitals. Um, <laughs> with with the guy from House. What was his name? And John, well, uh, uh, Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie was, but, yeah. Right, but John Stamos was also a doctor on ER for like four or five years. So it makes sense that he was a doctor pretending to be Uncle Jesse. Hmm. <laughs> It's, so he it's saved pronounced. A lot of, he, saved, he saved a lot of young women uh, that were very famous actresses and models from having any trouble breathing <laughs> by putting his tongue down their throat. <laughs> he told me it was a tongue depressor and a thermometer at the same time. Bob Saget, I love yes, you. He, f- I love you. I love you, too. Can you stay on the line? for? Thank you for doing this, really. Of course. Of thank course. You. I'll give you my charge card number. Thank and, you. Um, to all your listeners, thank you, and stay well, everybody. Yes, thank stay you. Stay well, David. Thank you. Stay on line for one second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Joining us from Washington, D.C. is the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. He was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being a lawyer, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of... Oh, is it... Take a deep breath. Okay. Christ? Absolutely. I got it right. Absolutely. That's I got it wonderful. Right. You are well on your way to salvation. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, we've had a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi, E.J. Dion, who writes for the Washington Post, Mitch McConnell, the mayor of Las, uh, Las Vegas, the Blue Angels. Georgia is opening up its tattoo parlors and their massage parlors. Thank God. And uh, we're going to open up the country. But why me? Huh? Why me? Are you are you suggesting that you have troubles? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, my, you're a persecuted person. My the internet is kind of dicey today. Why me? <laughs> it it's only actually it's it is only you because <laughs> nobody in the country has had problems connecting to the internet. Even on Netflix, everybody's watching that that done with Tiger King. They're now mm-hmm. watching Ozark. Yeah. More people are watching it. There's a very, very limited bandwidth, but everybody's able to get through it. The only person that I've heard complain about it, David, is you. Why David me? Feldman. Why well, me? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Yes, sir. Would you characterize your lifestyle as clean living or not clean living? Because that's, that's an important question. What's your answer? Well, considering I haven't showered and... Four weeks, I would say, <laughs> not clean living. Not clean living. Well, that's a good start no. because a, a clean body sometimes is a reflection of a clean mind. Ah. And a dirty mind, a dirty body, therefore, would be kind of associated with a dirty mind. And frankly, the universe of which the Internet is a part, those inner connected tubes that we call the internet they don't like people to have dirty minds they can deal with a dirty body as long as you clip your fingernails but they cannot deal with a dirty mind and i'm afraid you know i yeah i saw a bunch of articles recently that Pornhub, which is a kind of a collection of of uh, risque pictures and videos really let me write we're going to be free Pornhub, you say go ahead yeah it's free it's free because they wanted people to watch it to be enticed into it while they're in self-isolation oh. and i thought that's that's a commendable strategy okay, that wraps Maybe. up our segment with <laughs> the reverend barry w lynn thank you we'll talk hey, to you next week hey, hey david seriously yeah. i have to i have to be a little quick today because I'm in a bit of a hurry. Um, I want. Are you there? Gents, little pep rally. I'm sorry, you, you're breaking up a today. little. You were and, breaking up. Well, say that again. You well, watched, I watched what? his. I watched his pep rally, his coronavirus press conference at, at dinner time, and he had some more medical advice. And I listened to him very seriously. It's not about hydroxychloroquine, but. It's about some other things, and I have to find a way to get from here to the local supermarket before it closes so I can buy some disinfectant, which I think I'm supposed to swallow, Mm -hmm. and then some isopropyl alcohol to breathe in, maybe pick up an ultraviolet light bulb so I can shine it into my mouth and hope that it goes down into the lungs and cleans those out. And I want to do this because... I want to leave tomorrow morning. I want to leave tonight, frankly, and drive all night if necessary to go to Georgia to make sure that I can get a haircut because I haven't had one in a long time Mm -hmm. and get a tattoo, perhaps a tattoo that says something like, 
I am an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I want to do that right away when the tattoo parlors and the haircut place is open. I don't go to the nail salon, but they're going to be open too. And I gave up bowling uh, many years ago, but I understand they're going to be open also. Maybe I can get a game in before I drive back to Washington. So I'm in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. I guess the argument yeah. is, you know, more people are going to die from a, a recession or a depression than from the virus. I mean, there. I, I'm just, I'm, you know. No. Yeah. I'm just given the other side. I, I know. I know. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a well considered other side, but, uh, it ain't going to happen. I mean, uh, I give money. Lots of people give money to food banks. There are people that are distributing their long lines. Lots of people need food. This is a society, you know, where 80% of the people in it say they couldn't survive for two weeks or two pay periods. If they didn't get money. So when people talk about the economy being booming, it ain't booming for 80% of the people who live here. And yet 70% say they favor shutting down the economy. Only 14% agree with Kemp to reopen the governor of Georgia. That's right. Well, Well, even the president doesn't agree with Kemp from Georgia. Kemp, who, by the way, just for purposes of historical accuracy, uh, Kemp didn't really win that election. Stacey Abrams should have been and would have been, if the voting had been fair, would be the governor of Georgia, not just a person waiting to be picked. I hope she is picked by Joe Biden as his running mate. But Kemp stole the election. He's a buffoon. And even though Trump told him, don't open it yet, it's not really safe. He's going to open it anyway. Well, he's pro-life. And by Monday, well, by Monday, you'll be able to go to the movies in Georgia. Get a tattoo, sit in a restaurant, and go to see a movie. Most of the movies, of course, have been postponed until the summer or the fall or even next year, movies people would want to see. But they're going to go deep into the stock of films that people probably could see on television now and hope they can lure them into the theaters to see well, The Godfather again, for example. Right. And so if you reopen your business and the employees don't want to come back to work, then they've quit, so you don't have to pay them unemployment. That's correct. And then speaking of unemployment, I'm sure you've seen some of the reports. There are literally millions of people, after all the unemployment numbers have come out for the last three weeks, millions of people who can't even connect with the unemployment office in their state. Florida is one of the worst. People have been known to call two hundred times and not be able to reach a single human being. They go on the Internet and like yourself, they have problems. I don't know what you're doing on the Internet. They're just trying to file for unemployment compensation and they can't even do that. So the system's not built to work and it isn't working for the very people that the president and the Congress says we helped them. We extended unemployment benefits to them. They can't get it filed. They can't get it filed here in New York. They're using Cobalt. It's a 1950 era 
uh, oh, computer program. I'm, I'm not making that up. Oh, God. You know, my, my wife, uh, you know, we met in college. I think I mentioned this before, but one of the things that she did was a, an experiment on fruit flies, and it was done Drosophilia. using... Drosophilia. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever you said, that's correct. And, and one night, she was carrying thousands of punch cards from an early computer from the biology department back to her dorm, and she dropped them. Oh, boy. And it's very difficult to piece together information that's on punch cards about fruit flies when you're trying to complete your experiment. Yes. Fruit Cold flies are, are very fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Yes, they certainly do. I'm sure that they are possibly uh, not exactly what God had in mind when God said, be fruitful and multiply. I think he was mainly talking about, uh, you know, the people that are acting in Pornhub, not fruit flies. Yes, well, they they do scream God and Jesus a lot over there at Pornhub. Those are religious (laughs) people. And they're constantly dropping to their knees. (laughs) And and they I, sometimes they even well, use Crisco oil the same way the high priests of the <laughs> first temple use Crisco. Yeah, I think you're thinking of John Ashcroft. Yes, of the Crisco thing. Very but, quickly, we'll get to. Yes. I think we've talked about John Ashcroft and his father we putting have. Crisco oil on his forehead. Yeah, we don't need to do that. We don't again. need to do that. What we need to no. do is talk about the Zoom meeting we're holding tonight at 9 p.m. And you're yes. invited, and maybe as and the, I plan to attend. Can you give an invocation? Well, can you give your sermon that you gave in Boston, or you zoomed over to Boston? How was your Sunday sermon? You did yeah, you well, did it telepathically, you know didn't you? Yeah, no, I actually did it on. It was on Zoom, and it was on YouTube. But here's the strangest thing about it. I have never given a sermon or an acceptance of an award or any speech ever without telling some stories that at least I think are funny. And usually when you have a live audience, you can, people will laugh or they'll do something and, and then you go, you go, I, I, I'm connected to the audience. But when you do these Zoom things, at least the way they had it set up. I, I couldn't see anybody. So I had no idea whether they thought these were really lame or I could, I could watch about 30 people, just the blank squares. And, uh, since they, they didn't drop off. So I, I guess they weren't insulted by it, but I, it's very odd. I don't even know how you, there are comedians who are doing zoom things just about comedy doing their routines in the same way that Stephen Colbert does them from his house, but there's no audience. Mm-hmm. How do you get, so how do you know if what you're saying is funny or people going, oh my God, this is so lame. If you don't see them and you don't hear them, how do you do that? Well, we have a meeting. It's interactive. We talk to the <laughs> listeners, we mingle, mm, we have our guests good. talk to the listeners and we're having a, another beauty pageant for your pets and, I think Dr. Really? Yeah, and Dr. Jennifer Verlin, I think, has made a love connection with two attendees. So we're going no to kidding. We're going to send them on an all-expense paid staycation <laughs> where they'll get to Zoom, and I'm hoping that you'll marry them. You'll perform a marriage. 
I can do that. But as I think I've told you, uh, the only way I do them is I have to have a couple of meetings, make sure that he, that I have some ideas. And I've been married a long time. We're, we were going to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary uh, at uh, a horse race uh, at the Belmont Stakes, which now, unfortunately, has been moved from June 6th, uh, sometime yet to be determined in October. But... You know, I, I think I could think you marry somebody? I'd be happy to do it. Could you marry yeah, somebody via Zoom? Could two people be married? Could could you be in yes, Washington? I, yes, I could do. I would have to make sure that the state in which the people resided that I was permitted to perform weddings there. But suppose but generally she's, it's really easy. Suppose she like if you're serving overseas, and could 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 somebody be here in the United States, and then somebody else be overseas and you be somewhere else? Do you all have to be in the same state? No, in general, I think under those circumstances, I think I could, as long as I was licensed in the District of Columbia, which I think I still am, I think I could perform a Zoom ceremony uh, anywhere. It would be fun. I don't to, think it matters where they are. I think it matters where I am. You know, I have so many brilliant guests on my show. We could yeah. have a, we could fix a couple up, yeah. marry them, yeah. get them lawyers, and have a judge divorce them within an hour. <laughs> yeah. The um, I, what I don't do is unification church weddings. You know, those are the ones that Sun Myung Moon. Uh, did uh, the so-called cult of the unification church where they would have uh, people hundreds of people married at the same time in the same ceremony and in general those people had not met their soon-to-be spouse until the day that they met them at the ceremony so i don't do those okay i don't have a cult i don't have any cult let us talk about nancy pelosi and yep. the new Big stimulus, the new the new stimulus bill. Well, I'm very disappointed in this stimulus bill. Again, this is number four. There were so many things wrong with number three that um, I thought maybe she will do what she said, which is to correct them in stimulus four. But once again, she allowed Mitch McConnell to start the process to pass a bill, even though the Constitution says spending bills need to start in the House. Uh, she again let him do this. He comes up with something that was highly defective. And then she says, here's what I want. And she lists a bunch of things that she wants. And she got a, a tiny bit, a little bit more money for testing, a little bit uh, more money for some other things. But all the big changes that she should have put into this bill, election funds so that we can have by mail voting all over the United States, help for cities and states, expansion of food stamps, contact tracing, oversight and regulation of the way in which the money is being spent. All of those things the Republicans said, you know, we're not going to do it. And she said, oh, okay, uh, I guess we'll wait. And uh, E.J. Dion, he's not my favorite columnist by any means, but he does write for the Washington Post and he's in many other papers. He writes a column the other day in which he says the following. Nancy Pelosi made clear in an interview on Wednesday that she doesn't intend to let Mitch McConnell play a hypocritical shift the goalposts game on the next rescue and recovery bill. 
She had that chance on this bill. She right. didn't do it. And I must say, AOC did, was the only Democrat to vote against this. All of the great, uh, so-called progressives in the Senate all voted for it. All of our friends, all Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Sherrod Brown, they all said, well, we can't explain voting no. So we'll just vote yes and hope they fix it again. At some point, Mitch McConnell will do what he said he would do on this bill for a while, just sit on it. They can pass any bill they want. They can make those of us who live in the District of Columbia treated like second or third class citizens. They can give us the same level of funding per capita as they give to states, but they don't do it. And eventually Mitch McConnell will say they can't explain why they're voting the way they are, and we're under no pressure, and it will sit. They pass a good bill, something to AOC and uh, the squad, and lots of Democrats in the House say they want. They can pass it. It'll sit on Mitch McConnell's desk on the top of his pile of hundreds of other bills, and he will ignore them and hope he can get away with it. It's incredible. So I'm not happy. I'm not happy with it. Nancy Pelosi, she set up a, a new committee uh, to look at the way in which the money was being spent from these stimulus packages. As we know from the last couple of weeks of uh, reporting, uh, the Small Business Administration loans mainly went to companies, and most of it went to companies that were not by any standard small. They were big corporate chains, big hotel chains, big restaurant chains, and unless they were embarrassed as Shake Shack, which is a you know, burger joint around the country, they got $10 million. And they, to their credit, I mean, although they were embarrassed when it was discovered they had gotten it, they did, they did give it back. And they said there are other places that need it more. And it, it's the small businesses, the small restaurants, the places that I know I love to stop on trips. Just this summer, we're traveling upstate New York in western Massachusetts. It's great to find a breakfast place, a small mom-and-pop diner somewhere to eat lunch. Those are the kinds of businesses that should have gotten the money, not these big corporations. And, we, you know, if you find out other things, the banks, the big banks, I have a, a two-tiered system. Mm-hmm. If you were a big customer, you got into one line and you got your money and then the crumbs went to the small people that were associated with you had some kind of connection to your bank. If you didn't have a connection to Bank of America, for example, you didn't get anything. Right. That's not what this was intended to do. There are no new rules, no new regulations in the bill that just passed on Thursday. There are two types of clients. There's the commercial client and the retail client. The commercial client at a bank is somebody who has wealth that exceeds, I think, more than $10 million. Or you run a a firm, like an investment firm or a law firm. You're considered a commercial client. And then there are the, the retail clients who own small businesses, truly small business, True. Uh, some of which may have one employee or maybe it's a family-run operation. In the African-American community, something like 90% of small businesses are one guy, one woman, and maybe That's right. a, a child. And if you were worth more than $10 million, you're considered a 
a, a commercial client and you went to the front of the line, you didn't have to go on the internet. They just gave you a loan. The <laughs> bank would give you a loan. Sure. Which you don't have to pay back. So they're just giving you money. And millionaires, the same way 90% of African Americans, small businesses are one person, a lot of millionaires are one person. They become corporations and they go to the front of the line and they get their, uh, their money. It's, yeah. this is worse than TARP. No, I think there's no doubt about it because in, in what TARP did and some of the problems that it has are just uh, included in other provisions in the last uh, bailout. And, you know, the banks have an answer. They say, well, they're not trying. I think Bank of America said, well, we, you know, it's it's got to do, we have to have two ways to distribute it because some of these companies are so complex there's a complexity to the funding of them and we just had to do them separately but by the time they did it they can point to some of the the little companies that you talked about but but most of the money goes to these big people in huge wads and 10 million 15 million dollars when if you had a half a million dollars you could protect the little restaurant the nail salon the architect who yeah. has six people working for her. And the uh, banks, I, this, I think Chase this, collected something like $14 billion in fees. Of course they do. Of course they do. Because banks do not do anything for nothing. They are not a charity. They'd be the first to tell you that, but then they'd be the second to explain why they shouldn't be and why they can get the money, they can get the fees, because they're helping the community. It is the most so, convoluted way to get money to people in need. You hire the government takes our tax dollars and says to the banks, to the banks, distribute it. What could possibly go wrong there? <laughs> Make these loans. No. We're going to treat these as loans, and you, we're going to loan them to small business men with no no investigation, no vetting, no. And these businesses are claiming they're going to stay open, that they're not going to fire anybody. We can barely hmm. audit these people. The IRS doesn't audit of course anybody not. worth more they than a million dollars. Why no, can't we just don't. give it to the American people directly? Well, that's a very good point, and I think it's what we should have done, this idea that, uh, and by the way, there's still people waiting for their $1,200 check to come in, stimulus check from the very first go-around of giving the money away. They, they still haven't gotten it. They still don't know when to expect it. And I, I did see somebody uh, on television today who said, you know, if we really believed that $1,200 could last 10 weeks, why don't members of the House and Senate try to live right. on $1,200 for the next 10 weeks? Let's talk about Chief Grace, the Blue Angels. The Blue Angels. Well, the Blue, I mean, I've seen the Blue Angels. I'm sure many of the people who listen to the show uh, have seen it. And, of course, uh, just the other day, the president announced that the that the uh, Blue Angels and a, a similar organization, the Thunderbirds, that, that do these uh, fancy flyovers, 
are going to be flying over major metropolitan areas over the next few weeks in order to honor honor medical workers. So I thought, well, what what do these things cost? What do these flyovers cost? And I remember some controversy in 2015 when there were four uh, F-18s that were flying. Uh, I don't know if they were with the Blue Angels or not, but they were flying over the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And the estimated cost of that four-plane flyover was $450,000. And the irony of that is that's a domed stadium. So nobody sitting there could actually see or hear them except on the Jumbotron, $450,000. Now, it sounds like kind of a lot of money, but not a huge amount, some would say. So I thought, well, they also flew over the 4th of July activities here in Washington that Donald Trump wanted to have and did have last year. That cost was $1.2 million for a flyover of Washington, D.C. by the Blue Angels. Now, this is all for the help to honor medical workers. Now, tell me, is it better to honor them with a flyover, or how about figuring out a way for them to get personal protective equipment that they need and they need it here in Washington and they need it in New York and they need it around the country and the places that don't need it yet will need it a month or two from now. And here's what happens to personal protective equipment. The pre-COVID cost of, of a suit and a mask and gloves was under the standards set by the CDC Two hundred and thirty six dollars a day for all of the personal protective equipment. Today, it's not two hundred and thirty six dollars. It's two thousand five hundred and ten dollars. And to make it take it to the granular level, those uh, fancy kind of face shields that you see, they used to cost fifty cents, fifty cents. The cost to buy them today is $4.50. Now, that's price gouging, I think. The only three big companies that make these, 3M, Honeywell, and a place called Ansel, shouldn't the government at a minimum say, hey, thanks for making these, but how about not making, oh, say more than twice what you used to make before we were in a national crisis? But they never say it. Trump just keeps thanking the private sector for being so good. It's a disgrace. It's an insult to medical workers who put their lives on the line every day to think that the Blue Angels are more important than making sure that people can afford the equipment they need to stay safe. It's a disgrace. Well, before you go, before you go, tell us who the religious nut of the week is. I would assume it would be this country (laughs) possibly but i was thinking a little bit more personally and i did try to get this gentleman's telephone number so that you could have an effort to call him but he doesn't have a telephone but his name is uh, is prophet not 
with a FIT, although I'm sure he's doing fine, prophet, you know, a person who sees the future, Jeremiah Johnson. He lives in Lakeland, Florida. He has a nightly church service, has had all kinds of hugging. He encourages people to hug. Uh, he says, he says, uh, in a little, little clip of uh, one of his, uh, uh, services the other day, uh, that he, he says, uh, this is a church. Uh, this is a place where we're not spectators, we're participants. Mm. So then people hug. And there's a certain irony to Prophet Jeremiah Johnson. He's going to be holding, I'm not making this up, a Raise the Dead conference in San Francisco on May 21st. The Grateful Dead? Raise that would the do dead. well. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, you know, I never saw the Grateful Dead. I never saw them. Okay. I never saw Fish either. But he's having the Raise the Dead conference in San Francisco on May 21st. Earlier this year, this is the same guy who told his parishioners uh, earlier in the year that he had had a dream. And in the dream, Donald Trump looks into a mirror, and instead of seeing his reflection sees the reflection of Abraham Lincoln. Mm. And this led uh, Pastor Jeremiah Johnson to say that Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln had freed the slaves, and Trump will now sign an emancipation proclamation for fetuses who might be about to be aborted. Wow. He might sign an emancipation. So he's definitely on the kooky side of the religious right. Now, I'm not violating a trust by suggesting or implying that your wife is a doctor. No. no. Okay. What Good are, what are we news. looking at? You, you kind of touched on this last week, and I, you know, if you sit down and turn off the TV and start reading about this. Yes. We're in for a long haul. There's a lot of pain and suffering that's down the down the pike. No, absolutely, and very few people talk about it, and they don't admit it. And the debate a few days ago, after the Pepper Alley Coronavirus Task Force meeting, uh, Trump said, uh, "You know, there were statements that perhaps this would reemerge in the fall." And he said uh, he he thought that was possible, but it's also possible that it would not reemerge. And and Dr. Fauci, who tries, I think, as hard as anybody uh, to try to be honest with people, uh, says. No, no, it will emerge in the fall. It is not going away. 60 or 70 percent of us will eventually get this. Now, we won't all get sick with it. Maybe half of us won't even know we have it. So I was delighted to know today when uh, Andrew Cuomo did his daily uh, press briefing, 14% of New Yorkers tested as a very small sample, 3,000, turned out to have antibodies to COVID-19. Now, that's more than a lot of people expected. But what's good to know is if you know those people, that means those people probably, probably not 100% sure, are not infectious, so they can go back to work. They can help to reopen the American system. COVID-19 
it's never going to go away. Think of this as the flu. The flu doesn't ever go away. The flu's always with us. That's why, because it changes a little bit most years, we always get a yearly flu shot. Doctors say get a flu shot. If you had one last year, you should get another one. But there are a lot of people in this administration who seem to think not only that you can, you know, put ultraviolet light on your body, go to a tanning bed and, and, and maybe cure, uh, or prevent the disease, but they really think it's going away. It's not, it's never going to go away. It will be around. The question and the thing I was been talking about for two weeks is the reason you want everybody to social distance is you want to make sure that you don't have so many sick people at one time that you overwhelm the system. So when uh, Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio talked about the dangers of overcrowding and the need for a, a medical ship to come to New York, they were assuming that people would not pay attention and they'd get sicker and sicker and it would overwhelm the system. So you don't want to overwhelm the system. But eventually, we will get, we will, most of us, get this virus. And eventually, so many of us will have antibodies that the virus will not easily be transferred from one person to another because it won't find enough new people to infect because so many people that thinks it wants to infect, in fact, already have antibodies to the disease. It's never going to go away. This is not, this is not something I hate it when these state governors who are just idiots suggest that maybe they could open up a few counties or a couple of zip codes in their state as if you can build, maybe they want, maybe they think the, the money that hasn't been yet spent on the wall with Mexico will be used as a wall between counties in North or South Carolina. It doesn't work that way. Think, I mean, I am stir crazy here. I go out for an hour and a half. I walk. I walk two or three miles. We have woods not too far from here. Um, but I, every weekend I have to go drive somewhere just to find a different park to walk in, a different woods to go in, because, you know, luckily it's spring so that the woods are changing, new flowers are coming out. Uh, but you can't do that. You can't stop people from going from one state to another, from one county to another. It's never going to go away. We need to get that through our heads. And that's why uh, I think the market reacted badly, stock market reacted badly to finding out that 14% of New York state residents might be infected. But that's actually a good sign because most of them didn't even know they had been sick. They didn't know. If now they know antibodies, probably not certainly, but probably will not infect others they can go back to work whether they're a firefighter a grocery store clerk they can go back safely they're not going to give the disease or get it again that's why we need to know what we're doing thank god we have a uh, reality host running the country <laughs> absolutely and and <laughs> I, people don't watch you know why i watch it because I do this show. 
and occasionally do Fugel Sang show. And I, I, I tell myself that I'm watching it for the purposes of, of, you know, knowing what to talk about. But really, I think I'm just drawn to it. This is the flame. I am the moth and I am ready every night. I try to eat dinner and watch these clowns operate and with the exception of Fauci. I have zero respect for any of them. And Dr. Burks, aside from her fancy scarves, um, she doesn't, even today, when he starts talking about if humidity and maybe we could inject people with something that would be like a bleach or like, she doesn't even say, uh, Mr. President, you're just wrong about that. She doesn't have the spine to even say that. So she is almost as culpable, maybe more culpable. Yes. Because she genuinely ought to know better. And Trump, I guess he thinks he got perhaps a medical degree from Trump University, but he doesn't know anything and he doesn't read anything. He's an uninformed host now running a country. And as I think I, as I said in my sermon on, I said we're st- Standing in the midst here of a, of a pandemic and we're led by a person who possibly was created in a laboratory. Yes. Or by Satan. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being an ordained, oh, he's a lawyer as well as an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. And Perfect I, pronunciation. And follow him on Twitter, Barry W. Lynn, and I will send you an invite to tonight's meeting where guests, Please do. guests Please and do. listeners get to mingle. And do I will be that. there. Yes. Stay on the line, Reverend. All right. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn. You called in your backup becomes now. See if we can get some more brain power in this. We thing. got one here. Roger. Fly it in, go. Go ahead and go. Uh, he's never mind. He's straightening up a little bit. Okay. Okay. Now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Well, basement masturbators, Colleen Worthman joins us. We're waiting for Frank. Hello. We're waiting for Frank Conniff to join us. Colleen Worthman, she's written for all your favorite shows, The Daily Show, Larry Wilmore's show, The Nightly Show, The Mark Twain Prize, Steve Martin. What am I leaving out? Michael Moore. Throwing right, shade. Broadway. Yep. All, all great stuff. stuff. All great stuff. 
How are you holding up? I've seen violence. New York Where City. Where have you seen violence? In the laundry room in my building. Oh, really? What get happened? The, get, the, get the F out of here. There's a goddamn pandemic. Get the F out you six feet away. And then they told well, me to come. What were you doing in there, David? I was you should be exposing yourself to the laundromat. <laughs> no one wants to see that wrinkly old pee. <laughs> That amputated tortoise leg. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty scary stuff. It was a 50-year-old guy. Uh, uh -oh. get, get the F out of me. And, uh, and I'm, then I'm seeing other stuff. I'm seeing people beginning to snap. Well, wait, but how violent? Was it just like yelling or was it actual like? Screaming like, at the top of his lungs, get the F out of this laundry room. Ooh. I said, I'm more than six feet away. And he said, you come any closer, I'll throw this chlorine at you. Jesus. Was he wearing a mask? Uh, yes, he was. And so was I was wearing a mask and, you know, those, on your face, on my face. And then, you know, those gloves that you make sandwiches with. Yeah. I was latex gloves. Yeah. I was wearing those. And that wasn't good enough for him. No, he wanted me six feet away. What a fucking dick. Yeah, screaming at the top of his lungs. That would make me want to yes. carry it's, around like a Stanley tape measure, just like with the thing locked at six feet and just hold it to my chest <laughs> and be like, look, motherfucker, six feet. Eat shit. Well, you're in New York City. I am. Are you seeing people beginning to snap? Uh, not really, but I have seen some some weird kind of cavalierness in the neighborhood. There's a big suspicion where I live that 5G causes coronavirus. You're talking about the neighbors in 5G. No, no. At, On like, the fifth 5G, floor. The telephone network. I said, <laughs> 5G. Then, yes. We don't have G in our building. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the original G Go ahead. So people believe that COVID-19 started because of 5G. The 5G, like, tele-network or whatever. Yeah. It's a it's a weird conspiracy theory that has a lot of uh, traction in certain poorer neighborhoods and uh, neighborhoods where people are more, you know, suspicious of the government. Mm -hmm. Also, I, I handed out a lot of leaflets, <laughs> so that might have been... Yeah, that'll do you know, it. Yeah. Right, and I, and I did this, like, bonfire thing where everyone could, like, throw their, throw their phones into the fire... And now the park outside our apartment building is uh, a super fun site because of all the toxins <laughs> in the phone. So that that's a little bit of, you know, yeah. Yeah. it didn't go that great. What is 5G? So supposedly this I is... I don't know. We're going to have, like, lightning speed on our Internet, right? I guess. I mean, is it a satellite kind of a thingy where, like, it just is getting to the satellites faster so you can get more... Faster coverage? I, I have no idea, honestly. Yeah, it's a reason to make our internet more expensive, even though it's going to get slower. My know, internet gets slower, and I cannot work my, go ahead, my television. Yup, up, 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 David, because here's my empirical anecdotal evidence. Now, at our apartment, we have the Verizon Fios, with that, like that fiber optic thingy, and there's two networks you can join wireless networks. One is regular Fios 5E. I don't know what's, why it's 5E. But then there's Fios 5E, 
5G, and that one is faster. Always faster. And what do you pay? Oh, I don't know. It's like a package with cable and phone and uh, Internet. It's like 100 and change a month. Are you watching less TV now or more TV? Oh, way more. I mean, I always watch a lot of programs because I love my programs. All kinds. Comedies, dramas, movies, spy movies, heist movies, heist TV shows, <laughs> spy TV shows. Um, the only thing I really don't watch is uh, reality, like uh, uh, battling sort of community theater whores, mm-hmm. like Real Housewives, that kind of stuff. Because uh, I just find it, I, I, I resent untrained, non-good actors trying to be actors. Yeah, right. Well, people are suffering. People are dying. Congresswoman Maxine Waters' yeah. sister is dying. Elizabeth yeah. Warren's older brother passed mm-hmm. away. This is serious stuff. I, I just want to preface this question by saying that there is a class divide, a race divide splayed wide open right now. Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, isolation is a privilege. It's uh, pretty horrible out there. That being said, you are isolating. Yes. You're with your husband. I'm, I'm fortunate to be isolating, and uh, I I consider myself deeply, deeply non-essential to the yes. world. Yes, yes. I am deeply non-essential I was to thinking the world. about that last night, that Colleen is... How essential is, I am? <laughs> that, that she's a... Word. Yeah, yeah the, that there's not nothing less essential. Yeah, there. You know, and it's not being cute. I'm not trying to be cute, like um, unnecessary. Nor am I. Uh, like I am, but I'll tell you who is necessary. One person is absolutely. Ne- oh, and we. I just disconnected him. It was Uh-oh. Frank. I had a great introduction ah. for Frank. Oh, here he is. No, I, I thought I disconnected him. I didn't. Frank is coming in. Frank oh, Conniff. Get it the fuck together, David. I know. Let me turn off his... Uh, he's turning I'm sure on. he's already turned off. He's turning on his video. <laughs> Frank is essential. And, Frank is essential. And we have Joel here, and we have Senior Brainwash, and Tim. We put out a last-minute social media call to see if anybody wanted to sit in. Um, this. Yes, I, I saw some retweets, and I got excited. Yes. I so, hope that... Lots of deeply probing and or inappropriate questions are asked or or just genuine. Yeah. And it's good to this is very exciting. Frank. Did Frank show up yet? Yeah, I see. His, he's on the go to gallery view and you can see everybody, David, for the love of Christ. Oh, let me unmute Frank. <laughs> Frank might have to unmute himself also. I, did I? Oh, uh, you, no, you're good. You're good. Hey, Frank. Frank Conniff hey. is here. Yay. Who looks who has never looked better. You, Thank you, you. You you look fantastic. You're very well rested. <laughs> uh, I, I I am getting a lot of rest. Um, you know, it's it's all I have to do all day is rest. So. <laughs> Me too. I, I took a three and a half hour nap the other day between like four thirty and eight p.m. <laughs> it's the only the if, <laughs> I, I I need to have dreams because it's the only way I can go to a restaurant. <laughs> It's so true. I have so many dreams. I bet a lot of people do. I have so many dreams lately where I'm where I'm at a restaurant in France. Really? Yeah, yeah. What do you eat in the re- in the dream restaurant? Oh, I don't know. The dreams are 
I don't remember specific details about them, but um, I but I've had a lot of restaurant dreams lately. Wow! Like, are they crazy dreams where I pick up the tip and the tab? (laughs) (laughs) Is it that crazy? Nothing that uh, you know. I I would have to have a pastrami sandwich before I went to bed to have that kind of. (laughs) Yeah, if you have cured meats before bed, you have crazy dreams. That's that's a fact. A sausage, a pepperoni. Yeah. A <laughs> so, I, you know what? Here's a dream, though, that I, I do remember, and this is absolutely true. I, I dreamt I was working at a restaurant, and my bosses were Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. No way. That wow. That was an actual dream I had. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's a, that, is, that is a bizarre. <laughs> What's the weirdest dream you've had, Colleen? I keep having uh, sort of thematically recurring related. This is so humiliating and embarrassing. But I dr- have these dreams where, like, I'm hanging out with Timothy Chalamet and I have a crush on him, but he feels, like, ambivalent about me or he's, like, too busy for me. Who is he? <laughs> who, I don't know who Timothy that is. Chalamet? He's that young actor who was in uh, Call Me By Your Name and um, uh, yeah, a beautiful few- boy, that, that addiction movie with Steve Carell. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful yeah, actor. He's, he's good. He's good. Did you see Stanley Tucci making that, what was it? A ne- what did he a make? Negroni. The Negroni. Yeah. Did you see that? I saw stills of it. I didn't bother to check because I don't drink anymore. So yeah, I, I was kind of like, man. I didn't watch that. I, didn't. I mean, a Negroni is a very good cocktail. Although I would argue that its rival, the Boulevardier, which is made with... Campari, uh, vermouth, and bourbon is actually a superior drink for the winter, although a gin is probably better for the summer and spring. I recommend you look at Stanley Tucci mixing a Negroni for his girlfriend or wife. It's one of the sexiest things. He's just so cool, and it's all how you hold yourself because he's not what you would call a classically good-looking guy like Frank and me. But he has the swagger. <coughs> you're, Sorry, you're, you're all right? Yeah, no, I just some bile came up in my throat. But you don't think Stanley Tucci's a good-looking guy? Is that like sense? I mean, I'm, no. I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd fuck him, but I, you know. <laughs> I think he has a compelling look. Do I consider him a hottie patati? No. Well, Frank, we have some listeners. Hey, you can tell. You look. I'm having dreams about Timothy Chalamet. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm sad. <laughs> my 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 dreams, my dreams are not um, sexual in nature. They involve me uh, filling out W two forms for Tom Hanks. It's a different thing. Do, do you also have to do that, uh, like ID verification thing, where you yeah, bring in yeah. like your driver's license and social security number? Right, right. Uh, love it. Everybody asks, "What do you miss most?" I'm going to ask you. What are you going to miss most about the pandemic? What are you going to miss if and when this ever ends? Ooh. Frank? I, won't, I don't think I, um, uh, I, I don't think there's anything about it I'll miss. For one thing, it's, I used to do this type of thing all the time without a pandemic, you know? <laughs> right. So it's like kind of, but it's, it's like a thing where, um, uh, now that it's like required, it's, it's not as, it's, I'm, I'm not into it anymore. You know, I, I mean, it's something that I can handle because like I've said, 
isolating is something I've done a lot of in my life. But I think living in New York City is very hard um, doing this because it's just depressing, like everything being closed. Like for the first time ever, there's nothing open 24 hours in my neighborhood. And that, that depresses the hell out of me. Yeah. But is New York City really the city that never sleeps? I, I, I'm telling you, 9 o'clock on a Tuesday around Manhattan, at least, it's uh-huh. dead. The idea well, that this, it depends on where you are. Yeah, it depends on where you are, because I used to live in the West Village, and um, you could go out at 4 a.m., and there'd be people hanging around the taco truck and all kinds or, of noise. Or people trying to find, like, frat boys trying to find chumleys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we're in my neighborhood, though, the Upper East Side, even before the pandemic, it's true, like at 9 p.m., 10 p.m., it's it's very quiet. Okay. Yeah. So there was a piece in the New York Times a couple of days ago saying New York City as we know it is not coming back. The Broadway, they say, may not come back as we know it. Mm-hmm. The, the museums may not come back as we know it. Real estate may not come back as we know it. When I think of the three things that drive me crazy in Manhattan and tourism, mm-hmm. four things, the tourists who have turned New York City into Disneyland, the museums, which are money laundering operations for the wealthy, mm-hmm. just a bunch of rich hedge fund managers controlling the art world, Broadway, $500 for yeah, cheap that, that seats. Sucks. It's insane. Restaurants where it's just, you know, four Don't dog deep. on my restaurants now. I'm sorry? Don't dog on my restaurants now. Is it Everyone po- needs to eat. And, and I, I agree with you, but real estate, Manhattan real estate, New York City real estate, does the city, did it, col- was the pandemic the spark that caused the city to collapse on itself. Wasn't it about to collapse? It was unsustainable. The prices, the people, the pace, the values. It's a disgusting city. It really is. And it isn't, you know, we have a sense memory of what it was like when Patty Smith was young. This isn't the city anymore. I'm so fucking tired of Patty Smith's and like that whole idealization. There's this awesome book um, oh my God, what is it called? That like the St. Mark, it's it basically the, the theory of the book is that everyone says that whenever St. Mark's was best was when they, when they were 19. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to ask Colleen this question because she, I sense, enjoys New York City. I do. I love it here. Same here. I was just going to say it's the greatest disgusting city in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the garbage always on the sidewalk. The poo-poo is of various species, mostly human, all human. So you, you think this city hasn't been taken over and ravaged by Wall Street and the um, values that come with that? Not just Wall Street. I think the real estate thing is very uh, compelling as well. Um, do you think Broadway, as opposed to off-Broadway, do you think there's a... I mean, I, you worked on Michael Moore's show. I loved it. But for the most part, do you think Broadway 
exploits tourists and the people who live here? Do you think the Yankees and the Knicks, what they charge, the way we subsidize these stadiums and they return the favor by charging $500? Stadiums, though, ruin every city. Yeah, stadiums are the worst. It's not a unique to New York thing. And any, you know, Minneapolis, where I live, which is another city that I love. Tweet, 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 tweet. St. Paul forever. Tweet, tweet, tweet. But the, uh, you know, the, the stadium, uh, the, the neighborhood where the stadium is in any city is the worst neighborhood. It sucks shit. The city. It ruins everything. There's no culture or anything happens around it. Not even, uh, uh, you know, sports bar. The sports bar, like downtown Minneapolis now is, is dominated by sports bars. And so I, I'm not a sports person anyway, but I, I feel like stadiums, which every city jumps all over themselves to have them, but they, they ruin every city. And they create yeah. bad jobs, especially like yeah. a football, a stadium exclusively for football. Right. You know, Total you get garbage. more and you get maybe 20 Sundays of work per mm-hmm. year if you're lucky. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that there's that amazing book called Field of Schemes about the public subsidization of uh, stadiums and arenas and whatnot in big cities uh, well, and even smaller cities, too. It's very worth a read. Yeah. Do you think there's a backlash towards celebrities in general? Don't you feel they should just shut up and quarantine by themselves? Do they have to keep reminding us what charities to give to? And, you know, we're selling this wine and all the proceeds go towards COVID. Really, I don't know. It just feels I, I resent hearing from celebrities who are telling me who to donate to and and thanking us and telling us this. I, they should just shut up, shouldn't they? I Honestly, I would rather hear from an actual person than watch a shitload of commercials about how Hyundai is there for us with deferred payments, as though Hyundai gives a flying fuck about anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the... Um... The pandemic has created its own genre now, you know. Yeah. And now, like, yeah, (laughs) you see Zoom calls on every commercial, and uh, it's it's every like anything, it just becomes a cliche immediately. Well, you know, Frank, I I think you, I think your publicist tweeted this out. You made a statement that you were not asking anybody in the apartments you own to pay rent for the month of uh, April. Is that correct? That's true. No yeah. one in, in, in my real estate empire, uh, actually, they never have to pay rent. Yeah. You said it was a no-brainer, <laughs> I believe. Colleen, same thing. You own a couple of apartment buildings around America, and you uh, said yeah, none of called, them. They're called uh, imaginary gardens. <laughs> <laughs> Here, All right. So I read that, like, Dak Shepard and his wife... <laughs> said, you know, you don't have to pay rent in our buildings for the month of March or April. And I mm-hmm. thought, A, who's Dak Shepard and why does he have apartment buildings? And if you're doing that, keep your effing mouth shut about it. We don't need to. And then I read that Kelly Ripa donated a million dollars to COVID-19 relief. And I think, F you. Do it quietly. You're not setting... Uh, you're not a role model for anybody by donating a million dollars. It's like it's not like I'm going to donate a million dollars to COVID nineteen. Yeah, okay, but I'm, I'm raising my hand here. Go ahead. Okay, 
Number one, Dax Shepard is a very funny comedic actor. He is in Mike Judge's amazing movie, Idiocracy, which if you haven't seen it, see it, do yourself the favor. It completely falls apart in the third act, but the first 30 minutes are some of the fucking funniest 30 minutes of film ever. Okay. But, but uh, fine, and I'm glad he got an apartment building. But... I'm going to finish what I was going to say. I think it is worth... I think it is worth people saying I'm giving this money because then it gooses other people to give more money. And also the important part of it is some uh, apparent, you know, um, supposedly because of Kelly Ripa, someone in need got money. That's the important thing. Well, how about you give the million dollars and not tell people you gave the million dollars? But if she wants to... Um, you know, make a big deal about it because, you know, she's, uh, you know, wants to bring attention to herself. Um, as long as people are getting money, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. That's her thing if she wants to do it, you know. Um, it's not, in all seriousness, you don't think it's tacky? No. It's, yeah, I mean, it, 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 even if it is tacky, it doesn't bother me. Go, you know, if you're giving it, if people are getting in need or getting money, then go be tacky if that's what it takes. This is America. Uh, to for people it's to get the money. Supposed to be tacky. Yeah. I, I. We are the home of truck nuts. Well, we are the home of crocheted toilet paper, like little dollies that sit on your your shit roll. Okay, so you know you give a million dollars and you're Kelly Rip. I don't know what she makes a year. I know that Ellen is making a six quillion dollars a quillion dollars. So this is you know chalk it up to marketing. Look what a good person I am. I'm giving a million dollars to this charity. Yeah, I mean it's, it's sure it's corporate responsibility. But would I rather everyone who is a corporate entity? And I include Kelly Ripa in that, but at least she's a person and not fucking Hyundai or whatever. If her donation makes other people go, oh, shit, we, we better give a lot of money. I feel like by any means necessary. Fuck the, everybody. Well, wait a second. If you have, let's say, a billion dollars. I do. Okay. And Kelly Ripa is giving a million dollars. So it becomes an arms race where you have to then top her and show off. Yeah. Or you do it quietly. I would assume there are people who are as wealthy, if not wealthier, than Kelly Ripa, who have class and style, and they give Ooh, the like money Bill quietly. Gates. Everybody knows who he is. Like who? Jeff Bezos. Everybody knows who he is. Yeah. What about the Mercers? What, what about, about them? the Koch brothers? They give a shitload of money, like under the radar. They also have their name on some things, like now the fucking. Uh, Theater, uh, New York State Theater at Lincoln Center. They, they get that's right. You know they're what? bad I just people. I derailed my own argument. Pass. Yeah, Pass they're bad the people. <laughs> the important thing is that no matter what, that Kelly Ripa doesn't use her, uh, doesn't lose her delightful rapport with Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> it is a, it is just a jewel. It gets my morning started every day. So you know when I know I'm depressed when I've been up all night. Uh, and I start watching Kelly Ripa, and I think to myself, "Boy, she's a genius. She's she's sharp. Yeah. She's in the moment. She is she, sharp. She is. She is." But, I met her once when I worked with Wanda Sykes on this thing for Logo. It was like an election special in 2012 or something. We used her offices because somehow they know each other. I don't know what. 
Um, and she was super, super cool, really smart and engaged and like a delightful person. She's also on a very uh, funny uh, Broad City episode. Yes. She plays herself. Yes. So good. Gotta love Broad City. <laughs> I love Broad City. How so do you see us if and when we come out of this? Mm-hmm. Do they just turn a switch and all of a sudden the clubs are open, stand-up is back in business, people are doing specials on that. It's all, it's like it never happened? Or do we come back with a jaundiced eye, wary of others? I mean, do you think we're going to be more mistrustful? We already are mistrustful. I mean, I had an experience in the laundromat last right. night. So we're, we don't trust one another. Right. We resent each other. How does that affect? How does that affect the entertainment industry? Do you think there, I hope, do you think there's contempt for these, these liberals, these who are really neoliberals who are making a fortune and really don't care about us? But you know, they're, they're for. Wait, what, what? Who are you talking about? Rob Reiner is who I'm talking about. <laughs> Why are you talking about Rob Reiner? What, what, huh? does he have Wait. To, what does he have to do with, uh. David, you're lumping too many things together. It's like, are we going to go back to normal? Are people going to be mistrustful? Does Rob Reiner suck shit? Like, what? Let's pick a lane. Okay, the lane is the Biden consensus lane. And yes, I'm vote. Oh, I'm not. Gonna, oh, hang on for one second. Hang on. I don't want to get into whether or not. I, 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 obviously, I'm going to. We gonna, already talked about that last time. I know. So, I, but you know, I'm talking about the values of the, the the neoliberals who run Hollywood and they talk a big game, but you know, they can't wait to move a, a TV show to a right-to-work state mm. and that kind of stuff. The, the Rob Reiners of the world. Wait, so what's the question? Are we going to reset? Are the American people, as consumers of entertainment, are they going to wake up to the fact they, they get to see how their favorite stars shelter in place, their $25,000 sub-zeros, their 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 kitchens and how truly out of touch the the entertainment. Oh, are world. you talking about ice cream gate? Which ice cream gate? Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's ice cream gate. Uh, what? What, What's what, that? What, what, what an incredible scandal! She she was on James Corden's show and she showed her her freezer full of ice cream and people were. Uh, people who own uh, sub-zero outrage generators were very upset about it. Huh. Well, it would be nice if the Democratic Party had a, a speaker, a leader, at le- or a majority leader, or a whip whose parents were, you know, cleaning ladies and who who don't come from the 1%. I mean, it would be nice if we had men and women in the Democratic Party, in Congress, who We don't... do. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. Yes, know. good point. Good she point. might be, you know, who knows what she's going to be one of these days. I'm hoping that um, the Congress will, um, in November, will... Um, uh, Lee will become more progressive. I think it's, it's, I think that something like this is, can make that ha- as awful as the pandemic is, that could contribute to that happening, or it could all backfire and, and the election gets stolen and, and nothing changes. Right. But, but there's, you know, but I, I'm hoping that, um, 
that uh, there'll be more people like AOC and more people like AOC in the Congress um, will mean a more progressive Joe Biden administration. People who think that Joe Biden is just going to be this conservative who's not going to um, pass anything that that they like, um, I think they're mistaken. I, I think that, that um, people are putting so much emphasis on on who the president is, whereas who the Congress is, is what's important. Mm -hmm. And a progressive-leaning Congress, a Senate that's flipped, and a House that has more progressive people in it, is going to result in a more progressive administration, a a more progressive Joe Biden administration. So I don't even know where the hell people are coming from who are saying, I can't bring myself to vote for Joe well, Biden. Well, but he is. It's, it's, it's I'll crazy. tell you what I believe, and then I'll let Colleen uh, answer, and then we'll move on. Uh, We're almost out of time. This is what I believe in my heart, and there's nothing you can say uh, to dissuade me, And so I don't want to get into a screaming match. But this is what I'll say about AOC. Yeah, what is this, the laundry room in your apartment? I, I'm angry. Oh, I, I'm, I would I'm, be, too. I want to turn. furious I, at that guy. I want to turn the tables over. I, I, I But this is this is what I this is my truth. Uh, the DCCC, Sherry Bustos, said to anybody who challenged their endorsements for Congress, if any consultant who works with somebody like AOC will be blackballed from any future work from the Democratic Party. So the DCCC controls all the candidates who win in the House, and the DCCC supports neoliberal, free trade charlatans. So when you say, yeah, Joe Biden's, obviously Joe Biden's going to be better than Trump, but they're just going to move it a little to the left of center, cosmetically, but they're they're not going to give up Wall Street. Most of the Democratic Party, the leadership, they're bagmen for Wall Street. So until you... It's easy to say AOC, AOC. She's a miracle. She's an outlier. Colleen? Your question was, <laughs> do I think that people, the uh, the great unwashed, oi polloi America, will become outraged at the luxurious lifestyles of right. the celebrities? No, absolutely not. Look, of Americans believe in angels. We're a bunch of fucking idiots. Right. Do you think all of a sudden a class consciousness is going to, like, happen because of coronavirus? There, You know, people love looking at real rich and famous people because it's something to aspire to. Did they during, I mean, you watched Turner Classic movies during the 30s. There's some great movies and plays that were turned into movies. Gold Diggers of 1933 by Busby Berkeley. I mean, there's the dialectic between the the wealthy and the poor being played out in the movies with real conversations about this. You don't Mm -hmm. think we're going to see a return to Steinbeck? Even the Waltons that celebrates the the work. There was a time when America was really interested in... Well, I mean, citing, cherry-picking examples is just not a fair argument. I mean, there are class conscious movies and TV shows right now. There are uh you know, plenty of plenty of films that deal with the downtrodden, you know Watch uh, uh the movie Snowpiercer, which is an yeah. action an action movie that's all, that's all about class consciousness. 
Yeah. Okay. Or uh, that show uh, Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu, which, while not good, is all oh, about never, race I've and class. Seen, I haven't seen I haven't. Oh, you know what was really good was uh, The Plot Against America. I don't know if you watched that. that yeah, I found it tonally exhausting, yet uh, well done. Yeah. But, like, they good. changed the ending in a really, uh, in a way, yeah, I found they money. Did. They did change the ending, but it was good, though. Yeah. Right, right. Well, we have some listeners here. Oh, the listeners! Yay! Okay. So let's. If does anybody uh, before we go and thank you for showing up, Joel? Are you here? Let me unmute Joel. Do you have a question or send your brainwash or Tim? Do you have a question? Uh, raise your hand if you want to ask a question. Let me read you the poll that Do we asked. Know how to raise their hand? They can. They can use it. Uh, so I did a poll of our uh, attendees. Uh-huh. We have uh, four people voted, but we'll make it sound. <laughs> Let's make, we'll go by percentages. Uh-uh. Hey, look, you know what? We I put out a call on social media. Do you you know, I don't have that many followers, so you know, do you want to <laughs> sit in on a Zoom taping and some people showed up? I'm grateful that God bless. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm honored that they showed up. No, me too. Four four people voted, but let's Pretend this is like a large audience. Okay. I am a basement masturbator is the first question. True or false? Colleen, you have accused my entire audience of being basement <laughs> masturbators. These people who came to see you answered this honestly. What percentage okay. of my listeners, of your fans who came to watch you do this on Zoom, what percentage have confessed to being basement masturbators? I'm going to say 75%. That's three out of four. And the reason I say that is because I was the voter number four in the poll. Oh, I, so, choose, I chose no. Okay, so one of you didn't vote. Uh, Frank, no. she says well, 75% of the people here are basement masturbators, higher well, or lower. Now that I've heard the term basement masturbator, I, I know what happened in your laundry room last night. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's why that guy didn't want David to be yeah. in the same room as him. Obviously. But uh, I'm, uh, I don't have a basement, and um, I'm a living room masturbator, which is why I haven't been able to raise my hand. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of sass over the years from people saying, like, oh, I don't have a basement. I live in California. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Basement masturbator is a state of mind. Yes. 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 As yes. well as a physical reality. Yes, absolutely. I would argue. The result is 50% of our <laughs> attendees, two, two are basement masturbators, nice. and the other two are not basement masturbators. Okay. okay. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. All right. The next question. It. it has been four weeks since I've shaved, bathed, brushed my hair, brushed my teeth, gone outside, all of the above. What percentage, we'll start with Colleen, what percentage of our attendees say it's been four weeks since they've shaved? 100%. It's, I'm going to, 25%, but all of the above also got 25%. So that would be 50% then. So I basically got it. Yeah. What did you say, 100%? Yeah. Okay. Rounding up. From 50 is 100. What percentage, it's one person, who says it's been four? By the way, I I haven't uh, shaved or bathed because I'm always in such a hurry to get to my basement (laughs) masturbation. 
I'm in a rush. I, I actually, I should clarify my own answer. I have not shaved, but I have been extremely diligent about tweezing my chin whiskers. Ah, the chin whiskers, by the way, yeah. one of my favorite girl groups. <laughs> the chin whiskers. What percentage? Tour with the Decemberists this year. Oh, but it got canceled because of fucking coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I just think if you're famous and rich, you're on notice. And and we're oh, watching you. Not you, oh. Colleen. I'm just saying I've had it with Demi Moore and Bruce Willis sheltering in place in their pajama prison pajama outfit. Wait, are they together? Yeah. Demi Moore and Bruce Willis? They got back together, and his current wife isn't sheltering with him, and I want to know what's going on. Oh, shit. I like Bruce Willis, but, you know, if you're that wealthy, just make movies and shut up. Is oh. uh, I just want him uh, ready if uh, terrorists take over Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that what Judy uh, Karn used to say in on Raffin? What on what on Raffin? Some 1880s shit. What what what? Nakatumi. Oh, Sakatumi. Yes, <laughs> but it was oh. Raffin. Oh, Jesus! Wow. Yeah. That, uh, I owe Dak Shepard an that, apology. That, that, that joke took a bigger beating than Judy Karn took when she was married to Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Oh boy! It's Cannibal true. Done. It's Ooh. true. Did you know that, Colleen? That Bert. I I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know who Judy Carn is? No, I know who Bert Reynolds is. I remember Judy him Karn was the, and whatnot. Judy Carn was the Sakatumi girl on Laughing. Oh. Um, and apparently Bert <laughs> listened. Yes. Oof. But I think before that she was married to Bert, and she said that he he was abusive. Yeah. But we can laugh. He seems about like it a real now. fucking asshole, frankly. Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. Wait. What happened to the poll? Are we well, let me let poll? me just point out that I am finishing up. I'm going to say this privately to my <laughs> listeners and the four people. <laughs> I am almost done with apropos of nothing. Woody Allen's book. I read Oof. it. Oof. And? Frank? You know what? I uh, There's no way I wasn't going to read it. Um, all the stuff about him being a comedian and being a comedy writer in television in the 50s and his movies was all, uh, of course, it was all incredibly interesting to me. The greatest, the greatest read I've had all year. The greatest <laughs> read. The guy's a genius. But specifically the part where he denies sexually abusing his uh, niece or whatever. His, you know his, what his daughter, his stepdaughter. And and that stuff like was like a lot of that I skimmed over because I just wasn't interested in it. You know, right. I was interested in the show business stuff. Sure. And and him and him being a writer and working on movies and working in the theater and you know how he first met Tony Roberts, you know, stuff like that. I was much more interested in. Mm. Um, so uh, I did read it. I did enjoy it. I think there are his, his attitudes towards women in it. Aside from the scandal, aside from everything with that marriage and Sunyi, his attitudes towards women in it are very problematic. I, okay. I, I, you know, I read the review in the New York times uh, and, and it accused him of lookism. 
I'm reading the book. What is lookism? Where you judge women by the way they look. Is he guilty of saying, you know, Louise Lasser looked like Bridget Bardot and was the most beautiful woman in the world, and I loved her, and we couldn't stop having but sex? You know what? About Louise Lasser, though, he, I found him... Um, Violating it, some trusts? It, it wasn't very nice what he wrote about her. And he wrote about her, oh, I loved her. She changed my life. She was amazing. But she, he goes in very judgmentally, I thought, about her mental illnesses. And... uh um, you know, that aspect of the book I did not, I did not like. Okay. I have to say. All right. I, uh, I'll just leave the Woody Allen subject, uh, but I just want to say that if you're not convicted in our criminal justice system and you've been accused of something and they haven't convicted you, which he wait, wasn't. Are you con- saying the beginning of the law and order thingy? In, in, the, criminal in the criminal justice, justice. system. <laughs> clink, clink. <laughs> that he uh there were two investigations he was cleared and my rule is another person then has to come forward and say you know what i didn't want to say anything about woody allen but he did such and such it hasn't happened here's what i'm gonna say he's white oj if the girl's underwear does fit you must not acquit (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but OJ, but OJ ended up doing other bad things, and there was a history. I mean, there was nine eleven. She called nine eleven. Going to do more bad things now. What? He, Woody Allen's going to do more bad things now because he's like, fuck it. I, I know. I saw the series anyway. on Amazon. It was horrible. Oh my god, Elaine it was so May. bad. It was awful. All right, he's guilty. Oh, no, I have a, I have a history of watching anything Woody Allen does. And I didn't get beyond the first episode of that. Yeah. Oh my God! You should there, you there should were, watch it just out of sheer. There were five wreck. five more episodes to go. I didn't watch it, and uh, which is also very telling about it because Elaine May, I'll watch anything she's in, and mm-hmm. I, I adore Elaine May, and I still. Annie, you're somewhere in the <laughs> <laughs> That's a line from the. Um... From the miniseries, mm-hmm. it's the it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Okay, twenty five percent, twenty five percent of the people here have not bathed in a month. Mm-hmm. Everybody's brushed their teeth. Uh, everybody's gone outside. Twenty five percent of the people here have not brushed their hair in a month. Okay, and twenty five percent say all of the above. Well, hang on. Okay, the all of the above is is. Uh, confusing me. This is, and then the last question, and then we'll wrap it up. And if anybody wants to ask, guess questions, huh? Guess questions. Yeah, well, I'm, I was going to open this up to the oh. to the wonderful people who showed up. Who said ninety percent of life is showing up? Uh, Woody Allen said that. Yes. Question number three. I blame Trump, the wet markets, bats, Hillary. Myself. Colleen, what percentage of our attendees say they blame Trump? Uh, 25%. Very good. Oh. Oh, my God, I got one right. Frank, what percentage blame the wet markets? What, what is the wet market? The Wuhan wet markets where people were, oh, like, eating the pangolins. Oh, right. Wuhan wet market sounds where I lost my virginity. Uh, <laughs> That's my nickname for my badge. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll say uh, 
Uh, 25% just because people are doing well with that. Nobody's blaming the wet markets. Okay. And rightfully so. Oh. We have wet markets here. Uh, you mean like the Trader Joe's at 72nd and Broadway? That uh, uh, we, we did an interview on this. A wet market is where they sell live things. And we have butchers here. Yeah. Dry markets is where you buy clothing or canned goods. Like a general store. General store, right. Bats. What percentage of the people who came to this event blame the bats. I'm going to say none. Frank? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't blame bats. I do blame the movie Joker, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, I'm going to go with that, too. Zero percent. What right. percentage of the people in attendance blame Hillary for this? None. Frank, your audience. I don't even go. You know what? I hope it's none. That's all I want to say. One percent. I'm sorry. Twenty five percent. There's one person here who blames Hillary. Sarcastically or sincerely? I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe one of them will want to speak up. And finally, what percentage blame myself? Who blames myself? How many of our? That's got to be the remaining 50%, right? Agreed. 50%. That's correct. Let me share the results with you. I like the polling here. This is fun. (laughs) We're doing, so before we go, is there uh, any of our listeners, does uh, Joel, Senior Brainwasher, Tim want to ask a question of our distinguished panel of comedic experts? I think they're just thrilled to just see you guys, as am I. Yeah, they're nodding their head. I, I just think it's, <laughs> I, I, the, I mean, the opportunity for, for me to be able to see Colleen and Frank and the listeners is just thrilling. We're doing a Zoom meeting tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Oh, very interesting. You guys, I'll send you the invites. Oh, shoot. I got my trivia tomorrow night at 9. Wait, now t- okay, I'm curious how people are using Zoom. So there's a trivia night? Okay, so my friend Maria Cristina Oliveris, who is a wonderful uh, Broadway actor and singer, um, she roped me into her trivia team, which is called the Slugworths. And we are playing in a trivia uh, league that is hosted by a, some guy who's a friend of hers, and it's a, it's a fundraising thingy for City Harvest. So every time you play, you make a little donation to City Harvest, and it's five rounds. It's kind of like the old trivia night at Pete's Candy Store in Williamsburg, to those of you who used to go oh, to that I, I famous Pete's, trivia I night. I miss Pete's Candy Store. That was a great place. Yeah. And is it done on Zoom? It is. There are about 40 people playing. 40 people, and are there buzzers? Are there special effects? How does it work? No, um, the, the host reads out the things, and then we text if we want a question repeated, or mm-hmm. like we chat if we want a question repeated. Um, and once it's done, then there's like another two minutes where we can, where the, the players can chat with each other on usually like phone text about what we're going to put down for the answers, and mm-hmm. then we send them in, and then super fast, they tally the results. And then we do five rounds of that. It's really fun. That sounds like fun. I think, I think I'm think i going to end this by answering the question I asked at the top, which is, what am I going to miss most about the pandemic? And it's 
the answer for me is I don't feel I'm being left out of anything. Mm. I, 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 and there's been some studies that a lot of people, I know some shrinks who are telling me that a lot of privileged people who get to go to a shrink report that their anxiety and their depression has disappeared during the pandemic because so much of anxiety and depression is work related. Now, of course, not having work and not having money is incredibly stressful, but yeah, that, that usurps all that other stuff as yeah. far as I'm concerned. How bad does this get? Who knows? I mean, if, uh, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of, uh, news shows now because the news is all bad, you know, and, uh, um, I, I, and, and my, my whole mantra for, for making it through this pandemic is, has been one to live one day at a time and to not think about the future because the future is terrifying. And so if I can just think, I, I'm just going to just, uh, you know, I'm okay today, tomorrow, I'll worry about tomorrow. That's the only way I can make it through. If, if I think about, um, What's going to happen in the future? It just becomes very overwhelming. To well, me. You're, you're, so not, you're an not, alcoholic, not, right? Not, yeah, nothing on, um, you know, on the, like the cable news shows or whichever, which people shouldn't watch anyway. No. Um, but it's just a nonstop bummer, you know, and, uh, uh, I, I can't handle it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm part of the program and I take it one panic attack at a time. Yeah, I don't want to confuse. That's a good. That's that's a that's a good policy. Yeah, Colleen, what are you going to miss? Um, I think that I will miss. Uh, yeah, a, a sense of a slight pressure relief. Of yeah, like, you said that last time. Yeah, the, I mean, like, I, yeah. I'm a real worrier about like work shit and career things, and um, right now that all kind of goes away because we're in like a holding pattern. Right. It's an, it's moot to worry about like getting a script to someone or whatever, like, cause it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like no one's making decisions. As far as I can tell, I hear these like rumors of like, Oh, so-and-so just bought a pitch on zoom. Not with it. Not from anybody I know. Right. So, right. So well, to me, it, it takes some of the edge off of that. Anxiety, which I realize is esoteric and particular to my neuroses or whatever, yeah. but yeah. Let me just you throw this out. Go I, ahead, Frank. I, I did a pitch to a um, entertainment company on Zoom, and I still got my parking validated. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just throw this out there. Just a suggestion, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't Come pay your rent. Apartment building and kill the guy. No, don't pay your rent. Don't oh. pay your student loans. Don't pay your taxes. Uh, don't pay your credit card bills. Act like the one percent. Act like Donald Trump. I mean, what would happen? Why don't we hear anybody saying that? Just because nobody wants to be homeless. Duh. Well, they've they've well. The issue is why Do people want to be homeless. Why is the sheriff's department used to evict you? That's you know that's the why are the police working for landlords? Because the sheriffs in New York can't run around on horses like rustling doggies and fucking breaking up saloon fights. 
what would happen if everybody stopped paying their taxes, their cable bill, their credit card debt, their student loans? What would happen? All at once, we said, you know what? We're shutting it down. You're not shutting it down. We're shutting it down. We're not paying rent. What happens? At least where where is where are the leaders calling for that? At least. Well, I think that's not anarchy. I think some of that is stuff that could very possibly happen. It's not happening now. It could happen in the future. I think I think if things get really bad and nobody has any money, which was already there, basically Mm -hmm. um, something like that could happen. I think, you know, who knows? Okay. Somebody, at least somebody in their 20s should be talking that way. You know, I talk to my kids, and my, my kids are telling me to vote for Biden. And I'm going, we got, you got to flip them. this. Your kids, know, your kids are smart. Good for them for telling you that. Real politic. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Colleen Worthman, how do people follow you on Twitter? How do people get in touch with you? Uh, I'm at Twitter, at C. Worthman. That's at symbol, C-W-E-R-T-H-M-A-N-N. And Elaine May, how do people follow you? <laughs> Elaine, are you still here, Elaine? Uh, oh, they can follow me <laughs> by going over to my apartment building and yelling really loud and I'll open the window. I would love Frank to write a sketch with <laughs> Elaine May. Nichols and Nichols and May, I don't know. There's something with uh, some uh, Rickles and May. Now. Can you do Rickles and May, Frank? Rickles and May. Hey, you dummy. She's <laughs> over I'm I'm over here trying to do an improv. She's walking around the house going. <laughs> that would be funny. We found some old uh, Second City tapes when Don Rickles. <laughs> if you uh, if, if you ever have, if you ever have Dana Gould on this show, ask oh, him, yeah, ask him to do Don Rickles because he used to do a thing about how, and it was so true about Don Rickles, part of why he's so funny is because half of the things he says make no sense whatsoever. They're they're like, you know, uh, this lady's over here walking around, lying in bed going, (laughs) Right, right. I mean, I'm not doing justice to it, but it's so hilarious. It's all rhythm, no jokes. I do these deep dives about Uh, once a year. With Don on on the Tonight Show specifically. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, just do, Google him. Frank had a Frank's Twitter feed and his Facebook feed. It it, it approaches art. It's so good. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's it, great. He's great. Um, uh, you, I'm Frank Conniff uh, everywhere. Just at Frank Conniff on all the platforms. Two N's, two F's. Two N's, two F's, exactly. Great. And I want to thank Joel and Senior Brainwash and Tim for sitting in with us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Stay on the line, everybody. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Tonight, Friday, April 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 
on Zoom. I'm doing office hours. It's our third one. It's where listeners to The David Feldman Show get to meet each other and chat with guests of The David Feldman Show, professors, authors, journalists, comedians. I don't know who's going to be coming by tonight. It starts at 9 Eastern on Zoom. You don't need to have Zoom. You can dial in. We'll send you a phone number so you can listen in and talk. Go to David Feldman Show. Dot com. You'll see the Office Hours tab. Click on it, and we'll send you an invite. You don't need Zoom to attend. You can dial in on your cell phone or your landline, and we'll get to talk to one another. We'll meet the listeners. We'll meet professors, authors, journalists, comedians. It's going to be a fun night. I look forward to seeing you tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, Office Hours on Zoom. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the office hours menu. I'll send you an invite. I'll see you tonight. Well, it's the end of the week, possibly the world, which can only mean one thing. Listener questions with Liam McEnany, who has quit the show. Filling in for Liam is Laura House. Hello, Laura. Hello. Oh, I should mention, I just got to know, Laura's late. Hello. Yeah. And her boyfriend, Brian, Hello. is with us. He's going to vamp. She's, she's in the shower? What, what What's she washing? Hmm. That's kind of dirty, Brian. I thought we'd... Okay, I have kids listening to this show. Okay, be polite. Okay. Brian plays with Oingo Boingo. He is one of the greatest jazz trumpeteers. Is it a trumpetist? Or... Brian said not to confuse him with Donald Trump and a professional trumpeteer. Yes, well, we we can't call the president of the United States that, Brian, because the secret. See, now the Secret Service could come visiting. You can't talk that way. And you you can think that, but you. You see, those are the kind of thoughts, this is what I taught my kids. Those are private thoughts that you can't share with other people. Okay, that's Brian talking. If if the NSA is listening, if the Secret Service is, yeah. I'm not saying this about Donald Trump. Yeah, okay. See, you can't talk that way. He still is the President of the United States. I know, but your gal lost in 2006. You can't do that in the United States. You, you, no, no, you can't. You're not going to have a militia in Hollywood. Okay, then, then move to. Eastern Oregon or Idaho, if you're going to talk that way. He is the president of the United... 
There's an election, Brian, in November. Okay, and what you do is you get the vote out, and we remove our leaders democratically. You You sound angry. Yeah, but we're all frustrated. How are you holding up with this pandemic? That's sweet. Brian's saying he's getting to spend so much time with Laura House that he loves her so much it makes his heart... He he wants to cry. He's so emotional. He loves her so much. He loves her so much. It's surreal. For all eternity, he loves her. He says that he was destined to live eternity with Laura. But, you know, even people who are hopelessly in love, Brian, occasionally when they're, you know, in lockdown, they get on each other's nerves. Is there anything about Laura that that annoys you? Oh, there must be something. Come on. Brian's saying she snores, she drools in her sleep, and, and, and also does that, and still he finds it delicious. And that in her sleep. She's not aware that she does that. But he loves her, and sometimes she even does that in her sleep. But he still finds it adorable. She makes love like Catherine the Great. Yes. She can go all night. She's just insatiably delicious, is what Brian is saying. Sometimes the upstairs neighbors complain when we're making love, and we don't even have upstairs neighbors. That's how... He he just loves everything about her. There's nothing. He just wants to eat her face. He loves her so much. Yeah. You're very lucky to have love during a time like this. There must be something Laura does. Anything she does that annoys you? Nothing? Not a single thing. You love her that much? Really? Does she ever criticize you? Ah, <laughs> really? Okay, so there's some things that uh, you do that annoy Laura. Mm. Like, what do you mm. You leave socks in the bathroom? Okay. Yeah. Empty plates in the bathroom. Stray animals in the bathroom. Sometimes you don't clean up in the bathroom after you've slaughtered a squirrel for dinner. And there's squirrel blood all over the bathroom. And then she... And it's not dry. Sometimes in the middle of the night, she goes into the bathroom and the toilet seat is still up and there's 
a squirrel in there trying to get out. And she says she's sick of the way you make squirrel soup. That it's disgusting. And you say this is an old family recipe? And, and that she doesn't respect your hillbilly roots? And doesn't want to make love to you? Dressed as your sister? She thinks it's sick. And even though you can't express how how less than she makes you feel, calling you a dumb hillbilly, inside, inside, can we get in touch, Brian, with how you feel deep down inside? Come on. Come on, Brian. How do you feel when Laura calls you an illiterate rube from the hill countries? Makes you feel stupid, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and you want to say, I'm an accomplished musician. How I choose to prepare our meals is none of your business. I caught that squirrel. And, and I brought it into the bathroom. Because, because I'm a hunter and a provider. And we're going to have squirrel soup that comes from our toilet, just like my Mima used to make. I'm feeding you during a pandemic, and the least you could do is dress up like my sister and, and, and show some respect for, for, for where I came from. Yeah, this was a good session, Brian. I think it's important to learn how to communicate. It's all about communication, Brian. Okay? It's okay to cry. Men don't like to cry. I know. Your father used to... Where you come from, They men weren't allowed to cry. No. Is there anything you'd like to say to your father? Your father was a Marine, you told me, in our last session. Yeah, he was a tough guy. And he didn't respect your wishes to become an artist, right? He called you a girly man, right? And they teased you. Yeah. And and you didn't say anything. You kept it all inside. You kept it all... Let it out, Brian. Let it out. Say... It's rough, It's but it's good. It's good. Tell your father, if he were here today, tell him I'm a man. Say, I'm a man, Daddy. I'm a man, Daddy. Yes, I'm wearing a dress, but these legs, look at the hair on these legs underneath this dress. I'm a man. <laughs> All right, our time is up. Thank you, Brian. We'll do this uh, next week. Okay, did you get my bill? Did you get my bill, Brian? Because, you know, you haven't uh, 
haven't paid the, the, the copay for three weeks now. Hmm. Was that circus music? Okay. Thank you, Brian. I, I have my next my next session here, okay? And, and thank you. And don't use the bathroom here at the medical center. Oh, well, maybe you should use it then. Oh, boy, I think you don't need to use it anymore. All right. Uh, see my next patient? Hello? Hello? Hi, I love doing telemedicine. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Ridiculous. It was, but it was funny. Please welcome the 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 favorite guest, the most requested guest on the David Feldman show, Laura House. <laughs> well, Thank you. They, Thank you. It's so nice to see a crowd again. Yeah, well I've had, a, I've had enough of this lockdown. Thank God our protests are working. Yes, yes. Well, you're uh, going to do listener questions with her, with her, with me. Well, her. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I wasn't very good at it, but all right. Well, it's it. You're new to it. You're here. Here is what you're up against. I have so many questions my own self, David. Here's what you're up against. Think of the listeners as children. Liam and I were married, right? Mm. And we would get listener questions, and the. You know, and now mommy has left. Liam left me. He and was the mommy, huh? He was the mommy. And now my listeners are meeting my new girl. <laughs> She's different from Liam. They've been very nice to me. I just, I'm, um, I'm not well informed enough for them. Well, we, you know, That's how I feel. listen, the, the, you got to treat the listeners like you would a, a new family of children who, who, who feel? I, I would. I would just buy them stuff. Yeah, they're going. They're going through. I mean, they miss Liam. They want to know what you know. They, they, and they feel guilty, quite frankly. I miss Liam, of course. They feel guilty enjoying you because they feel they're betraying Liam. They are. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Everyone is. But I didn't. I didn't. Cheat on Liam. I didn't ask Liam. You're like fewer questions have to go on. I get it. I'm I'm a man. I have needs. <laughs> and so Liam left me, and and I can't entertain my listeners by myself. I can't be a single host. No, I've seen you try. <laughs> <laughs> so you're I'm gonna always glad to talk to you. And I don't know if this segment is a promotion or a demotion. So <laughs> I used to host this show. That's right. You did with Jerry Stahl. I forgot yeah. about that. So those were my salad days. I don't even know what salad days mean, if it's good or bad. The salad days? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The salad days, I guess. For a vegan, it's a good thing. Yeah. How are you holding up, in all seriousness? I'm going stir-crazy. Are uh, you? Yeah, I'm going stir-crazy, and I'm... One of the things I realized, there are a lot of people in my life who use me as a punching bag because I'm in like total quarantine, isolation. I haven't done anything. I've stayed out of the way, and that's not good enough. They still come at me. People are mad at you? Some pe There are people in my life who just decide, I don't, 
I'm going to take it out on David. I'm going to bring up things from the past because I'm in lockdown and I need to take it out on somebody. So, oh, people have just been calling you out of the blue? Calling out and, and just for not nonsense. You murdered my sister four years ago, and I promised to keep it secret because you paid me to shut up. But I've been thinking about it. You just start off, they're like, and yeah. another thing. And you're yeah. like, wow, you have been working up. Maybe yeah. they're living alone, so they're yeah. they're just they're having a conversation with you you're not in. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I understand and support being mad at you, but <laughs> yeah, it's weird times. We're good over here. We've got a lot of squirrel stew in the bath or- in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. What's the best thing about this pandemic? Uh, traffic. Yeah. Have you been outside? Air, air quality. Yeah. Um, just a few times, you know, you go get groceries or something. Um, I've caught up with some old friends that I wouldn't. It wouldn't have occurred to us necessarily to 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 you know talk for a few hours and right. Um, that's been nice. Um, I gotta say, like, <clears throat> I feel funny talking about it because I'm an unusual situation of um, you know I'm a writer, so it's I'm inclined to this, mm-hmm. and I think if you know for athletes, it's probably much more, more difficult. Or you know, people who like to run around, I'm more like fine. Yeah, I I had a weird awakening a week ago. So let me let me ask you this: What's the first thing you want to do when this ends? When it's totally safe to go anywhere, everywhere? What's the first thing you want to do? I don't know. I'm worried. In all honesty, I'm worried that the pandemic's going to end and I'm just going to stay this way. That's what I'm worried about because I don't know. This is kind of, you know, first of all, a lot of our listeners are the first responders. They're doctors, nurses, drivers. It's amazing. Yeah, they're out there doing the Lord's work, keeping this country going. I don't know how they have time to listen to your 10-hour podcast, but God bless them. Well, they're in their car, you know, people who do the important work. And so for me to complain about not being able to leave my house, it's a little unseemly to complain that, you know, so. Agreed. But this was a weird awakening. This was a weird look at myself. was a week ago a friend of mine that I was – referring to him and catching up with his friend from college. And he goes, he, he's in Michigan. He was like, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get out? And I was like, Oh my God, I don't miss anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what I said, just said to you. I I didn't, I didn't, it hadn't really occurred to me, but I was like movies. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm like really falling in love with Cary Grant and and Tony Curtis. I'm like, I'm, you know, we watch a movie at night and Mm I work during the day and, I just cleaned the bathtub. It's like, I'm okay. Started reading a, a Murakami book and I'm writing stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, again, you can't lose sight of the fact that people are starving to death in this country. Absolutely. I'm not at all, all a fan of, uh, or trying to overlook the, you know, the unbearable amount of, um, horrible circumstances. Yeah. That's why I said I feel weird talking about it because right. my, my, you know, I I donate. I try to help. I try to help friends, and I um, do. You know, I do something. 
you know, I try to be aware of that, but I'm uh, not just aware of it. I try to be useful, but I'm also like for my specific circumstance, I'm like, <clears throat> we're fine. It, it does force you to practice gratitude. Now, there yeah. have been studies, interestingly enough, that people who suffer from depression and anxiety are saying that the pandemic has cured it. What does that say? That not everybody. I mean, a lot of people. Oh, are. That's interesting. I, I've talked to some of those people, so um, I'm sure I brag about it all the time. But I'm uh, an alcoholic, <laughs> so I'm a sober. I'm twelve something years sober, and um, I've heard from people. And obviously, it's not everyone. And depression is serious. I've been diagnosed a few times and on meds at various times in my life. It's. <clears throat> I don't mean to say this lightly. But I've heard other people say, like, there's something about it being that it's everyone is sort of having their experience um, that people feel a little less like almost like, oh, I'm not crazy. You know, like people who weren't having things almost like the world's caught up to them in a way. That's just what I've heard from a couple of people. I can't speak for everyone, obviously. I'm I'm guarding my answers. Well, what, but, yeah, but what does that say? Because. I've noticed that I'm less anxious. Again, I know this is privilege. This is privilege. I know these are quality problems. I hear you. Yeah. So, and, you know, uh, but I'm I, also less anxious. I'm less so anxious. When I'm, and when I, and I'm not I, driving, and driving makes me so anxious. So, I'm really and, not doing that very much. And the idea of work. Now, here's, here's, let me preface this. People are starving to death in this country. I, I read somewhere 80% of this country is on the brink. Now. Is that true? Yeah, 80%. And uh, that being said, one of the, have you checked your credit card, your statement for the past month? I checked my, I couldn't believe how little I spent. When you can't leave, you don't yeah. spend money. And I agree. I'm, and I'm cooking, and I'm not taking Uber, and I'm not hiring. I was going to make a sick joke. Um, <laughs> so I said, well, wait a second. If I stay home, it doesn't cost me that much to live. Now there's no work, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if there's no work, there's no stress. And yeah, if, if you can't work, it's really different than everybody's working and you're just not working, mm -hmm. which, is, which has been a lot of my adulthood. Right. There are no comedy clubs. You know, like as, as a TV writer, like there's a lot of not writing time, but everybody else is working and it's announced every day. Somebody just got a TV, you know, in your industry. Right. And also, everybody you went to high school with is working. And so it's it, it is there's something about like, oh, there's this huge shift in the world of, you know, people. And I, I don't know it, it, there is something, I don't know. It's, it's hard to process really it, like truly. Yeah. I mean, there, my mind has gone to certain places that it shouldn't, but I think everybody's mind has gone there. 10 to 11 million. Where did it go that it shouldn't? Well, 10 to 11 million American families can't afford their apartment. They're spending yeah. half of their incomes on rent. They scrimp on food and health care. Right. And 
what happens if they, again, this is my mind going to a place where there's no more carbon dioxide in the air, or it's like an 80% reduction of carbon dioxide. Uh, if we have a national rent strike mm-hmm. and people who use homes as an investment, people who have more than one home, people who own apartment buildings mm-hmm. and charge rent for it, if there's a national rent strike, if people stop paying their credit cards, their student mm-hmm. loans. Mm-hmm. I'm, exci- I'm excited by the speech. You're not allowed to talk that way. Oh. But. Never mind. What if. Are you just meaning like, so if everybody suddenly uh, stopped paying credit cards, medical bills, um, health insurance, rent, start, stop paying for all, like just stopped. Like. Just stopped. One, one month, two month, three months, just stopped. I'm just thinking out loud. Like, like, are you saying, like, finally the rich people would get hit? Like, I'm saying the rich people would be hit. Oh, humans are important. The mortgage lenders would be hit. Yeah, you you can't, uh, you cannot evict anybody right now. If they do list, if they lift the restrictions on evictions, how are you going to evict 12 million people from their homes? Also, like, um, like unionizing humanity. Mm-hmm. And and you know, take the profit motive out of hospitals, and nobody pays their medical bills, nobody pays their health insurance, and the doctors who aren't into saving lives, let them quit. I know this is going to result in people suffering, but. It would be a great way to clean house and only have nur- well, you know, the nurses all do it. Something like eighty percent easily. From when I've been in the hospital, absolutely. Eighty percent of eighty percent of healthcare workers earn less than thirty thousand dollars a year. That's insane. So they ain't yeah, doing it for the money. Friend, yeah, I have a friend who became a nurse, and she was so excited to get. Um, I want to say station. That's not right. A point, you know, she's working like LA County hospital ER. And to her, she was like, Oh, I'm so glad that's where I wanted to be. And I'm like, I, I could don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what it's like to be that person. I try to be nice and compassionate. I try to be the best person I can be. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm no Gwen. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's amazing what these people do. And they're not doing it for money. no, and some of the doctors are get rid of them. Sure, get rid of the doctors who are doing it for money. The, the profit motive, it doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't create new drugs. It doesn't create better health care. It actually ruins it. But, yeah, you know, it's right. this is um, it, it. It's stunning to me. And then I guess you know, ultimately, it isn't because people. People love people with money. Love money. I find because um, they don't love people. I guess it's just it's such a weird, you know that. Um, I like that. Whatever that 
chart or study was from years ago of the idea of diminishing returns, you know, like you do need money and it's great up to a certain, you know, depending on where you live, 70,000 or 50,000 or 85,000, whatever it is like you need. And then there's just diminishing returns and like the, the Mitch McConnell's and the, you know, whomever that are just like, no, no, I have 80 million, but what if I had 90? What if I had a bill? It's like, what are you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's beyond my comprehension, but I, um, but it is interesting to do this Sabbath, this reset where you're forced to be at home. If you're not an important person, Yeah, the important people are working and we know who you are. You're the nurses, you're the doctors, you're the janitors cleaning up our hospitals, you're the post office, you're the truckers, you're the Instacart people shopping for us, you're you're the people suffering in the Amazon warehouses. We know who's essential. The rest of us are unnecessary. Yeah, that's why... um... And, and, if, and, it gives you, and it gives you time. If you're unnecessary and you have time on your hands and you look at your expenses, you begin oh, to realize that most of what you spend your money on is unnecessary. Yeah, it's been an interesting look at consumerism that I don't I don't think of my we live pretty modestly. But like I had a, <laughs> I had, and I knew it was unnecessary, but I had like unnecessary box subscriptions <laughs> that like, you know, for fun or a nice indul- that you're just like, oh my God. Or I felt like you really, I felt like going to a restaurant was like critical to be in a good relationship or to feel like you're having a good life. Like, I think that was in my mind like two months ago. Like, well, you have to go to out to eat, you know once or twice a week to, you know, where you're not going to make it as a couple. But it's all so corrupt. I mean, here in Manhattan, it's restaurants, museums, all of which are corrupt. Museums are so corrupt. They're money laundering operations for the wealthy. Uh, Broadway, Ticketmaster. I mean, there people are complaining because this guy bought, like, spent $1,400 on Billy Joel tickets at Madison Square Garden. He can't get, can't get it returned. I'm thinking, who spends $1,400 to go see Billy Joel or to go <laughs> see the Knicks play? You know, two tickets for $1,000? Yeah. Is that, is that is what we it, should be spending our time and money I, on? I just, it's, I guess what I was going to say is like, it's, and this is so dumb because obviously this is your part of your core agenda, <laughs> but it's like how this doesn't happen. And like, like a week into this Ireland did, you know, public health care. They were like, Oh, this is bad. No, they were, or pri- yeah, they were like no more private health care. Everything is going to be public, you know, like your health care is free, you know, like a week into it. I understand America's bigger, but like, it's, I guess part of what's so shocking about this, um, what's happening with the, in, if you're watching a movie or a TV show, when things get really bad and people are dying everywhere, the really bad guy goes, mm-hmm. Oh no, what have I done? Mm-hmm. 
And this guy, <laughs> exactly. this guy did not, like, he could not dig his heels in more deeply. Right. Into, he, there's no one more committed to who they are than this guy. Yeah. 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 It's so insane that it's like, well, <laughs> well, here, here. we're going to shoot, shoot down boats and yeah. there's no more immigration. Oh, right. all right. No yes. more immigration. The problem is we think all states are equal. And I've said on this show from the beginning that we should run America the way we run the U.N., that the U.N. has the National Security Council and the General Assembly. The National Security Council is, they have two rotating seats, but they have the five most important nations, the founding members of the U.N., America, Russia, Great Britain, France, uh, they have more sway over the U.N. Then there's a general assembly where you allow the, what was it, 140 countries to be represented. And occasionally they have a rotating seat in the National Security Council where, uh, you know, you can be part of the, the top. But uh, we should do that in America. The 13 original colonies should be able to veto the rest of the country. Although Georgia <laughs> was one of the original three. That who it is? It wouldn't go by... Seniority. We'd go by seniority. It, but it, it wouldn't go by um, size. No. I, I, I think if you seceded... I think if you seceded, you don't get to make the big decisions. I think the problem with this country is Alabama... Louisiana, Georgia, South Carolina, we treat them as equals. And, you know, in fact, some would argue they have more sway over the trajectory of this country than New York and California and Massachusetts do. That's the problem. We have to, this guy Kemp, the governor of Georgia, or Ron DeSantis in Florida, we have to we have to take these guys seriously. Is this that liberal elitism that people talk about? Well, to right. say like these these states are less important. They're killing us, and, and you know, isn't this how like the Senate and the House of Representatives is set up? Isn't that the idea that it's equal in the Senate, but the House of Representatives it's not equal? And if there's more people or whatever, then you do have more. Same. Yeah, but, you know, they've done studies yeah. and a vote in California is weighted less than a vote in Wyoming because they get two senators. Let's move on to listener questions, okay? All right. This is good. See, I think the kids like their new mother. I'm here to learn. Yeah, and, and you're you're here and, and you're not going to be a disciplinarian like Liam. There's going to be less fighting, less screaming, Right. Uh, I don't know. I think the listeners I, I feel guilty. I think they just, I actually listen to your show a little bit. Yeah. I think they're going to be happy with you as the new mommy instead of Liam. Okay. This comes your to. Funeral. I'm sorry. Your funeral. Yep. This comes to us from Pavel. He's in St. Louis. Hello. He, hello, Pavel. He works at a large hospital. He says, David, in your interview with the candidate from Texas, you were saying respirators when you were clearly talking about ventilators. 
love your show, agree with your politics. Yes, I, I've been a little burnt out, and I said respirators instead of ventilators. And I didn't hear a question there. Do you think the question was, do you feel like an idiot? Yes, that's the yes. Yeah, I do feel stupid. that might have been the question Pavel was too polite to ask. Yeah, I was. Do you feel like a dumb, a dumb, dumb dummy? I, I feel like I'm a little stir crazy because I haven't been outside for a month. And mm-hmm. so my vocabulary may be lacking. So, you know, I'm not. I, so I made a mistake. Yeah, it hurts. I accidentally said. Also, what's the difference? Respirator, ventilator. A respirator could be like a, a mask. Oh, all and, right. And the ventilator is something that breathes for you. For you. Got yeah. it. Okay, next. A radiator, that would have been way worse. Yeah, that would have been bad. Way off. Yeah. And I was also wrong when I said we have too many ventilators. I meant, I just, I don't want to be bad taste. I was going to make a really bad taste. I can't do it. I'm two blocks away from ground zero here. Well, all and, right. Uh, yeah. So I'm not going to make uh, jokes. By the way, are you going to come to our Zoom meeting Friday night at nine? What's happening there? We meet our listeners. We have guests of the show. They mingle. I serve cheese. How, how do I get a ticket? It, it's free. How do I get in? You go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit mm. the hit the office hours button. Oh. And you'll get an invite and you just show up. All right. I'll it, see what I can do. It's really interesting. I might have a date with Tony Curtis. Ah, okay. How great is Tony Curtis? Why aren't we talking about this? Somebody's been watching Turner Classic movies. <laughs> You know what's so easy to watch right now? Cary Grant. Yes. I mean, he just takes you through. You're just like in a blink. A yeah. couple hours went by. Fantastic. That guy. Look, I know people had heard of him before. Mm-hmm. But what, a, what a great time to rediscover. And then Tony Curtis makes me, he makes me crazy when I see him on screen. He makes me crazy. Sweet smell of success? Uh, I didn't even think I saw that one. We we just saw we saw Operation Petticoat, oh. and then we watched him in Houdini. We'll wow. sort of like watch. We watched. Um, did you ever Serenity. see the? Did you see the sequel to Houdini? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> hang on, ha, let me hang on. I, I have a joke coming up. Hang on. Uh, I, uh, I, let I, me I, just hang on for one second. <sighs> it's called Whydini. Ah. Okay. This comes to us from Adrian. You're in New York, so not like your vote will matter unless you push for the 5% required to break the duopoly in this country. Why aren't you voting for the Green Party and telling your listeners in non-swing states, at the very least, to consider it as well? Mm. Well, I'm certainly not telling people to vote for Biden. All right. Yet. But you're not saying who to vote for. It's a, you haven't landed on, you're not saying vote green. I'm not saying anything. Right now I'm disgusted by Obama and the Clintons and Biden. And I don't have to tell people, let, you know, make your own decision. You're just like Dems, sad face. Yeah. I get it. If 
You know, I'm reading about Biden, and apparently he has a very pro-labor platform that's unique. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. This comes to us from Chris. He lives in Virginia. Uh, He says, the funniest quote from last week's show when you said, the Tiger King is about this guy in Oklahoma who's Jewish. I mean, gay. You know, I, I did say that, and it wasn't a joke. I said, the Tiger King is about this guy in Oklahoma who's Jewish. I mean, gay. I, I do think there's no difference <laughs> between gay people and Jews. Wow. All right. Yeah. And I think a lot of Jewish men, because it's... Uh, the matriarchy, at least in the home. Jewish men can be very effeminate. That's what Um, I've noticed. Anyway, is Liam still not returning your phone calls because you keep exposing his ignorance? I don't know why he is not returning my phone calls. I have a feeling, Laura, that my listeners, because Liam didn't vote for Bernie, I (laughs) I think they went after him. Oh. Yeah. He didn't. Who did he vote for? He was. He said he did would he have voted it? for Bernie if he got the nomination. Sure. But uh, but in the primary, nah. who was it? Warren. Yeah, and he just argued against Medicare for all. So. Oh, this seems like a. I gotta. Can I be honest with you? This seems like a weird place to do that. <laughs> On my show. Yeah. And I told him that. It's like when Steve Bannon goes on real time. But he railroaded Mar. He was great on real time. Sure. I just mean, when I just mean that, uh, yeah, if you don't need, if you're a sociopath and you don't need anyone to like you, it's mm-hmm. would be But like, um, yeah. Watermelon with numeric spelling listens to us in oh. Scranton, Pennsylvania. That's interesting. She has a cat that's aging very well. She said, I subscribed. How many more people need to pitch in so you can upgrade your Zoom subscription to host the Friday night meetings so you don't have to turn anybody away? We had more than 100 people show up. Really? So what I'm going to do, I I was surprised by how many people showed up. What does that upgrade cost? So it's $15 for the basic. I don't know. I'm going to, I don't want to turn anybody away. Somebody said to me, yeah, somebody said to me, no, what you need to do is you, you turn people away. That makes them want it even more. And I'm not going to play those kind of games with my listeners. Yeah. yeah, You're like, you can come in, you you ask questions in the waiting room. Like my listeners. Show me your picture. Who's good looking. You come in, you, not you. Yeah. I do seven and a half hour episodes and all of a sudden I'm turning people away who don't, yeah. you know, playing game. I'm not going to play. Uh... Okay. This comes to us from Matt. Somebody tweeted at me and liked um, our Bernadette Sanders bit. Ah. If we could sneak him in bosom buddy styles. Uh-huh. For the, um... I never listen to myself when I talk. So when anyone says, oh, that thing you said was funny, I'm always like, Shocked and amazed. I have no memory of it, but that was nice. Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty sick if I put out a seven and a half hour podcast and then listen to it. <laughs> so when people remind me of things I say, I go, "Oh, thank you." But it would—how mentally ill would I be to sit and listen 
to the show. What an egomaniac I would be. So I appreciate people reminding us of what we've said. Yeah, it's uh, nice. Yeah. Matt from uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, says, where the F is Liam? Okay. <laughs> I feel like that got unflattering. No, he, he, he wasn't, yeah, it wasn't about you. It wasn't about you. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, oh boy! So yeah, I'm note. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. I think this works. I think if you have listener questions, if you have problems, and you want Laura House to help solve them, if you have some comments, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the "Ask Me Anything" button. Yeah. And Laura and anything. Anything, Laura. Anything. 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 I'll work out your relationships and your I'll help you with self esteem. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What what can we do here to heal? Yeah, you are a healer. Yeah. Transcendental meditation. Why don't you plug what I do? You keep saying that, but it's a different kind of meditation, but yeah. Um I've started doing my podcast again called Will You Med with Me? Um, and it's sort of meditation for smart asses such mm-hmm. as myself. And, um, it's where you get podcasts. Will you, med- will you med with me? Another one dropped just today. Today is today Wednesday. Who knows? Today is Friday. Sure. Well, one dropped way back on Wednesday. Way back on Wednesday. Yeah. Remember Wednesday? Remember? When? That what? got crazy, right? Yeah. So much has happened in the past 48 hours. There's no question. I, I can't believe we we won't do it. You know, I we're we're recording this on a Wednesday, and I I don't want to go down a path that will get us uh, into trouble. All right, <laughs> I was going to say some. I, my mind is I'm uh, I haven't been outside for a month. Sure. So uh, I feel like when you go outside, you'll be like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I feel like you'll get over it real fast. Oh, yeah, I yeah, I remember this. And the mouse is back. I had a mouse oh, and he boy. disappeared. And I thought, oh, maybe he got the virus. Oh. But he's back. Um I'm writing an episode of that so that little kids show that I write on for where, the BBC. Yeah, where it, um the older brother is in his place and he gets a mouse, and he gets a mouse. And I told, this is one of my favorite every now and then, you know, when you're writing, you're like that. You should never say you like your own stuff, I guess. But I, I gave the writer the instruction. I was like, can you write it less? Like he's afraid of the mouse and more like, this is his Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And that made me laugh of just that. You're like, he's back. So that, so now I'm picturing you having that. Yeah. Like that mouse is your Moby Dick. It's like, the only company I have. How do I? Didn't you have a lady friend? It's just my mouse and me. Oh boy. And he goes, How you doing? You know, I'm gonna have to <laughs> eat some food here and bother so you. you. That's friend? my job. Is it, gonna be, is it gonna be like the gopher and caddy shack? Yeah. Put it put him on the podcast. Okay. Mouse. Next week. Mouse. And the mouse. Give me my own segment. Mouse, mouse and house. I like yeah. it. Give us our own segment. Great. How do people follow you on Twitter? I'm Laura House, Twitter and Instagram, and LaraHouse.com. So easy to find. 
Okay, thank you so much.